Chapter 26 Jason Jason was afraid they'd lose their target. The Ventus moved like, well, like the wind. Speed up, he urged. Bro, Leo said, if I get any closer, he'll spot us. Bronze Dragon ain't exactly a stealth plane. Slow down, Piper yelled. The storm spirit dove into the grid of downtown streets. Festus tried to follow, but his wingspan was way too wide. His left wing clipped the edge of a building, slicing off a stone gargoyle before Leo pulled up. Get above the buildings, Jason suggested. We'll track him from there. You want to drive this thing? Leo grumbled. But he did what Jason asked. After a few minutes, Jason spotted the storm spirit again, zipping through the streets with no apparent purpose, blowing over pedestrians, ruffling flags, making cars swerve. Oh, great, Piper said. There are two. She was right. A second Ventus blasted around the corner of the Renaissance Hotel and linked up with the first. They wove together in a chaotic dance, shooting to the top of a skyscraper, bending a radio tower, and diving back down toward the street. Those guys do not need any more caffeine, Leo said. I guess Chicago's a good place to hang out. Piper said. Nobody's going to question a couple more evil wins. More than a couple, Jason said. Look. The dragon circled over a wide avenue next to a lakeside park. Storm spirits were converging, at least a dozen of them, whirling around a big public art installation. Which one do you think is Dylan? Leo asked. I want to throw something at him. But Jason focused on the art installation. The closer they got to it, the faster his heart beat. It was just a public fountain, but it was unpleasantly familiar. Two five-story monoliths rose from either end of a long granite reflecting pool. The monoliths seemed to be built of video screens, flashing the combined image of a giant face that spewed water into the pool. Maybe it was just a coincidence. But it looked like a high tech, super sized version of that ruined reflecting pool he'd seen in his dreams, with those two dark masses jutting from either end. As Jason watched, the image on the screens changed to a woman's face with her eyes closed. Leo, he said nervously. I see her, Leo said. I don't like her, but I see her. Then the screens went dark. The venti swirled together into a single funnel cloud and skittered across the fountain, kicking up a water spout almost as high as the monoliths. They got to its center, popped off a drain cover, and disappeared underground. Did they just go down a drain? Piper asked. How are we supposed to follow them? Maybe we shouldn't, Leo said. That fountain thing is giving me seriously bad vibes. And aren't we supposed to, like, beware the earth? Jason felt the same way, but they had to follow. It was their only way forward. They had to find Hera, and they now had only two days until the solstice. Put us down in that park, he suggested. We'll check it out on foot. Festus landed in an open area between the lake and the skyline. The signs said Grant Park. 
and Jason imagined it would have been a nice place in the summer. But now it was a field of ice, snow, and salted walkways. The dragon's hot metal feet hissed as they touched down. Festus flapped his wings unhappily and shot fire into the sky, but there was no one around to notice. The wind coming off the lake was bitter cold. Anyone with sense would be inside. Jason's eyes stung so badly he could barely see. They dismounted, and Festus the dragon stomped his feet. One of his ruby eyes flickered, so it looked like he was blinking. Is that normal? Jason asked. Leo pulled a rubber mallet from his tool bag. He whacked the dragon's bad eye, and the light went back to normal. Yes, Leo said. Festus can't hang around here, though, in the middle of the park. They'll arrest him for loitering. Maybe if I had a dog whistle. He rummaged in his tool belt, but came up with nothing. Too specialized, he guessed. Okay, give me a safety whistle. They got that in lots of machine shops. This time, Leo pulled out a big plastic orange whistle. Coach Hedge would be jealous. Okay, Festus, listen. Leo blew the whistle. The shrill sound probably rolled all the way across Lake Michigan. You hear that? Come find me, okay? Until then, you fly wherever you want. Just try not to barbecue any pedestrians. The dragon snorted, hopefully in agreement. Then he spread his wings and launched into the air. Piper took one step and winced. Ah! Your ankle? Jason felt bad he'd forgotten about her injury back in the Cyclops factory. That nectar we gave you might be wearing off. It's fine. She shivered. And Jason remembered his promise to get her a new snowboarding coat. He hoped he lived long enough to find her one. She took a few more steps with only a slight limp, but Jason could tell she was trying not to grimace. Let's get out of the wind, he suggested. Down a drain? Piper shuddered. Sounds cozy. They wrapped themselves up as best they could and headed toward the fountain. According to the plaque, it was called Crown Fountain. All the water had emptied out except for a few patches that were starting to freeze. It didn't seem right to Jason that the fountain would have water in it in the winter anyway. Then again, those big monitors had flashed the face of their mysterious enemy Dirt Woman. Nothing about this place was right. They stepped to the center of the pool. No spirits tried to stop them. The giant monitor walls stayed dark. The drain hole was easily big enough for a person, and a maintenance ladder led down into the gloom. Jason went first. As he climbed, he braced himself for horrible sewer smells. But it wasn't that bad. The ladder dropped into a brickwork tunnel running north to south. The air was warm and dry, with only a trickle of water on the floor. Piper and Leo climbed down after him. Are all sewers this nice? Piper wondered. No, Leo said. Trust me. Jason frowned. How do you know? Hey, man, I ran away six times. I've slept in some weird places, okay? Now, which way do we go? Jason tilted his head, listening, then pointed south. That way. 
How can you be sure? Piper asked. There's a draft blowing south, Jason said. Maybe the venti went with the flow. It wasn't much of a lead, but nobody offered anything better. Unfortunately, as soon as they started walking, Piper stumbled. Jason had to catch her. Stupid ankle, she cursed. Let's rest, Jason decided. We could all use it. We've been going nonstop for over a day. Leo, can you pull any food from that tool belt besides breath mints? Thought you'd never ask. Chef Leo is on it. Piper and Jason sat on a brick ledge while Leo shuffled through his pack. Jason was glad to rest. He was still tired and dizzy and hungry, too. But mostly, he wasn't eager to face whatever lay ahead. He turned his gold coin in his fingers. If you are to die, Hira had warned, it will be by her hand. Whoever her was... After Keone, the Cyclops' mother, and the weird sleeping lady, the last thing Jason needed was another psycho-villainess in his life. It wasn't your fault, Piper said. He looked at her blankly. What? Getting jumped by the Cyclopes, she said. It wasn't your fault. He looked down at the coin in his palm. I was stupid. I left you alone and walked into a trap. I should have known. He didn't finish. There were too many things he should have known. Who he was, how to fight monsters, how Cyclopes lured their victims by mimicking voices and hiding in shadows and a hundred other tricks. All that information was supposed to be in his head. He could feel the places it should be, like empty pockets. If Hera wanted him to succeed... Why had she stolen the memories that could help him? She claimed his amnesia had kept him alive, but that made no sense. He was starting to understand why Annabeth had wanted to leave the goddess in her cage. Hey, Piper nudged his arm. Cut yourself some slack. Just because you're the son of Zeus doesn't mean you're a one-man army. A few feet away, Leo lit a small cooking fire. He hummed as he pulled supplies out of his pack and his tool belt. In the firelight, Piper's eyes seemed to dance. Jason had been studying them for days now, and he still couldn't decide what color they were. I know this must suck for you, he said. Not just the quest, I mean. The way I appeared on the bus, the mist messing with your mind, and making you think I was, you know. She dropped her gaze. Yeah, well... None of us asked for this. It's not your fault. She tugged at the little braids on each side of her head. Again, Jason thought how glad he was that she'd lost the Aphrodite blessing. With the makeup and the dress and the perfect hair, she'd looked about twenty-five, glamorous and completely out of his league. He'd never thought of beauty as a form of power, but that's the way Piper had seemed. Powerful. He liked regular Piper better, someone he could hang out with. But the weird thing was, he couldn't quite get that other image out of his head. It hadn't been an illusion. That side of Piper was there, too. She just did her best to hide it. Back in the factory, Jason said, you were going to say something about your dad. She traced her finger over the bricks, 
almost like she was writing out a scream she didn't want to vocalize. Was I? Piper, he said. He's in some kind of trouble, isn't he? Over at the fire, Leo stirred some sizzling bell peppers and meat in a pan. Yeah, baby, almost there. Piper looked on the verge of tears. Jason, I can't talk about it. We're your friends. Let us help. That seemed to make her feel worse. She took a shaky breath. I wish I could, but... And bingo, Leo announced. He came over with three plates stacked on his arms like a waiter. Jason had no idea where he'd gotten all the food or how he'd put it together so fast, but it looked amazing. Pepper and beef tacos with chips and salsa. Leo, Piper said in amazement. How did you... Chef Leo's Taco Garage is fixing you up, he said proudly. And by the way, it's tofu, not beef, beauty queen. So don't freak, just dig in. Jason wasn't sure about tofu, but the tacos tasted as good as they smelled. While they ate, Leo tried to lighten the mood and joke around. Jason was grateful Leo was with them. It made being with Piper a little less intense and uncomfortable. At the same time, he kind of wished he was alone with her, but he chided himself for feeling that way. After Piper ate, Jason encouraged her to get some sleep. Without another word, she curled up and put her head in his lap. In two seconds, she was snoring. Jason looked up at Leo, who was obviously trying not to laugh. They sat in silence for a few minutes, drinking lemonade Leo had made from canteen water and powdered mix. Good, huh? Leo grinned. You should start a stand, Jason said. Make some serious coin. But as he stared at the embers of the fire, something began to bother him. Leo, about this fire stuff you can do. Is it true? Leo's smile faltered. Yeah, well... He opened his hand. A small ball of flame burst to life, dancing across his palm. That is so cool, Jason said. Why didn't you say anything? Leo closed his hand and the fire went out. Didn't want to look like a freak. I have lightning and wind powers, Jason reminded him. Piper can turn beautiful and charm people into giving her BMWs. You're no more a freak than we are. And hey, maybe you can fly too. Like jump off a building and yell, flame on. Leo snorted. If I did that, you would see a flaming kid falling to his death. And I would be yelling something a little stronger than flame on. Trust me, Hephaestus Cabin doesn't see firepowers as cool. Nissa told me they're super rare. When a demigod like me comes around, bad things happen. Really bad. Maybe it's the other way around, Jason suggested. Maybe people with special gifts show up when bad things are happening because that's when they're needed most. Leo cleared away the plates. Maybe, but I'm telling you, it's not always a gift. Jason fell silent. You're talking about your mom, aren't you? The night she died. 
Leo didn't answer. He didn't have to. The fact that he was quiet, not joking around, that told Jason enough. Leo, her death wasn't your fault. Whatever happened that night, it wasn't because you could summon fire. This dirt woman, whoever she is, has been trying to ruin you for years. Mess up your confidence. Take away everything you care about. She's trying to make you feel like a failure. You're not. You're important. That's what she said. Leo looked up, his eyes full of pain. She said I was meant to do something important. Something that would make or break that big prophecy about the seven demigods. That's what scares me. I don't know if I'm up to it. Jason wanted to tell him everything would be all right, but it would have sounded fake. Jason didn't know what would happen. They were demigods, which meant sometimes things didn't end okay. Sometimes you got eaten by the Cyclops. If you asked most kids, Hey, you want to summon fire or lightning or magical makeup? They'd think it sounded pretty cool. But those powers went along with hard stuff, like sitting in a sewer in the middle of winter, running from monsters, losing your memory, watching your friends almost get cooked, and having dreams that warned you of your own death. Leo poked at the remnants of his fire, turning over red-hot coals with his bare hands. You ever wonder about the other four demigods? I mean... If we're three of the ones from the Great Prophecy, who are the others? Where are they? Jason had thought about it all right, but he tried to push it out of his mind. He had a horrible suspicion that he would be expected to lead those other demigods, and he was afraid he would fail. You'll tear each other apart, Boreas had promised. Jason had been trained never to show fear. He was sure of that from his dream with the wolves. He was supposed to act confident, even if he didn't feel it. But Leo and Piper were depending on him, and he was terrified of failing them. If he had to lead a group of six, six who might not get along, that would be even worse. I don't know, he said at last. I guess the other four will show up when the time is right. Who knows, maybe they're on some other quest right now. Leo grunted. I bet their sewer is nicer than ours. The draft picked up, blowing toward the south end of the tunnel. Get some rest, Leo, Jason said. I'll take first watch. It was hard to measure time, but Jason figured his friend slept about four hours. Jason didn't mind. Now that he was resting, he didn't really feel the need for more sleep. He'd been conked out long enough on the dragon. Plus, he needed time to think about the quest, his sister Thalia, and Hera's warnings. He also didn't mind Piper's using him for a pillow. She had a cute way of breathing when she slept, inhaling through the nose, exhaling with a little puff through the mouth. He was almost disappointed when she woke up. Finally, they broke camp and started down the tunnel. It twisted and turned and seemed to go on forever. Jason wasn't sure what to expect at the end. A dungeon? A mad scientist's lab? 
or maybe a sewer reservoir where all porta potty sludge ends up, forming an evil toilet face large enough to swallow the world. Instead, they found polished steel elevator doors, each one engraved with a cursive letter M. Next to the elevator was a directory, like for a department store. M for Macy's? Piper guessed. I think they have one in downtown Chicago. Or Monocle Motors still, Leo said. Guys, read the directory. It's messed up. Parking, kennels, main entrance, sewer level. Furnishings and Cafe M, level one. Women's fashion and magical appliances, level two. Menswear and weaponry, level three. Cosmetics, potions, poisons, and sundries, level four. Kennels for what, Piper said. And what kind of department store has its entrance in a sewer? Or sells poisons, Leo said. Man, what does sundries even mean? Is that like underwear? Jason took a deep breath. When in doubt, start at the top. The doors slid open on the fourth floor, and the scent of perfume wafted into the elevator. Jason stepped out first, sword ready. Guys, he said. You've got to see this. Piper joined him and caught her breath. This is not Macy's. The department store looked like the inside of a kaleidoscope. The entire ceiling was a stained glass mosaic with astrological signs around a giant sun. The daylight streaming through it washed everything in a thousand different colors. The upper floors made a ring of balconies around a huge central atrium so they could see all the way down to the ground floor. Gold railings glittered so brightly they were hard to look at. Aside from the stained glass ceiling and the elevator, Jason couldn't see any other windows or doors, but two sets of glass escalators ran between the levels. The carpeting was a riot of oriental patterns and colors, and the racks of merchandise were just as bizarre. There was too much to take in at once, but Jason saw normal stuff like shirt racks and shoe trees mixed in with armored mannequins, beds of nails, and fur coats that seemed to be moving. Leo stepped to the railing and looked down. Check it out! In the middle of the atrium, a fountain sprayed water twenty feet into the air, changing color from red to yellow to blue. The pool glittered with gold coins, and on either side of the fountain stood a gilded cage, like an oversized canary cage. Inside one, a miniature hurricane swirled, and lightning flashed. Somebody had imprisoned the storm spirits, and the cage shuddered as they tried to get out. In the other, frozen like a statue, was a short, buff satyr, holding a tree branch club. Coach Hedge, Piper said, we've got to get down there. A voice said, may I help you find something? All three of them jumped back. A woman had just appeared in front of them. She wore an elegant black dress with diamond jewelry, and she looked like a retired fashion model, maybe fifty years old, though it was hard for Jason to judge. 
Her long, dark hair swept over one shoulder, and her face was gorgeous in that surreal supermodel way, thin and haughty and cold, not quite human. With their long, red-painted nails, her fingers looked more like talons. She smiled. I'm so happy to see new customers. How may I help you? Leo glanced at Jason like, All yours. Um, Jason started. Is this your store? The woman nodded. I found it abandoned, you know. I understand so many stores are these days. I decided it would make the perfect place. I love collecting tasteful objects, helping people, and offering quality goods at a reasonable price. So, this seemed a good, how do you say, first acquisition in this country? She spoke with a pleasing accent, but Jason couldn't guess where from. Clearly, she wasn't hostile, though. Jason started to relax. Her voice was rich and exotic. Jason wanted to hear more. So, you're new to America? he asked. I am... new, the woman agreed. I am the Princess of Colchis. My friends call me Your Highness. Now, what are you looking for? Jason had heard of rich foreigners buying American department stores. Of course, most of the time they didn't sell poisons, living fur coats, storm spirits, or satyrs. But still, with a nice voice like that, the princess of Colchis couldn't be all bad. Piper poked him in the ribs. Jason. Um, right. Actually, your highness, he pointed to the gilded cage on the first floor. That's our friend down there, Gleason Hedge, the satyr. Could we have him back, please? Of course, the princess agreed immediately. I would love to show you my inventory. First, may I know your names? Jason hesitated. It seemed like a bad idea to give out their names. A memory tugged at the back of his mind, something Hera had warned him about, but it seemed fuzzy. On the other hand, Her Highness was on the verge of cooperating. If they could get what they wanted without a fight, that would be better. Besides, this lady didn't seem like an enemy. Piper started to say, Jason, I wouldn't. This is Piper, he said. This is Leo. I'm Jason. The princess fixed her eyes on him and, just for a moment, her face literally glowed, blazing with so much anger. Jason could see her skull beneath her skin. Jason's mind was getting blurrier, but he knew something didn't seem right. Then the moment passed, and her highness looked like a normal, elegant woman again, with a cordial smile and a soothing voice. Jason... What an interesting name, she said, her eyes as cold as the Chicago wind. I think we'll have to make a special deal for you. Come, children, let's go shopping. Chapter 27 Piper Piper wanted to run for the elevator. 
Her second choice: attack the weird princess now, because she was sure a fight was coming. The way the lady's face glowed when she'd heard Jason's name had been bad enough. Now her highness was smiling like nothing had happened, and Jason and Leo didn't seem to think anything was wrong. The princess gestured toward the cosmetics counter. Shall we start with the potions? Cool, Jason said. Guys, Piper interrupted. We're here to get the storm spirits and Coach Hedge. If this princess is really our friend, oh, I'm better than a friend, my dear, Her Highness said. I'm a saleswoman. Her diamonds sparkled and her eyes glittered like a snake's, cold and dark. Don't worry, we'll work our way down to the first floor, eh? Leo nodded eagerly. Sure, yeah, that sounds okay, right, Piper? Piper did her best to stare daggers at him. No, it is not okay. Of course, it's okay. Her Highness put her hands on Leo's and Jason's shoulders and steered them toward the cosmetics. Come along, boys. Piper didn't have much choice except to follow. She hated department stores, mostly because she'd gotten caught stealing from several of them. Well, not exactly caught, and not exactly stealing. She'd talked salesmen into giving her computers, new boots, a gold ring, once even a lawnmower, though she had no idea why she wanted one. She never kept the stuff. She just did it to get her dad's attention. Usually, she talked her neighborhood UPS guy into taking the stuff back. But of course, the salesman she duped always came to their senses and called the police, who eventually tracked her down. Anyway, she wasn't thrilled to be back in a department store, especially one run by a crazy princess who glowed in the dark. And here, the princess said, is the finest assortment of magical mixtures anywhere. The counter was crammed with bubbling beakers and smoking vials on tripods. Lining the display shelves were crystal flasks, some shaped like swans or honey bear dispensers. The liquids inside were every color, from glowing white to polka dotted, and the smells, ugh. Some were pleasant, like fresh baked cookies or roses, but they were mixed with the scents of burning tires, skunk spray. And gym lockers. The princess pointed to a blood red vial, a simple test tube with a cork stopper. This one will heal any disease, even cancer. Leo asked. Leprosy, hangnails, any disease, sweet boy. And this vial, she pointed to a swan-shaped container with blue liquid inside. Will kill you very painfully. Awesome, Jason said. His voice sounded dazed and sleepy. Jason, Piper said, we've got a job to do. Remember? She tried to put power into her words to snap him out of his trance with charm speak, but her voice sounded shaky even to her. This princess woman scared her too much, made her confidence crumble. Just the way she'd felt back in the Aphrodite cabin with Drew. Job to do, 
Jason muttered. Sure, but shopping first, okay? The princess beamed at him. Then we have potions for resisting fire. Got that covered, Leo said. Indeed. The princess studied Leo's face more closely. You don't appear to be wearing my trademark sunscreen, but no matter. We also have potions that cause blindness, insanity, sleep, or. Wait. Piper was still staring at the red vial. Could that potion cure lost memory? The princess narrowed her eyes. Possibly, yes. Quite possibly. Why, my dear? Have you forgotten something important? Piper tried to keep her expression neutral, but if that vial could cure Jason's memory. Do I really want that? she wondered. If Jason found out who he was, he might not even be her friend. Hira had taken away his memories for a reason. She'd told him it was the only way he'd survive at Camp Halfblood. What if Jason found out that he was their enemy or something? He might come out of his amnesia and decide he hated Piper. He might have a girlfriend wherever he came from. It doesn't matter, she decided, which kind of surprised her. Jason always looked so anguished when he tried to remember things. Piper hated seeing him that way. She wanted to help him because she cared about him, even if that meant losing him. And maybe it would make this trip through her crazinesses department store worthwhile. How much? Piper asked. The princess got a faraway look in her eyes. Well, now, the price is always tricky. I love helping people. Honestly, I do. And I always keep my bargains. But sometimes people try to cheat me. Her gaze drifted to Jason. Once, for instance, I met a handsome young man who wanted a treasure from my father's kingdom. We made a bargain, and I promised to help him steal it. From your own dad? Jason still looked half in a trance, but the idea seemed to bother him. Oh, don't worry, the princess said. I demanded a high price. The young man had to take me away with him. He was quite good looking, dashing, strong. She looked at Piper. I'm sure, my dear, you understand how one might be attracted to such a hero and want to help him. Piper tried to control her emotions, but she probably blushed. She got the creepiest feeling the princess could read her thoughts. She also found the princess's story disturbingly familiar. Pieces of old myths she'd read with her dad started coming together, but this woman couldn't be the one she was thinking of. At any rate, her highness continued, my hero had to do many impossible tasks, and I'm not bragging when I say he couldn't have done them without me. I betrayed my own family to win the hero his prize, and still he cheated me of my payment. Cheated? Jason frowned, as if trying to remember something important. That's messed up, Leo said. Her Highness patted his cheek affectionately. I'm sure you don't need to worry, Leo. 
You seem honest. You would always pay a fair price, wouldn't you? Leo nodded. What were we buying again? I'll take two. Piper broke in. So, the vial, your highness. How much? The princess assessed Piper's clothes, her face, her posture, as if putting a price tag on one slightly used demigod. Would you give anything for it, my dear? The princess asked. I sense that you would. The words washed over Piper as powerfully as a good surfing wave. The force of the suggestion nearly lifted her off her feet. She wanted to pay any price. She wanted to say yes. Then her stomach twisted. Piper realized she was being charm-spoken. She'd sensed something like it before when Drew spoke at the campfire, but this was a thousand times more potent. No wonder her friends were dazed. Was this what people felt when Piper used charm speak? A feeling of guilt settled over her. She summoned all her willpower. No, I won't pay any price. But a fair price, maybe. After that, we need to leave. Right, guys? Just for a moment, her words seemed to have some effect. The boys looked confused. Leave, Jason said. You mean, after shopping? Leo asked. Piper wanted to scream, but the princess tilted her head, examining Piper with newfound respect. Impressive, the princess said. Not many people could resist my suggestions. Are you a child of Aphrodite, my dear? Ah, yes. I should have seen it. No matter. Perhaps we should shop a while longer before you decide what to buy, eh? But the vial. Now, boys. She turned to Jason and Leo. Her voice was so much more powerful than Piper's, so full of confidence, Piper didn't stand a chance. Would you like to see more? Sure, Jason said. Okay, Leo said. Excellent, the princess said. You'll need all the help you can get if you're to make it to the Bay Area. Piper's hand moved to her dagger. She thought about her dream of the mountaintop. The scene Enceladus had shown her, a place she knew, where she was supposed to betray her friends in two days. The Bay Area, Piper said. Why the Bay Area? The princess smiled. Well, that's where they'll die, isn't it? Then she led them toward the escalators, Jason and Leo still looking excited to shop. Chapter 28 Piper Piper cornered the princess as Jason and Leo went off to check out the living fur coats. You want them shopping for their deaths? Piper demanded. Mmm. The princess blew dust off a display case of swords. I'm a seer, my dear. I know your little secret, but we don't want to dwell on that, do we? The boys are having such fun. 
Leo laughed as he tried on a hat that seemed to be made from enchanted raccoon fur. Its ringed tail twitched, and its little legs wiggled frantically as Leo walked. Jason was ogling the men's sportswear. Boys interested in shopping for clothes? A definite sign they were under an evil spell. Piper glared at the princess. Who are you? I told you, my dear. I'm the princess of Colchis. Where's Colchis? The princess's expression turned a little sad. Where was Colchis, you mean? My father ruled the far shores of the Black Sea, as far to the east as a Greek ship could sail in those days. But Colchis is no more, lost eons ago. Eons? Piper asked. The princess looked no more than fifty, but a bad feeling started settling over Piper. Something King Boreas had mentioned back in Quebec. How old are you? The princess laughed. A lady should avoid asking or answering that question. Let's just say the, uh, immigration process to enter your country took quite a while. My patron finally brought me through. She made all this possible. The princess swept her hand around the department store. Piper's mouth tasted like metal. Your patron? Oh, yes. She doesn't bring just anyone through, mind you. Only those who have special talents, such as me. And really, she insists on so little. A store entrance that must be underground so she can, uh, monitor my clientele? And a favor now and then. In exchange for a new life? Really, it was the best bargain I'd made in centuries. Run, Piper thought. We have to get out of here. But before she could even turn her thoughts into words, Jason called, Hey, check it out! From a rack labeled Distressed Clothing, he held up a purple T-shirt like the one he'd worn on the school field trip. Except this shirt looked as if it had been clawed by tigers. Jason frowned. Why does this look so familiar? Jason, it's like yours, Piper said. Now we really have to leave. But she wasn't sure he could even hear her anymore through the princess's enchantment. Nonsense, the princess said. The boys aren't done, are they? And yes, my dear. Those shirts are very popular. Trade-ins from previous customers. It suits you. Leo picked up an orange camp half-blood tee with a hole through the middle, as if it had been hit by a javelin. Next to that was a dented bronze breastplate pitted with corrosion. Acid, maybe? And a Roman toga slashed to pieces and stained with something that looked disturbingly like dried blood. Your Highness, Piper said, trying to control her nerves. Why don't you tell the boys how you betrayed your family? I'm sure they'd like to hear that story. Her words didn't have any effect on the princess, but the boys turned, suddenly interested. More story? Leo asked. I like more story, Jason agreed. The princess flashed Piper an irritated look. Oh... One will do strange things for love, Piper. You should know that.
I fell for that young hero, in fact, because your mother, Aphrodite, had me under a spell. If it wasn't for her, but I can't hold a grudge against a goddess, can I? The princess's tone made her meaning clear. I can take it out on you. But that hero took you with him when he fled Calchas, Piper remembered. Didn't he, your highness? He married you just as he promised. The look in the princess's eyes made Piper want to apologize, but she didn't back down. At first, her highness admitted, it seemed he would keep his word. But even after I helped him steal my father's treasure, he still needed my help. As we fled, my brother's fleet came after us. His warships overtook us. He would have destroyed us. But I convinced my brother to come aboard our ship first and talk under a flag of truce. He trusted me. And you killed your own brother, Piper said the horrible story all coming back to her, along with a name, an infamous name that began with the letter M. What? Jason stirred. For a moment, he looked almost like himself. Killed your own? No, the princess snapped. Those stories are lies. It was my new husband and his men who killed my brother, though they couldn't have done it without my deception. They threw his body into the sea, and the pursuing fleet had to stop and search for it so they could give my brother a proper burial. This gave us time to get away. All this I did for my husband, and he forgot our bargain. He betrayed me in the end. Jason still looked uncomfortable. What did he do? The princess held the sliced-up toga against Jason's chest, as if measuring him for an assassination. Don't you know the story, my boy? You, of all people, should. You were named for him. Jason, Piper said. The original Jason. But then you're... You should be dead. The princess smiled. As I said, a new life in a new country. Certainly I made mistakes. I turned my back on my own people. I was called a traitor, a thief, a liar, a murderess. But I acted out of love. She turned to the boys and gave them a pitiful look, batting her eyelashes. Piper could feel the sorcery washing over them, taking control more firmly than ever. Wouldn't you do the same for someone you loved, my dears? Oh, sure, Jason said. Okay, Leo said. Guys! Piper ground her teeth in frustration. Don't you see who she is? Don't you... Let's continue, shall we? The princess said breezily, I believe you wanted to talk about a price for the storm spirits and your satyr. Leo got distracted on the second floor with the appliances. No way, he said. Is that an armored forge? Before Piper could stop him, 
he hopped off the escalator and ran over to a big oval oven that looked like a barbecue on steroids. When they caught up with him, the princess said, You have good taste. This is the H2000, designed by Hephaestus himself. Hot enough to melt celestial bronze or imperial gold. Jason flinched as if he recognized that term. Imperial gold? The princess nodded. Yes, my dear. Like that weapon so cleverly concealed in your pocket. To be properly forged, imperial gold had to be consecrated in the Temple of Jupiter on Capitoline Hill in Rome. Quite a powerful and rare metal, but like the Roman emperors, quite volatile. Be sure never to break that blade. She smiled pleasantly. Rome was after my time, of course, but I do hear stories. And now, over here, this golden throne is one of my finest luxury items. Hephaestus made it as a punishment for his mother, Hera. Sit in it, and you'll be immediately trapped. Leo apparently took this as an order. He began walking toward it in a trance. Leo, don't, Piper warned. He blinked. How much for both? Oh, the seat I could let you have for five great deeds, the forge, seven years of servitude, and for only a bit of your strength. She led Leo into the appliance section, giving him prices on various items. Piper didn't want to leave him alone with her, but she had to try reasoning with Jason. She pulled him aside and slapped him across the face. Ow, he muttered sleepily. What was that for? Snap out of it, Piper hissed. What do you mean? She's charm-speaking you. Can't you feel it? He knit his eyebrows. She seems okay. She's not okay. She shouldn't even be alive. She was married to Jason, the other Jason, three thousand years ago. Remember what Boreas said, something about the souls no longer being confined to Hades? It's not just monsters who can't stay dead. She's come back from the underworld. Jason shook his head uneasily. She's not a ghost. No, she's worse. She's... Children! The princess was back with Leo in tow. If you please, we will now see what you came for. That is what you want, yes? Piper had to choke back a scream. She was tempted to pull out her dagger and take on this witch herself, but she didn't like her chances. Not in the middle of Her Highness's department store while her friends were under a spell. Piper couldn't even be sure they'd take her side in a fight. She had to figure out a better plan. They took the escalator down to the base of the fountain. For the first time, Piper noticed two large bronze sundials, each about the size of a trampoline, inlaid on the marble tile floor to the north and south of the fountain. The gilded oversized canary cages stood to the east and west, and the farthest one held the storm spirits. They were so densely packed, spinning around like a super-concentrated tornado, 
that Piper couldn't tell how many there were. Dozens, at least. Hey, Leo said. Coach Hedge looks okay. They ran to the nearest canary cage. The old satyr seemed to have been petrified at the moment he was sucked into the sky above the Grand Canyon. He was frozen mid-shout, his club raised over his head like he was ordering the gym class to drop and give him fifty. His curly hair stuck up at odd angles. If Piper just concentrated on certain details, the bright orange polo shirt, the wispy goatee, the whistle around his neck, she could imagine Coach Hedge as his good old annoying self. But it was hard to ignore the stubby horns on his head and the fact that he had furry goat legs and hooves instead of workout pants and Nikes. Yes, the princess said, I always keep my wares in good condition. We can certainly barter for the storm spirits and the satyr. A package deal, if we come to terms. I'll even throw in the vial of healing potion, and you can go in peace. She gave Piper a shrewd look. That's better than starting unpleasantness, isn't it, dear? Don't trust her, warned a voice in her head. If Piper was right about this lady's identity, nobody would be leaving in peace. A fair deal wasn't possible. It was all a trick. But her friends were looking at her, nodding urgently and mouthing, Say yes. Piper needed more time to think. We can negotiate, she said. Totally, Leo agreed. Name your price. Leo, Piper snapped. The princess chuckled. Name my price? Perhaps not the best haggling strategy, my boy, but at least you know a thing's value. Freedom is very valuable indeed. You would ask me to release this satyr who attacked my storm winds? Who attacked us, Piper interjected. Her highness shrugged. As I said, my patron asks me for small favors from time to time, sending the storm spirits to abduct you. That was one. I assure you it was nothing personal, and no harm done, as you came here in the end. Of your own free will. At any rate, you want the satyr freed, and you want my storm spirits, who are very valuable servants, by the way, so you can hand them over to that tyrant Aeolus. Doesn't seem quite fair, does it? The price will be high. Piper could see that her friends were ready to offer anything, promise anything, before they could speak, she played her last card. You're Medea, she said. You helped the original Jason steal the Golden Fleece. You're one of the most evil villains in Greek mythology. Jason, Leo, don't trust her. Piper put all the intensity she could gather into those words. She was utterly sincere, and it seemed to have some effect. Jason stepped away from the sorceress. Leo scratched his head and looked around like he was coming out of a dream. What are we doing again? 
Boys! The princess spread her hands in a welcoming gesture. Her diamond jewelry glittered, and her painted fingers curled like blood-tipped claws. It's true. I'm Medea. But I'm so misunderstood. Oh, Piper, my dear, you don't know what it was like for women in the old days. We had no power, no leverage. Often, we couldn't even choose our own husbands. But I was different. I chose my own destiny by becoming a sorceress. Is that so wrong? I made a pact with Jason. My help to win the fleece in exchange for his love. A fair deal. He became a famous hero. Without me, he would have died unknown on the shores of Colchis. Jason, Piper's Jason, scowled. Then you really did die three thousand years ago? You came back from the underworld? Death no longer holds me, young hero. Medea said, thanks to my patron, I am flesh and blood again. You reformed? Leo blinked. Like a monster? Medea spread her fingers, and steam hissed from her nails, like water splashed on hot iron. You have no idea what's happening, do you, my dears? It is so much worse than a stirring of monsters from Tartarus. My patron knows that giants and monsters are not her greatest servants. I am mortal. I learn from my mistakes. And now that I have returned to the living, I will not be cheated again. Now, here is my price for what you ask. Guys, Piper said, the original Jason left Medea because she was crazy and bloodthirsty. Lies, Medea said. On the way back from Colchis, Jason's ship landed at another kingdom, and Jason agreed to dump Medea and marry the king's daughter. After I bore him two children, Medea said. Still he broke his promise. I ask you, was that right? Jason and Leo dutifully shook their heads, but Piper wasn't through. It may not have been right, she said, but neither was Medea's revenge. She murdered her own children to get back at Jason. She poisoned his new wife and fled the kingdom. Medea snarled, an invention to ruin my reputation. The people of Corinth, that unruly mob, killed my children and drove me out. Jason did nothing to protect me. He robbed me of everything. So, yes, I sneaked back into the palace and poisoned his lovely new bride. It was only fair. A suitable price. You're insane, Piper said. I am the victim, Medea wailed. I died with my dreams shattered, but no longer. I know now not to trust heroes. When they come asking for treasures, they will pay a heavy price, especially when the one asking has the name of Jason. The fountain turned bright red. Piper drew her dagger, but her hand was shaking almost too badly to hold it. Jason? Leo? 
It's time to go. Now. Before you've closed the deal, Medea asked, what of your quest, boys? And my price is so easy. Did you know this fountain is magic? If a dead man were to be thrown into it, even if he was chopped to pieces, he would pop back out fully formed, stronger and more powerful than ever. Seriously? Leo asked. Leo, she's lying, Piper said. She did that trick with somebody before, a king, I think. She convinced his daughters to cut him to pieces so he could come out of the water young and healthy again, but it just killed him. Ridiculous, Medea said, and Piper could hear the power charged in every syllable. Leo, Jason... My price is so simple. Why don't you two fight? If you get injured or even killed, no problem. We'll just throw you into the fountain and you'll be better than ever. You do want to fight, don't you? You resent each other. Guys, no, Piper said but they were already glaring at each other, as if it was just dawning on them how they really felt. Piper had never felt more helpless. Now she understood what real sorcery looked like. She'd always thought magic meant wands and fireballs, but this was worse. Medea didn't just rely on poisons and potions. Her most potent weapon was her voice. Leo scowled. Jason's always the star. He always gets the attention and takes me for granted. You're annoying, Leo, Jason said. You never take anything seriously. You can't even fix a dragon. Stop, Piper pleaded. But both drew weapons. Jason his gold sword and Leo a hammer from his tool belt. Let them go, Piper, Medea urged. I'm doing you a favor. Let it happen now, and it will make your choice so much easier. Enceladus will be pleased. You could have your father back today. Medea's charm speak didn't work on her, but the sorceress still had a persuasive voice. Her father back today? Despite her best intentions, Piper wanted that. She wanted her father back so much, it hurt. You work for Enceladus, she said. Medea laughed. Serve a giant? No. But we all serve the same greater cause, a patron you cannot begin to challenge. Walk away, child of Aphrodite. This does not have to be your death, too. Save yourself and your father can go free. Leo and Jason were still facing off, ready to fight, but they looked unsteady and confused, waiting for another order. Part of them had to be resisting, Piper hoped. This went completely against their nature. Listen to me, girl. Medea plucked a diamond off her bracelet and threw it into a spray of water from the fountain. As it passed through the multicolored light, Medea said, Oh, Iris, goddess of the rainbow, show me the office of Tristan McLean. 
The mist shimmered, and Piper saw her father's study. Sitting behind his desk, talking on the phone, was her dad's assistant, Jane. In her dark business suit, her hair swirled in a tight bun. Hello, Jane, Medea said. Jane hung up the phone calmly. How can I help you, ma'am? Hello, Piper. You! Piper was so angry she could hardly talk. Yes, child, Medea said. Your father's assistant. Quite easy to manipulate. An organized mind for a mortal, but incredibly weak. Thank you, ma'am, Jane said. Don't mention it, Medea said. I just wanted to congratulate you, Jane. Getting Mr. McLean to leave town so suddenly, take his jet to Oakland without alerting the press or the police. Well done. No one seems to know where he's gone. And telling him his daughter's life was on the line, that was a nice touch to get his cooperation. Yes, Jane agreed in a bland tone, as if she were sleepwalking. He was quite cooperative when he believed Piper was in danger. Piper looked down at her dagger. The blade trembled in her hand. She couldn't use it for a weapon any better than Helen of Troy could. But it was still a looking glass, and what she saw in it was a scared girl with no chance of winning. I may have new orders for you, Jane, Medea said. If the girl cooperates, it may be time for Mr. McLean to come home. Would you arrange a suitable cover story for his absence, just in case? And I imagine the poor man will need some time in a psychiatric hospital. Yes, ma'am, I will stand by. The image faded, and Medea turned to Piper. There, you see. You lured my dad into a trap, Piper said. You helped the giant. Oh, please, dear. You'll work yourself into a fit. I've been preparing for this war for years, even before I was brought back to life. I'm a seer, as I said. I can tell the future as well as your little oracle. Years ago, still suffering in the fields of punishment, I had a vision of the seven in your so-called great prophecy. I saw your friend Leo here and saw that he would be an important enemy some day. I stirred the consciousness of my patron, gave her this information, and she managed to wake just a little, just enough to visit him. Leo's mother, Piper said. Leo, listen to this. She helped get your mother killed. Uh-huh, Leo mumbled in a daze. He frowned at his hammer. So, I just attacked Jason? That's okay? Perfectly safe, Medea promised. And Jason, strike him hard. Show me you are worthy of your namesake. No, Piper ordered. She knew it was her last chance. Jason, Leo, she's tricking you. Put down your weapons. 
The sorceress rolled her eyes. Please, girl, you're no match for me. I trained with my aunt, the immortal Circe. I can drive men mad or heal them with my voice. What hope do these puny young heroes have against me? Now, boys, kill each other. Jason, Leo, listen to me. Piper put all of her emotion into her voice. For years, she'd been trying to control herself and not show weakness. But now she poured everything into her words, her fear, her desperation, her anger. She knew she might be signing her dad's death warrant, but she cared too much about her friends to let them hurt each other. Medea is charming you. It's part of her magic. You are best friends. Don't fight each other. Fight her. They hesitated. And Piper could feel the spell shatter. Jason blinked. Leo, was I just about to stab you? Something about my mother. Leo frowned, then turned toward Medea. You, you're working for Dirt Woman. You sent her to the machine shop. He lifted his arm. Lady, I got a three-pound hammer with your name on it. Bah, Medea sneered. I'll simply collect payment another way. She pressed one of the mosaic tiles on the floor, and the building rumbled. Jason swung his sword at Medea, but she dissolved into smoke and reappeared at the base of the escalator. You're slow, hero. She laughed. Take your frustration out on my pets. Before Jason could go after her, the giant bronze sundials at either end of the fountain swung open. Two snarling gold beasts, flesh and blood-winged dragons, crawled out from the pits below. Each was the size of a camper van, maybe not large compared to Festus, but large enough. So that's what's in the kennels, Leo said meekly. The dragons spread their wings and hissed. Piper could feel the heat coming off their glittering skin. One turned his angry orange eyes on her. Don't look them in the eye, Jason warned. They'll paralyze you. Indeed. Medea was leisurely riding the escalator up, leaning against the handrail as she watched the fun. These two dears have been with me a long time. Sun dragons, you know, gifts from my grandfather Helios. They pulled my chariot when I left Corinth, and now they will be your destruction. Ta-ta! The dragons lunged. Leo and Jason charged to intercept. Piper was amazed how fearlessly the boys attacked, working like a team who had trained together for years. Medea was almost to the second floor, where she'd be able to choose from a wide assortment of deadly appliances. Oh, no, you don't, Piper growled and took off after her. When Medea spotted Piper, she started climbing in earnest. She was quick for a three thousand year old lady. Piper climbed at top speed, taking the steps three at a time, and still she couldn't catch her. Medea didn't stop at floor two. She hopped the next escalator and continued to ascend. The potions, Piper thought. Of course that's what she would go for. 
She was famous for potions. Down below, Piper heard the battle raging. Leo was blowing his safety whistle, and Jason was yelling to keep the dragon's attention. Piper didn't dare look, not while she was running with a dagger in her hand. She could just see herself tripping and stabbing herself in the nose. That would be super heroic. She grabbed a shield from an armor mannequin on floor three and continued to climb. She imagined Coach Hedge yelling in her mind, just like back in gym class at wilderness school. Move it, McLean! You call that escalator climbing? She reached the top floor, breathing hard, but she was too late. Medea had reached the potions counter. The sorceress grabbed a swan-shaped vial, the blue one that caused painful death, and Piper did the only thing that came to mind. She threw her shield. Medea turned triumphantly just in time to get hit in the chest by a fifty-pound metal frisbee. She stumbled backward, crashing over the counter, breaking vials and knocking down shelves. When the sorceress stood from the wreckage, her dress was stained a dozen different colors. Many of the stains were smoldering and glowing. Fool! Medea wailed. Do you have any idea what so many potions will do when mixed? Kill you? Piper said hopefully. The carpet began to steam around Medea's feet. She coughed and her face contorted in pain. Or was she faking? Below, Leo called, Jason, help! Piper risked a quick look and almost sobbed in despair. One of the dragons had Leo pinned to the floor. It was baring its fangs, ready to snap. Jason was all the way across the room battling the other dragon, much too far away to assist. You've doomed us all, Medea screamed. Smoke was rolling across the carpet as the stain spread, throwing sparks and setting fires in the clothing racks. You have only seconds before this concoction consumes everything and destroys the building. There's no time. Crash. The stained glass ceiling splintered in a rain of multicolored shards, and Festus the bronze dragon dropped into the department store. He hurtled into the fray, snatching up a sun dragon in each claw. Only now did Piper appreciate just how big and strong their metal friend was. That's my boy, Leo yelled. Festus flew halfway up in the atrium, then hurled the sun dragons into the pits they'd come from. Leo raced to the fountain and pressed the marble tile, closing the sundials. They shuddered as the dragons banged against them, trying to get out, but for the moment they were contained. Medea cursed in some ancient language. The whole fourth floor was on fire now. The air filled with noxious gas. Even with the roof open, Piper could feel the heat intensifying. She backed up to the edge of the railing, keeping her dagger pointed toward Medea. I will not be abandoned again, the sorceress knelt and snatched up the red healing potion, which had somehow survived the crash. You want your boyfriend's memory restored? Take me with you. Piper glanced behind her. Leo and Jason were on board Festus's back. The bronze dragon flapped his mighty wings, snatched the two cages with the satyr and the storm spirits in his claws, and began to ascend. The building rumbled. 
Fire and smoke curled up the walls, melting the railings, turning the air to acid. You'll never survive your quest without me, Medea growled. Your boy hero will stay ignorant forever, and your father will die. Take me with you. For one heartbeat, Piper was tempted. Then she saw Medea's grim smile. The sorceress was confident in her powers of persuasion, confident that she could always make a deal, always escape and win in the end. Not today, witch. Piper jumped over the side. She plummeted for only a second before Leo and Jason caught her, hauling her aboard the dragon. She heard Medea screaming in rage as they soared through the broken roof and over downtown Chicago. Then the department store exploded behind them. Chapter 29 Leo Leo kept looking back. He half expected to see those nasty sun dragons toting a flying chariot with a screaming magical saleswoman throwing potions. But nothing followed them. He steered the dragon toward the southwest. Eventually, the smoke from the burning department store faded in the distance, but Leo didn't relax until the suburbs of Chicago gave way to snowy fields and the sun began to set. Good job, Festus. He patted the dragon's metal hide. You did awesome. The dragon shuddered. Gears popped and clicked in his neck. Leo frowned. He didn't like those noises. If the control disc was failing again... No, hopefully it was something minor, something he could fix. I'll give you a tune-up next time we land, Leo promised. You've earned some motor oil and Tabasco sauce. Festus whirled his teeth, but even that sounded weak. He flew at a steady pace, his great wings angling to catch the wind, but he was carrying a heavy load. Two cages in his claws, plus three people on his back. The more Leo thought about it, the more worried he got. Even metal dragons had limits. Leo, Piper patted his shoulder. You feeling okay? Yeah, not bad for a brainwashed zombie. He hoped he didn't look as embarrassed as he felt. Thanks for saving us back there, beauty queen. If you hadn't talked me out of that spell... Don't worry about it, Piper said. But Leo worried a lot. He felt terrible about how easily Medea had set him against his best friend. And those feelings hadn't come from nowhere. His resentment of the way Jason always got the spotlight and didn't really seem to need him. Leo did feel that way sometimes, even if he wasn't proud of it. What bothered him more was the news about his mom. Medea had seen the future down in the underworld. That was how her patron, the woman in the black earthen robes, had come to the machine shop seven years ago to scare him, ruin his life. That's how his mother had died, because of something Leo might do someday. So in a weird way, even if his firepowers weren't to blame, mom's death was still his fault. When they had left Medea in that exploding store, Leo had felt a little too good. He hoped she wouldn't make it out. 
and would go right back to the fields of punishment where she belonged. Those feelings didn't make him proud either. And if souls were coming back from the underworld, was it possible Leo's mom could be brought back? He tried to put the idea aside. That was Frankenstein thinking. It wasn't natural. It wasn't right. Medea might have been brought back to life, but she hadn't seemed quite human, with the hissing nails and the glowing head and whatnot. No, Leo's mom had passed on. Thinking any other way would just drive Leo nuts. Still, the thought kept poking at him, like an echo of Medea's voice. We're going to have to put down soon, he warned his friends. Couple more hours, maybe, to make sure Medea's not following us. I don't think Festus can fly much longer than that. Yeah, Piper agreed. Coach Hedge probably wants to get out of his canary cage, too. Question is, where are we going? The Bay Area, Leo guessed. His memories of the department store were fuzzy, but he seemed to remember hearing that. Didn't Medea say something about Oakland? Piper didn't respond for so long. Leo wondered if he'd said something wrong. Piper's dad, Jason put in. Something's happened to your dad, right? He got lured into some kind of trap. Piper let out a shaky breath. Look, Medea said you would both die in the Bay Area. And besides, even if we went there, the Bay Area is huge. First, we need to find Aeolus and drop off the storm spirits. Boreas said Aeolus was the only one who could tell us exactly where to go. Leo grunted. So how do we find Aeolus? Jason leaned forward. You mean you don't see it? He pointed ahead of them, but Leo didn't see anything except clouds and the lights of a few towns glowing in the dusk. What? Leo asked. That. Whatever it is, Jason said. In the air. Leo glanced back. Piper looked just as confused as he was. Right, Leo said. Could you be more specific on the whatever-it-is part? Like a vapor trail, Jason said. Except it's glowing. Really faint, but it's definitely there. We've been following it since Chicago, so I figured you saw it. Leo shook his head. Maybe Festus can sense it. You think Aeolus made it? Well, it's a magic trail in the wind, Jason said. Aeolus is the wind god. I think he knows we've got prisoners for him. He's telling us where to fly. Or it's another trap, Piper said. Her tone worried Leo. She didn't just sound nervous. She sounded broken with despair, like they'd already sealed their fate, and like it was her fault. Pipes... You all right? he asked. Don't call me that. Okay, fine. You don't like any of the names I make up for you, but if your dad's in trouble and we can help... You can't, she said, her voice getting shakier. Look, I'm tired. If you don't mind... She leaned back against Jason and closed her eyes. All right, Leo thought, pretty clear signal she didn't want to talk. They flew in silence for a while. Festus seemed to know where he was going. 
He kept his course, gently curving toward the southwest and hopefully Eolus's fortress. Another wind god to visit, a whole new flavor of crazy. Oh boy, Leo couldn't wait. He had way too much on his mind to sleep, but now that he was out of danger, his body had different ideas. His energy level was crashing. The monotonous beat of the dragon's wings made his eyes feel heavy. His head started to nod. Catch a few Z's, Jason said. It's cool. Hand me the reins. Nah, I'm okay. Leo, Jason said. You're not a machine. Besides, I'm the only one who can see the vapor trail. I'll make sure we stay on course. Leo's eyes started to close on their own. All right. Maybe just... He didn't finish the sentence before slumping forward against the dragon's warm neck. In his dream, he heard a voice, full of static, like a bad AM radio. Hello? Is this thing working? Leo's vision came into focus. Sort of. Everything was hazy and gray, with bands of interference running across his sight. He'd never dreamed with a bad connection before. He seemed to be in a workshop. Out of the corners of his eyes, he saw bench saws, metal lathes, and tool cages. A forge glowed cheerfully against one wall. It wasn't the camp forge, too big. Not Bunker 9, much warmer and more comfortable, obviously not abandoned. Then Leo realized something was blocking the middle of his view, something large and fuzzy, and so close. Leo had to cross his eyes to see it properly. It was a large, ugly face. Holy mother, he yelped. The face backed away and came into focus. Staring down at him was a bearded man in grimy blue coveralls. His face was lumpy and covered with welts, as if he'd been bitten by a million bees or dragged across gravel. Possibly both. Humph, the man said. Holy father, boy. I should think you'd know the difference. Leo blinked. Hephaestus? Being in the presence of his father for the first time, Leo probably should have been speechless or awestruck or something. But after what he'd been through the last couple of days, with Cyclopes and a sorceress and a face in the potty sludge, all Leo felt was a surge of complete annoyance. Now you show up? he demanded. After fifteen years? Great parenting, Furface. Where do you get off sticking your ugly nose into my dreams? The god raised an eyebrow. A little spark caught fire in his beard. Then he threw back his head and laughed so loudly, the tools rattled on the workbenches. You sound just like your mother, Hephaestus said. I miss Esperanza. She's been dead seven years, Leo's voice trembled. Not that you care. Well, I do care, boy, about both of you. Uh-huh, which is why I never saw you before today. The god made a rumbling sound in his throat, but he looked more uncomfortable than angry. He pulled a miniature motor from his pocket and began fiddling absently with the pistons, just the way Leo did when he was nervous. 
I'm not good with children, the god confessed. Or people. Well, any organic life forms, really. I thought about speaking to you at your mom's funeral. Then again, when you were in fifth grade. That science project you made. Steam-powered chicken chucker. Very impressive. You saw that? Hephaestus pointed to the nearest work table, where a shiny bronze mirror showed a hazy image of Leo asleep on the dragon's back. Is that me? Leo asked. Like, me right now? Having this dream? Looking at me having a dream? Hephaestus scratched his beard. Now you've confused me. But, yes, it's you. I'm always keeping an eye on you, Leo. But talking to you is, um, different. You're scared, Leo said. Cromets and gears, the god yelled. Of course not. Yeah, you're scared. But Leo's anger seeped away. He'd spent years thinking about what he'd say to his dad if they ever met. How Leo would chew him out for being a deadbeat. Now, looking at that bronze mirror, Leo thought about his dad watching his progress over the years, even his stupid science experiments. Maybe Hephaestus was still a jerk, but Leo kind of understood where he was coming from. Leo knew about running away from people, not fitting in. He knew about hiding out in a workshop rather than trying to deal with organic life forms. So, Leo grumbled, you keep track of all your kids? You got like twelve back at camp. How'd you even... Never mind. I don't want to know. Hephaestus might have blushed, but his face was so beat up and red, it was hard to tell. Gods are different from mortals, boy. We can exist in many places at once. Wherever people call on us. Wherever our sphere of influence is strong. In fact, it's rare our entire essence is ever together in one place. Our true form. It's dangerous. Powerful enough to destroy any mortal who looks upon us. So yes, lots of children. Add to that our different aspects. Greek and Roman. The god's fingers froze on his engine project. Or, that is to say, being a god is complicated. And yes... I try to keep an eye on all my children, but you especially. Leo was pretty sure Hephaestus had almost slipped and said something important, but he wasn't sure what. Why contact me now? Leo asked. I thought the gods had gone silent. We have, Hephaestus grumped. Zeus is orders. Very strange, even for him. He's blocked all visions, dreams, and iris messages to and from Olympus. Hermes is sitting around bored out of his mind because he can't deliver the mail. Fortunately, I kept my old pirate broadcasting equipment. Hephaestus patted a machine on the table. It looked like a combination satellite dish, V6 engine, and espresso maker. Each time Hephaestus jostled the machine, Leo's dream flickered and changed color. Use this in the Cold War, the god said fondly. Radio-free Hephaestus. Those were the days. I keep it around for pay-per-view, mostly. 
or making viral brain videos. Viral brain videos? But now it's come in handy again. If Zeus knew I was contacting you, he'd have my hide. Why is Zeus being such a jerk? Huff, <laughs> he excels at that boy. Hephaestus called him boy, as if Leo were an annoying machine part, an extra washer, maybe, that had no clear purpose, but that Hephaestus didn't want to throw away for fear he might need it someday. Not exactly heartwarming. Then again, Leo wasn't sure he wanted to be called son. Leo wasn't about to start calling this big, awkward, ugly guy dad. Hephaestus got tired of his engine and tossed it over his shoulder, before it could hit the floor, it sprouted helicopter wings and flew itself into a recycling bin. It was the Second Titan War, I suppose, Hephaestus said. That's what got Zeus upset. We gods were, well, embarrassed. Don't think there's any other way to say it. But you won, Leo said. The god grunted. We won because the demigods of... Again, he hesitated, as if he'd almost made a slip. Of Camp Half-Blood took the lead. We won because our children fought our battles for us, smarter than we did. If we'd relied on Zeus's plan, we would have all gone down to Tartarus fighting the storm giant Typhon, and Cronus would have won. Had enough mortals won our war for us, but then that young upstart Percy Jackson. The guy who's missing. <laughs> yes, him. He had the nerve to turn down our offer of immortality and tell us to pay better attention to our children. Er, no offense. Oh, how could I take offense? Please, go on ignoring me. Mighty understanding of you. Hephaestus frowned then sighed wearily. That was sarcasm, wasn't it? Machines don't have sarcasm, usually. But as I was saying, the gods felt ashamed, shown up by mortals. At first, of course, we were grateful. But after a few months, those feelings turned bitter. We're gods, after all. We need to be admired, looked up to, held in awe and admiration. Even if you're wrong? Especially then. And to have Jackson refuse our gift, as if being mortal was somehow better than being a god. Well, that stuck in Zeus's craw. He decided it was high time we got back to traditional values. Gods were to be respected. Our children were to be seen and not visited. Olympus was closed. At least... That was part of his reasoning. And, of course, we started hearing of bad things stirring under the earth. The giants, you mean. Monsters reforming instantly. The dead rising again. Little stuff like that. Aye, boy. Hephaestus turned a knob on his pirate broadcasting machine. Leo's dream sharpened to full color but the god's face was such a riot of red welts and yellow and black bruises, Leo wished it would go back to black and white. Zeus thinks he can reverse the tide, the god said. Lull the earth back to sleep as long as we stay quiet. 
None of us really believes that. And I don't mind saying we're in no shape to fight another war. We barely survived the Titans. If we're repeating the old pattern, what comes next is even worse. The giants, Leo said. Hera said demigods and gods had to join forces to defeat them. Is that true? Hmm. I hate to agree with my mother about anything. But yes, those giants are tough to kill, boy. They're a different breed. Breed? You make them sound like racehorses. Ha, huh, the god said. More like war dogs. Back in the beginning, you see, everything in creation came from the same parents, Gia and Uranus, Earth and Sky. They had their different batches of children, your Titans, your Elder Cyclopes, and so forth. Then Kronos, the head Titan. Well, you've probably heard how he chopped up his father Uranus with a scythe and took over the world. Then we gods came along, children of the Titans, and defeated them. But that wasn't the end of it. The Earth bore a new batch of children, except they were sired by Tartarus, the spirit of the eternal abyss, the darkest, most evil place in the underworld. Those children, the giants, were bred for one purpose— Revenge on us for the fall of the Titans. They rose up to destroy Olympus, and they came awfully close. Hephaestus's beard began to smolder. He absently swatted out the flames. What my blasted mother Hera is doing now, she's a meddling fool playing a dangerous game. But she's right about one thing. You demigods have to unite. That's the only way to open Zeus's eyes. Convince the Olympians they must accept your help. And that's the only way to defeat what's coming. You're a big part of that, Leo. The god's gaze seemed far away. Leo wondered if he really could split himself into different parts. Where else was he right now? Maybe his Greek side was fixing a car or going on a date, while his Roman side was watching a ball game and ordering pizza. Leo tried to imagine what it would feel like to have multiple personalities. He hoped it wasn't hereditary. Why me? he asked. And as soon as he said it, more questions flooded out. Why claim me now? Why not when I was thirteen, like you're supposed to? Or you could have claimed me at seven, before my mom died. Why didn't you find me earlier? Why didn't you warn me about this? Leo's hand burst into flames. Hephaestus regarded him sadly. Hardest part, boy. Letting my children walk their own paths. Interfering doesn't work. The fates make sure of that. As for the claiming, you were a special case, boy. The timing had to be right. I can't explain it much more, but... Leo's dream went fuzzy. Just for a moment, it turned into a rerun of Wheel of Fortune. Then Hephaestus came back into focus. Blast, he said. I can't talk much longer. Zeus is sensing an illegal dream. He is lord of the air, after all, including the air waves. Just listen, boy. 
You have a role to play. Your friend Jason is right. Fire is a gift, not a curse. I don't give that blessing to just anyone. They'll never defeat the giants without you, much less the mistress they serve. She's worse than any god or titan. Who? Leo demanded. Hephaestus frowned, his image becoming fuzzier. I told you. Yes, I'm pretty sure I told you. Just be warned. Along the way, you're going to lose some friends and some valuable tools. But that isn't your fault, Leo. Nothing lasts forever. Not even the best machines. And everything can be reused. What do you mean? I don't like the sound of that. No, you shouldn't. Hephaestus's image was barely visible now, just a blob in the static. Just watch out for... Leo's dream switched to Wheel of Fortune just as the wheel hit bankrupt and the audience said, Aww. Then Leo snapped awake to Jason and Piper screaming. Chapter 30 Leo They spiraled through the darkness in a freefall, still on the dragon's back, but Festus's hide was cold. His ruby eyes were dim. Not again, Leo yelled. You can't fall again. He could barely hold on. The wind stung his eyes, but he managed to pull open the panel on the dragon's neck. He toggled the switches. He tugged the wires. The dragon's wings flapped once, but Leo caught a whiff of burning bronze. The drive system was overloaded. Festus didn't have the strength to keep flying, and Leo couldn't get to the main control panel on the dragon's head. Not in midair. He saw the lights of a city below them, just flashes in the dark as they plummeted in circles. They had only seconds before they crashed. Jason, he screamed, take Piper and fly out of here. What? We need to lighten the load. I might be able to reboot Festus, but he's carrying too much weight. What about you? Piper cried. If you can't reboot him, I'll be fine, Leo yelled. Just follow me to the ground. Go! Jason grabbed Piper around the waist. They both unbuckled their harnesses, and in a flash, they were gone, shooting into the air. Now, Leo said, just you and me, Festus, and two heavy cages. You can do it, boy. Leo talked to the dragon while he worked, falling at terminal velocity. He could see the city lights below him, getting closer and closer. He summoned fire in his hand so he could see what he was doing, but the wind kept extinguishing it. He pulled a wire that he thought connected the dragon's nerve center to its head, hoping for a little wake-up jolt. Festus groaned, metal creaking inside his neck. His eyes flickered weakly to life, and he spread his wings. Their fall turned into a steep glide. Good, Leo said. Come on, big boy, come on. They were still flying in way too hot, and the ground was too close. Leo needed a place to land, fast. There was a big river. No, not good for a fire-breathing dragon. He'd never get Festus out from the bottom if he sank, 
especially in freezing temperatures. Then on the riverbanks, Leo spotted a white mansion with a huge snowy lawn inside a tall brick perimeter fence, like some rich person's private compound, all of it blazing with light, a perfect landing field. He did his best to steer the dragon toward it, and Festus seemed to come back to life. They could make this. Then everything went wrong. As they approached the lawn, spotlights along the fence fixed on them, blinding Leo. He heard bursts like tracer fire, the sounds of metal being cut to shreds, and boom. Leo blacked out. When Leo came to his senses, Jason and Piper were leaning over him. He was lying in the snow, covered in mud and grease. He spit a clump of frozen grass out of his mouth. Where? Lie still. Piper had tears in her eyes. You rolled pretty hard when... When Festus... Where is he? Leo sat up, but his head felt like it was floating. They'd landed inside the compound. Something had happened on the way in. Gunfire? Seriously, Leo, Jason said. You could be hurt. You shouldn't. Leo pushed himself to his feet. Then he saw the wreckage. Festus must have dropped the big canary cages as he came over the fence, because they'd rolled in different directions and landed on their sides, perfectly undamaged. Festus hadn't been so lucky. The dragon had disintegrated. His limbs were scattered across the lawn. His tail hung on the fence. The main section of his body had plowed a trench twenty feet wide and fifty feet long across the mansion's yard before breaking apart. What remained of his hide was a charred, smoking pile of scraps. Only his neck and head were somewhat intact, resting across a row of frozen rose bushes like a pillow. No, Leo sobbed. He ran to the dragon's head and stroked its snout. The dragon's eyes flickered weakly. Oil leaked out of his ear. You can't go, Leo pleaded. You're the best thing I ever fixed. The dragon's head whirred its gears as if it were purring. Jason and Piper stood next to him, but Leo kept his eyes fixed on the dragon. He remembered what Hephaestus had said. That isn't your fault, Leo. Nothing lasts forever. Not even the best machines. His dad had been trying to warn him. It's not fair, he said. The dragon clicked. Long creak. Two short clicks. Creak, creak. Almost like a pattern triggering an old memory in Leo's mind. Leo realized Festus was trying to say something. He was using Morse code just like Leo's mom had taught him years ago. Leo listened more intently, translating the clicks into letters, a simple message repeating over and over. Yeah, Leo said. I understand. I will. I promise. The dragon's eyes went dark. Festus was gone. Leo cried. He wasn't even embarrassed. His friends stood on either side,
patting his shoulders, saying comforting things. But the buzzing in Leo's ears drowned out their words. Finally, Jason said, I'm so sorry, man. What did you promise Festus? Leo sniffled. He opened the dragon's head panel, just to be sure, but the control disc was cracked and burned beyond repair. Something my dad told me, Leo said. Everything can be reused. Your dad talked to you? Jason asked. When was this? Leo didn't answer. He worked at the dragon's neck hinges until the head was detached. It weighed about a hundred pounds, but Leo managed to hold it in his arms. He looked up at the starry sky and said, Take him back to the bunker, Dad. Please, until I can reuse him. I've never asked you for anything. The wind picked up, and the dragon's head floated out of Leo's arms like it weighed nothing. It flew into the sky and disappeared. Piper looked at him in amazement. He answered you? I had a dream, Leo managed. Tell you later. He knew he owed his friends a better explanation, but Leo could barely speak. He felt like a broken machine himself, like someone had removed one little part of him, and now he'd never be complete. He might move, he might talk, he might keep going and do his job, but he'd always be off-balance, never calibrated exactly right. Still, he couldn't afford to break down completely. Otherwise, Festus had died for nothing. He had to finish this quest. For his friends. For his mom. For his dragon. He looked around. The large white mansion glowed in the center of the grounds. Tall brick walls with lights and security cameras surrounded the perimeter. But now Leo could see, or rather sense, just how well those walls were defended. Where are we? he asked. I mean, what city? Omaha, Nebraska, Piper said. I saw a billboard as we flew in, but I don't know what this mansion is. We came in right behind you, but as you were landing, Leo, I swear it looked like... I don't know. Lasers, Leo said. He picked up a piece of dragon wreckage and threw it toward the top of the fence. Immediately, a turret popped up from the brick wall and a beam of pure heat incinerated the bronze plating to ashes. Jason whistled. Some defense system? How are we even alive? Festus, Leo said miserably. He took the fire. The lasers sliced him to bits as he came in so they didn't focus on you. I led him into a death trap. You couldn't have known, Piper said. He saved our lives again. But what now, Jason said. The main gates are locked, and I'm guessing I can't fly us out of here without getting shot down. Leo looked up the walkway at the big white mansion. Since we can't go out, we'll have to go in. Chapter 31 Jason Jason would have died five times on the way to the front door if not for Leo. First, it was the motion-activated trap door on the sidewalk. 
then the lasers on the steps, then the nerve gas dispenser on the porch railing, the pressure-sensitive poison spikes in the welcome mat, and, of course, the exploding doorbell. Leo deactivated all of them. It was like he could smell the traps, and he picked just the right tool out of his belt to disable them. You're amazing, man, Jason said. Leo scowled as he examined the front door lock. Yeah, amazing, he said. Can't fix a dragon right, but I'm amazing. Hey, that wasn't your... Front door's already unlocked, Leo announced. Piper stared at the door in disbelief. It is? All those traps and the doors unlocked? Leo turned the knob. The door swung open easily. He stepped inside without hesitation. Before Jason could follow, Piper caught his arm. He's going to need some time to get over Festus. Don't take it personally. Yeah, Jason said. Yeah, okay. But still, he felt terrible. Back in Medea's store, he'd said some pretty harsh stuff to Leo. Stuff a friend shouldn't say. Not to mention the fact he'd almost skewered Leo with a sword. If it hadn't been for Piper, they'd both be dead. And Piper hadn't gotten out of that encounter easily either. Piper, he said, I know I was in a daze back in Chicago, but that stuff about your dad, if he's in trouble, I want to help. I don't care if it's a trap or not. Her eyes were always different colors, but now they looked shattered, as if she'd seen something she just couldn't cope with. Jason, you don't know what you're saying. Please, don't make me feel worse. Come on, we should stick together. She ducked inside. Together, Jason said to himself. Yeah, we're doing great with that. Jason's first impression of the house? Dark. From the echo of his footsteps, he could tell the entry hall was enormous, even bigger than Boreas's penthouse. But the only illumination came from the yard lights outside. A faint glow peeked through the breaks in the thick velvet curtains. The windows rose about ten feet tall. Spaced between them along the walls were life-size metal statues. As Jason's eyes adjusted, he saw sofas arranged in a U in the middle of the room, with a central coffee table and one large chair at the far end. A massive chandelier glinted overhead. Along the back wall stood a row of closed doors. Where's the light switch? His voice echoed alarmingly through the room. Don't see one, Leo said. Fire? Piper suggested. Leo held out his hand, but nothing happened. It's not working. Your fire is out? Why? Piper asked. Well, if I knew that... Okay, okay, she said. What do we do? Explore? Leo shook his head. After all those traps outside? Bad idea. Jason's skin tingled. He hated being a demigod. Looking around, he didn't see a comfortable room to hang out in. He imagined vicious storm spirits lurking in the curtains, dragons under the carpet, a chandelier made of lethal ice shards, ready to impale them. Leo's right, he said. We're not separating again. Not like in Detroit. 
Oh, thank you for reminding me of the Cyclopes. Piper's voice quavered. I needed that. It's a few hours until dawn, Jason guessed. Too cold to wait outside. Let's bring the cages in and make camp in this room. Wait for daylight. Then we can decide what to do. Nobody offered a better idea. So they rolled in the cages with Coach Hedge and the Storm Spirits, then settled in. Thankfully, Leo didn't find any poison throw pillows or electric whoopee cushions on the sofas. Leo didn't seem in the mood to make more tacos. Besides, they had no fire, so they settled for cold rations. As Jason ate, he studied the metal statues along the walls. They looked like Greek gods or heroes. Maybe that was a good sign. Or maybe they were used for target practice. On the coffee table sat a tea service and a stack of glossy brochures, but Jason couldn't make out the words. The big chair at the other end of the table looked like a throne. None of them tried to sit in it. The canary cages didn't make the place any less creepy. The venti kept churning in their prison, hissing and spinning, and Jason got the uncomfortable feeling they were watching him. He could sense their hatred for the children of Zeus, the lord of the sky who'd ordered Aeolus to imprison their kind. The venti would like nothing better than to tear Jason apart. As for Coach Hedge, he was still frozen mid-shout, his cudgel raised. Leo was working on the cage, trying to open it with various tools, but the lock seemed to be giving him a hard time. Jason decided not to sit next to him in case Hedge suddenly unfroze and went into ninja goat mode. Despite how wired he felt, once his stomach was full, Jason started to nod off. The couches were a little too comfortable, a lot better than a dragon's back, and he'd taken the last two watches while his friends slept. He was exhausted. Piper had already curled up on the other sofa. Jason wondered if she was really asleep or dodging a conversation about her dad. Whatever Medea had meant in Chicago about Piper getting her dad back if she cooperated, it didn't sound good. If Piper had risked her own dad to save them, that made Jason feel even guiltier. And they were running out of time. If Jason had his days straight, this was early morning of December 20, which meant tomorrow was the winter solstice. Get some sleep, Leo said, still working on the locked cage. It's your turn. Jason took a deep breath. Leo, I'm sorry about that stuff I said in Chicago. That wasn't me. You're not annoying, and you do take stuff seriously, especially your work. I wish I could do half the things you can do. Leo lowered his screwdriver. He looked at the ceiling and shook his head like, what am I going to do with this guy? I try very hard to be annoying, Leo said. Don't insult my ability to annoy. And how am I supposed to resent you if you go apologizing? I'm a lowly mechanic. You're like the prince of the sky, son of the lord of the universe. I'm supposed to resent you. Lord of the universe? Sure, you're all bam, lightning man, and watch me fly. I am the eagle that soars. Shut up, Valdez. Leo managed a little smile. 
Yeah, see, I do annoy you. I apologize for apologizing. Thank you. He went back to work, but the tension had eased between them. Leo still looked sad and exhausted, just not quite so angry. Go to sleep, Jason, he ordered. It's gonna take a few hours to get this goat man free, and I still gotta figure out how to make the winds a smaller holding cell, cause I am not lugging that canary cage to California. You did fix Festus, you know, Jason said. You gave him a purpose again. I think this quest was the high point of his life. Jason was afraid he'd blown it and made Leo mad again, but Leo just sighed. I hope, he said. Now sleep, man. I want some time without you organic life forms. Jason wasn't quite sure what that meant, but he didn't argue. He closed his eyes and had a long, blissfully dreamless sleep. He only woke when the yelling started. Jason leapt to his feet. He wasn't sure what was more jarring, the full sunlight that now bathed the room or the screaming satyr. Coach is awake, Leo said, which was kind of unnecessary. Gleason Hedge was capering around on his furry hindquarters, swinging his club and yelling, Die! as he smashed the tea set, whacked the sofas, and charged at the throne. Coach! Jason yelled. Hedge turned, breathing hard. His eyes were so wild, Jason was afraid he might attack. The satyr was still wearing his orange polo shirt and his coach's whistle, but his horns were clearly visible above his curly hair, and his beefy hindquarters were definitely all goat. Could you call a goat beefy? Jason put the thought aside. You're the new kid, Hedge said, lowering his club. Jason. He looked at Leo, then Piper, who'd apparently also just woken up. Her hair looked like it had become a nest for a friendly hamster. How does? McLean, the coach said. What's going on? We were at the Grand Canyon. The Anemoy Thueli were attacking and... He zeroed in on the storm spirit cage, and his eyes went back to DEFCON 1. Die! Whoa, coach! Leo stepped in his path, which was pretty brave, even though Hedge was six inches shorter. It's okay. They're locked up. We just sprang you from the other cage. Cage? Cage? What's going on? Just because I'm a satyr doesn't mean I can't have you doing plank push-ups, Valdez. Jason cleared his throat. Coach... Gleason, um, whatever you want us to call you, you saved us at the Grand Canyon. You were totally brave. Of course I was. The extraction team came and took us to Camp Half-Blood. We thought we'd lost you. Then we got word the storm spirits had taken you back to their, um, operator, Medea. That witch! Wait, that's impossible. She's mortal. She's dead. Yeah, well, Leo said, somehow she got not dead anymore. Hedge nodded, his eyes narrowing. So, you are sent on a dangerous quest to rescue me. Excellent. Um, 
Piper got to her feet, holding out her hands so Coach Hedge wouldn't attack her. Actually, Glee, can I still call you Coach Hedge? Gleason seems wrong. We're on a quest for something else. We kind of found you by accident. Oh. The coach's spirits seemed to deflate, but only for a second. Then his eyes lit up again. Well, there are no accidents, not on quests. This was meant to happen. So, this is the witch's lair, eh? Why is everything gold? Gold? Jason looked around. From the way Leo and Piper caught their breath, he guessed they hadn't noticed yet either. The room was full of gold. The statues, the tea-set hedge had smashed. The chair that was definitely a throne. Even the curtains, which seemed to have opened by themselves at daybreak, appeared to be woven of gold fiber. Nice, Leo said. No wonder they got so much security. This isn't, Piper stammered, this isn't Medea's place, coach. It's some rich person's mansion in Omaha. We got away from Medea and crash-landed here. It's destiny, cupcakes, Hedge insisted. I meant to protect you. What's the quest? Before Jason could decide if he wanted to explain or just shove Coach Hedge back into his cage, a door opened at the far end of the room. A pudgy man in a white bathrobe stepped out with a golden toothbrush in his mouth. He had a white beard and one of those long, old-fashioned sleeping caps pressed down over his white hair. He froze when he saw them, and the toothbrush fell out of his mouth. He glanced into the room behind him and called, Son, Lit, come out here, please. There are strange people in the throne room. Coach Hedge did the obvious thing. He raised his club and shouted, Die! Chapter 32 Jason It took all three of them to hold back the satyr. Whoa, Coach, Jason said. Bring it down a few notches. A younger man charged into the room. Jason guessed he must be lit, the old guy's son. He was dressed in pajama pants with a sleeveless T-shirt that said Corn Huskers, and he held a sword that looked like it could husk a lot of things besides corn. His ripped arms were covered in scars, and his face, framed by curly dark hair, would have been handsome if it wasn't also sliced up. Lit immediately zeroed in on Jason like he was the biggest threat and stalked toward him, swinging his sword overhead. Hold on! Piper stepped forward, trying for her best calming voice. This is just a misunderstanding. Everything's fine. Lit stopped in his tracks, but he still looked wary. It didn't help that Hedge was screaming, I'll get them! Don't worry! Coach, Jason pleaded. They may be friendly. Besides, we're trespassing in their house. Thank you, said the old man in the bathrobe. Now, who are you, and why are you here? Let's all put our weapons down, Piper said. Coach, you first. Hedge clenched his jaw. 
Just one thwack? No, Piper said. What about a compromise? I'll kill them first, and if it turns out they were friendly, I'll apologize. No, Piper insisted. Ugh. Coach Hedge lowered his club. Piper gave Lit a friendly, sorry about that, smile. Even with her hair messed up and wearing two-day-old clothes, she looked extremely cute, and Jason felt a little jealous she was giving Lit that smile. Lit huffed and sheathed his sword. You speak well, girl. Fortunately for your friends, or I would have run them through. Appreciate it, Leo said. I try not to get run through before lunchtime. The old man in the bathrobe sighed, kicking the teapot that Coach Hedge had smashed. Well, since you're here, please sit down. Lit frowned. Your Majesty. No, no, it's fine, Lit, the old man said. New land, new customs. They may sit in my presence. After all, they've seen me in my nightclothes. No sense observing formalities. He did his best to smile, though it looked a little forced. Welcome to my humble home. I am King Midas. Midas? Impossible, said Coach Hedge. He died. They were sitting on the sofas now, while the king reclined on his throne. Tricky to do that in a bathrobe, and Jason kept worrying the old guy would forget and uncross his legs. Hopefully he was wearing golden boxers under there. Lit stood behind the throne, both hands on his sword, glancing at Piper and flexing his muscular arms just to be annoying. Jason wondered if he looked that ripped holding a sword. Sadly, he doubted it. Piper sat forward. What our satyr friend means, Your Majesty, is that you're the second mortal we've met who should be, sorry, dead. King Midas lived thousands of years ago. Interesting. The king gazed out the windows at the brilliant blue skies and the winter sunlight. In the distance, downtown Omaha looked like a cluster of children's blocks, way too clean and small for a regular city. You know, the king said, I think I was a bit dead for a while. It's strange. Seems like a dream, doesn't it, Lit? A very long dream, your majesty. And yet, now we're here. I'm enjoying myself very much. I like being alive better. But how? Piper asked. You didn't happen to have a... patron? Midas hesitated, but there was a sly twinkle in his eyes. Does it matter, my dear? We could kill them again, Hedge suggested. Coach, not helping, Jason said. Why don't you go outside and stand guard? Leo coughed. Is that safe? They've got some serious security. Oh, yes, the king said. Sorry about that. But it's lovely stuff, isn't it? Amazing what gold can still buy. Such excellent toys you have in this country. 
He fished a remote control out of his bathrobe pocket and pressed a few buttons. A passcode, Jason guessed. There, Midas said. Safe to go out now. Coach Hedge grunted. Fine, but if you need me... He winked at Jason meaningfully. Then he pointed at himself, pointed two fingers at their hosts, and sliced a finger across his throat. Very subtle sign language. Yeah, thanks, Jason said. After the satyr left, Piper tried another diplomatic smile. So, you don't know how you got here? Oh, well, yes, sort of, the king said. He frowned at Lit. Why did we pick Omaha again? I know it wasn't the weather. The Oracle, Lit said. Yes, I was told there was an Oracle in Omaha. The king shrugged. Apparently I was mistaken. But this is a rather nice house, isn't it? Lit. It's short for Liturcy's, by the way. Horrible name. But his mother insisted. Lit has plenty of wide-open space to practice his sword play. He has quite a reputation for that. They called him the Reaper of Men back in the old days. Oh, Piper tried to sound enthusiastic. How nice. Lit's smile was more of a cruel sneer. Jason was now 100% sure he didn't like this guy, and he was starting to regret sending Hedge outside. So, Jason said, all this gold. The king's eyes lit up. Are you here for gold, my boy? Please take a brochure. Jason looked at the brochures on the coffee table. The title said, Gold, Invest for Eternity. Um, you sell gold? No, no, the king said. I make it. In uncertain times like these, gold is the wisest investment, don't you think? Governments fall, the dead rise, giants attack Olympus, but gold retains its value. Leo frowned. I've seen that commercial. Oh, don't be fooled by cheap imitators the king said. I assure you, I can beat any price for a serious investor. I can make a wide assortment of gold items at a moment's notice. But, Piper shook her head in confusion, Your Majesty, you gave up the golden touch, didn't you? The king looked astonished. Gave it up? Yes, Piper said. You got it from some god. Dionysus, the king agreed. I'd rescued one of his satyrs, and in return, the god granted me one wish. I chose the golden touch. But you accidentally turned your own daughter to gold, Piper remembered, and you realized how greedy you'd been, so you repented. Repented? King Midas looked at Lit incredulously. You see, son... You're away for a few thousand years and the story gets twisted all around. <sighs> my dear girl, did those stories ever say I'd lost my magic touch? Well, I guess not. They just said you learned how to reverse it with running water 
and you brought your daughter back to life. That's all true. Sometimes I still have to reverse my touch. There's no running water in the house because I don't want accidents. He gestured to his statues. But we chose to live next to a river just in case. Occasionally, I'll forget and pat Lit on the back. Lit retreated a few steps. I hate that. I told you I was sorry, son. At any rate, gold is wonderful. Why would I give it up? Well, Piper looked truly lost now. Isn't that the point of the story, that you learned your lesson? Midas laughed. My dear, may I see your backpack for a moment? Toss it here. Piper hesitated, but she wasn't eager to offend the king. She dumped everything out of the pack and tossed it to Midas. As soon as he caught it, the pack turned to gold, like frost spreading across the fabric. It still looked flexible and soft, but definitely gold. The king tossed it back. As you see, I can still turn anything to gold, Midas said. That pack is magic now as well. Go ahead, put your little storm spirit enemies in there. Seriously? Leo was suddenly interested. He took the bag from Piper and held it up to the cage. As soon as he unzipped the backpack, the winds stirred and howled in protest. The cage bars shuddered, the door of the prison flew open, and the winds got vacuumed straight into the pack. Leo zipped it shut and grinned. Gotta admit, that's cool. You see, Midas said, my golden touch, a curse? Please, I didn't learn any lesson, and life isn't a story, girl. Honestly, my daughter Zoe was much more pleasant as a gold statue. She talked a lot, Lit offered. Exactly. And so I turned her back to gold, Midas pointed. There in the corner was a golden statue of a girl with a shocked expression, as if she were thinking, Dad! That's horrible, Piper said. Nonsense. She doesn't mind. Besides, if I'd learned my lesson, would I have gotten these? Midas pulled off his oversized sleeping cap and Jason didn't know whether to laugh or get sick. Midas had long, fuzzy gray ears sticking up from his white hair. Like Bugs Bunnies, but they weren't rabbit ears. They were donkey ears. Oh, wow, Leo said. I didn't need to see that. Terrible, isn't it? Midas sighed. A few years after the Golden Touch incident, I judged a music contest between Apollo and Pan, and I declared Pan the winner. Apollo, sore loser, said I must have the ears of an ass, and voila! This was my reward for being truthful. I tried to keep them a secret. Only my barber knew, but he couldn't help blabbing. Midas pointed out another gold statue, a bald man in a toga holding a pair of shears. That's him. He won't be telling anyone's secrets again. The king smiled. Suddenly he didn't strike Jason as a harmless old man in a bathrobe. 
His eyes had a merry glow to them. The look of a madman who knew he was mad accepted his madness and enjoyed it. Yes, gold has many uses. I think that must be why I was brought back. Eh, Lit? To bankroll our patron. Lit nodded. That and my good sword arm. Jason glanced at his friends. Suddenly the air in the room seemed much colder. So you do have a patron, Jason said. You work for the giants. King Midas waved his hand dismissively. Well, I don't care for giants myself, of course. But even supernatural armies need to get paid. I do owe my patron a great debt. I tried to explain that to the last group that came through, but they were very unfriendly. Wouldn't cooperate at all. Jason slipped his hand into his pocket and grabbed his gold coin. The last group? Hunters, Lit snarled. Blasted girls from Artemis. Jason felt a spark of electricity, a literal spark, traveled down his spine. He caught a whiff of electrical fire like he'd just melted some of the springs in the sofa. His sister had been here. When, he demanded, what happened? Lit shrugged. A few days ago. I didn't get to kill them, unfortunately. They were looking for some evil wolves or something. Said they were following a trail heading west. Missing demigod. I don't recall. Percy Jackson, Jason thought. Annabeth had mentioned the hunters were looking for him, and in Jason's dream of the burned-out house in the Redwoods, he'd heard enemy wolves baying. Hera had called them her keepers. It had to be connected somehow. Midas scratched his donkey ears. Very unpleasant young ladies, those hunters, he recalled. They absolutely refused to be turned into gold. Much of the security system outside I installed to keep that sort of thing from happening again, you know. I don't have time for those who aren't serious investors. Jason stood warily and glanced at his friends. They got the message. Well... Piper said, managing a smile. It's been a great visit. Welcome back to life. Thanks for the gold bag. Oh, but you can't leave, Midas said. I know you're not serious investors, but that's all right. I have to rebuild my collection. Lit was smiling cruelly. The king rose and Leo and Piper moved away from him. Don't worry the king assured them. You don't have to be turned to gold. I give all my guests a choice. Join my collection, or die at the hands of Leturces. Really, it's good either way. Piper tried to use her charm speak. Your Majesty, you can't... Quicker than an old man should have been able to move, Midas lashed out and grabbed her wrist. No! Jason yelled but a frost of gold spread over Piper, and in a heartbeat she was a glittering statue. Leo tried to summon fire, but he'd forgotten his power wasn't working. Midas touched his hand, and Leo transformed into solid metal. Jason was so horrified he couldn't move. 
his friends, just gone. And he hadn't been able to stop it. Midas smiled apologetically. Gold trumps fire, I'm afraid. He waved around him at all the gold curtains and furniture. In this room, my power dampens all others. Fire, even charms speak, which leaves me only one more trophy to collect. Hedge! Jason yelled. Need help in here! For once, the satyr didn't charge in. Jason wondered if the lasers had gotten him, or if he was sitting at the bottom of a trap pit. Midas chuckled. No goat to the rescue. Sad. But don't worry, my boy. It's really not painful. Lit can tell you. Jason fixed on an idea. I choose combat. You said I could choose to fight Lit instead. Midas looked mildly disappointed, but he shrugged. I said you could die fighting Lit, but of course, if you wish. The king backed away, and Lit raised his sword. I'm going to enjoy this, Lit said. I am the Reaper of Men. Come on, Cornhusker. Jason summoned his own weapon. This time it came up as a javelin and Jason was glad for the extra length. Oh, gold weapon, Midas said. Very nice. Lit charged. The guy was fast. He slashed and sliced, and Jason could barely dodge the strikes, but his mind went into a different mode, analyzing patterns, learning Lit's style, which was all offense, no defense. Jason countered, sidestepped, and blocked. Lit seemed surprised to find him still alive. What is that style? Lit growled. You don't fight like a Greek. Legion training, Jason said, though he wasn't sure how he knew that. It's Roman. Roman? Lit struck again and Jason deflected his blade. What is Roman? Newsflash, Jason said. While you were dead, Rome defeated Greece created the greatest empire of all time. Impossible, Lit said. Never even heard of them. Jason spun on one heel, smacked Lit in the chest with the butt of his javelin, and sent him toppling into Midas's throne. Oh, dear, Midas said. Lit? I'm fine, Lit growled. You'd better help him up, Jason said. Lit cried. Dad, no! too late. Midas put his hand on his son's shoulder, and suddenly a very angry-looking gold statue was sitting on Midas's throne. Curses, Midas wailed. That was a naughty trick, demigod. I'll get you for that. He patted Lit's golden shoulder. Don't worry, son. I'll get you down to the river right after I collect this prize. Midas raced forward. Jason dodged, but the old man was fast, too. Jason kicked the coffee table into the old man's legs and knocked him over, but Midas wouldn't stay down for long. Then Jason glanced at Piper's golden statue. Anger washed over him. He was the son of Zeus. He could not fail his friends. He felt a tugging sensation in his gut, 
and the air pressure dropped so rapidly that his ears popped. Midas must have felt it too, because he stumbled to his feet and grabbed his donkey ears. Ow! What are you doing? he demanded. My power is supreme here. Thunder rumbled. Outside, the sky turned black. You know another good use for gold? Jason said. Midas raised his eyebrows, suddenly excited. Yes? It's an excellent conductor of electricity. Jason raised his javelin, and the ceiling exploded. A lightning bolt ripped through the roof like it was an eggshell, connected with the tip of Jason's spear, and sent out arcs of energy that blasted the sofas to shreds. Chunks of ceiling plaster crashed down. The chandelier groaned and snapped off its chain, and Midas screamed as it pinned him to the floor. The glass immediately turned into gold. When the rumbling stopped, freezing rain poured into the building. Midas cursed in ancient Greek, thoroughly pinned under his chandelier. The rain soaked everything, turning the gold chandelier back to glass. Piper and Leo were slowly changing, too, along with the other statues in the room. Then the front door burst open and Coach Hedge charged in, club ready. His mouth was covered with dirt, snow, and grass. What'd I miss? he asked. Where were you? Jason demanded. His head was spinning from summoning the lightning bolt, and it was all he could do to keep from passing out. I was screaming for help. Hedge belched. Getting a snack. Sorry. Who needs killing? No one now, Jason said. Just grab Leo. I'll get Piper. Don't leave me like this, Midas wailed. All around him, the statues of his victims were turning to flesh. His daughter, his barber, and a whole lot of angry-looking guys with swords. Jason grabbed Piper's golden bag and his own supplies. Then he threw a rug over the golden statue of Lit on the throne. Hopefully that would keep the Reaper of Men from turning back to flesh, at least until after Midas's victims did. Let's get out of here, Jason told Hedge. I think these guys will want some quality time with Midas. Chapter 33 Piper Piper woke up cold and shivering. She'd had the worst dream about an old guy with donkey ears chasing her around and shouting, You're it! Oh, God! Her teeth chattered. He turned me to gold! You're okay now. Jason leaned over and tucked a warm blanket around her, but she still felt as cold as a boreat. She blinked, trying to figure out where they were. Next to her, a campfire blazed, turning the air sharp with smoke. Firelight flickered against rock walls. They were in a shallow cave, but it didn't offer much protection. Outside, the wind howled. Snow blew sideways. It might have been day or night. The storm made it too dark to tell. L-L-Leo? Piper managed. Present and ungoldified. Leo was also wrapped in blankets. He didn't look great, but better than Piper felt. I got the precious metal treatment, too, he said. 
but I came out of it faster. Don't know why. We had to dunk you in the river to get you back completely. Tried to dry you off, but it's really, really cold. You've got hypothermia, Jason said. We risked as much nectar as we could. Coach Hedge did a little nature magic. Sports medicine. The coach's ugly face loomed over her. Kind of a hobby of mine. Your breath might smell like wild mushrooms and Gatorade for a few days, but it'll pass. You probably won't die. Probably. Thanks, Piper said weakly. How did you beat Midas? Jason told her the story, putting most of it down to luck. The coach snorted. Kid's being modest. You should have seen him. hey Slice! Boom! With the lightning! Coach, you didn't even see it, Jason said. You were outside eating the lawn. But the satyr was just warming up. Then I came in with my club and we dominated that room. <laughs> Afterward, I told him, Kid, I'm proud of you. If you could just work on your upper body strength. Coach, said Jason. Yeah. Shut up, please. Sure. The coach sat down at the fire and started chewing his cudgel. Jason put his hand on Piper's forehead and checked her temperature. Leo, can you stoke the fire? On it. Leo summoned a baseball-sized clump of flames and lobbed it into the campfire. Do I look that bad? Piper shivered. Nah, Jason said. You're a terrible liar, she said. Where are we? Pike's Peak, Jason said. Colorado. But that's... What, five hundred miles from Omaha? Something like that, Jason agreed. I harnessed the storm spirits to bring us this far. They didn't like it. Went a little faster than I wanted. Almost crashed us into the mountainside before I could get them back in the bag. I'm not going to be trying that again. Why are we here? Leo sniffed. That's what I asked him. Jason gazed into the storm as if watching for something. That glittery wind trail we saw yesterday? It was still in the sky, though it had faded a lot. I followed it until I couldn't see it anymore. Then, honestly, I'm not sure. I just felt like this was the right place to stop. Course it is! Coach Hedge spit out some cudgel splinters. Helis's floating palace should be anchored above us, right at the peak. This is one of his favorite spots to dock. Maybe that was it. Jason knit his eyebrows. I don't know. Something else, too. The hunters were heading west, Piper remembered. Do you think they're around here? Jason rubbed his forearm as if the tattoos were bothering him. I don't see how anyone could survive on the mountain right now. The storm's pretty bad. It's already the evening before the solstice, but we didn't have much choice except to wait out the storm here. We had to give you some time to rest before we tried moving. He didn't need to convince her. The wind howling outside the cave scared her, and she couldn't stop shivering. We have to get you warm. Jason sat next to her and held out his arms a little awkwardly. Uh, you mind if I... I suppose. She tried to sound nonchalant. He put his arms around her and held her. 
they scooted closer to the fire. Coach Hedge chewed on his club and spit splinters into the fire. Leo broke out some cooking supplies and started frying burger patties on an iron skillet. So, guys, long as you're cuddled up for story time, something I've been meaning to tell you. On the way to Omaha, I had this dream... Kind of hard to understand with the static and the Wheel of Fortune breaking in. Wheel of Fortune? Piper assumed Leo was kidding, but when he looked up from his burgers, his expression was deadly serious. The thing is, he said, my dad, Hephaestus, talked to me. Leo told them about his dream. In the firelight, with the wind howling, the story was even creepier. Piper could imagine the static-filled voice of the god warning about giants who were the sons of Tartarus and about Leo losing some friends along the way. She tried to concentrate on something good, Jason's arms around her, the warmth slowly spreading into her body. But she was terrified. I don't understand. If demigods and gods have to work together to kill the giants— why would the gods stay silent? If they need us... Ha! said Coach Hedge. The gods hate needing humans. They like to be needed by humans, but not the other way around. Things will have to get a whole lot worse before Zeus admits he made a mistake closing Olympus. Coach, Piper said. That was almost an intelligent comment. Hedge huffed. What? I'm intelligent. I'm not surprised you cupcakes haven't heard of the giant war. The gods don't like to talk about it. Bad PR to admit you needed mortals to help beat an enemy. That's just embarrassing. There's more, though, Jason said. When I dreamed about Hera in her cage, she said Zeus was acting unusually paranoid. And Hera, too. She said she went to those ruins because a voice had been speaking in her head. What if someone's influencing the gods, like Medea influenced us? Piper shuddered. She'd had a similar thought, that some force they couldn't see was manipulating things behind the scenes, helping the giants. Maybe the same force was keeping Enceladus informed about their movements, and had even knocked their dragon out of the sky over Detroit. Perhaps Leo's sleeping dirt woman or another servant of hers. Leo set hamburger buns on the skillet to toast. Yeah, Hephaestus said something similar, like Zeus was acting weirder than usual. But what bothered me was the stuff my dad didn't say. Like a couple of times he was talking about the demigods and how he had so many kids and all. I don't know. He acted like getting the greatest demigods together was going to be almost impossible. Like Hero was trying, but it was a really stupid thing to do, and there was some secret Hephaestus wasn't supposed to tell me. Jason shifted. Piper could feel the tension in his arms. Chiron was the same way back at camp, he said. He mentioned a sacred oath not to discuss... something... Coach, you know anything about that? Nah, I'm just a satyr. They don't tell us the juicy stuff, especially an old... He stopped himself. An old guy like you? 
Piper asked. But you're not that old, are you? Hundred and six, the coach muttered. Leo coughed. Say what? Don't catch your panties on fire, Valdez. That's just fifty-three in human years. Still, yeah, I made some enemies on the Council of Cloven Elders. I've been a protector a long time, but they started saying I was getting unpredictable. Too violent. Can you imagine? Wow. Piper tried not to look at her friends. That's hard to believe. Coach scowled. Yeah. Then finally we get a good war going with the Titans. And do they put me on the front lines? No. They send me as far away as possible. The Canadian frontier. Can you believe it? Then after the war, they put me out to pasture. The wilderness school. Ugh. Like I'm too old to be helpful just because I like playing offense. All those flower pickers on the council talking about nature. I thought satyrs liked nature, Piper ventured. Shoot, I love nature, Hedge said. Nature means big things, killing and eating little things. When you're a, you know, vertically challenged satyr like me, you get in good shape, you carry a big stick, and you don't take nothing from no one. That's nature. Hedge snorted indignantly. Flower pickers. Anyway, I hope you got something vegetarian cooking, Valdez. I don't do flesh. Yeah, coach. Don't eat your cudgel. I got some tofu patties here. Piper's a vegetarian, too. I'll throw them on in a second. The smell of frying burgers filled the air. Piper usually hated the smell of cooking meat, but her stomach rumbled like it wanted to mutiny. I'm losing it, she thought. Think broccoli, carrots, lentils. Her stomach wasn't the only thing rebelling. Lying by the fire, with Jason holding her, Piper's conscience felt like a hot bullet slowly working its way toward her heart. All the guilt she'd been holding in for the last week, since the giant Enceladus had first sent her a dream, was about to kill her. Her friends wanted to help her. Jason even said he'd walk into a trap to save her dad. And Piper had shut them out. For all she knew, she'd already doomed her father when she attacked Medea. She choked back a sob. Maybe she'd done the right thing in Chicago by saving her friends. But she'd only delayed her problem. She could never betray her friends. But the tiniest part of her was desperate enough to think, What if I did? She tried to imagine what her dad would say. Hey, Dad, if you were ever chained up by a cannibal giant and I had to betray a couple of friends to save you, what should I do? Funny, that had never come up when they did any three questions. Her dad would never take the question seriously, of course. He'd probably tell her one of Grandpa Tom's old stories, something with glowing hedgehogs and talking birds, and then laugh about it as if the advice was silly. Piper wished she remembered her grandpa better. Sometimes she dreamed about that little two-room house in Oklahoma. She wondered what it would have been like to grow up there. Her dad would think that was nuts. He had spent his whole life running away from that place, distancing himself from the res, playing any role except Native American. 
He'd always told Piper how lucky she was to grow up rich and well cared for in a nice house in California. She'd learned to be vaguely uncomfortable about her ancestry, like Dad's old pictures from the 80s when he had feathered hair and crazy clothes. Can you believe I ever looked like that? he'd say. Being Cherokee was the same way for him, something funny and mildly embarrassing. But what else were they? Dad didn't seem to know. Maybe that's why he was always so unhappy, changing roles. Maybe that's why Piper started stealing things, looking for something her dad couldn't give her. Leo put tofu patties on the skillet. The wind kept raging. Piper thought of an old story her dad had told her, one that maybe did answer some of her questions. One day in second grade, she'd come home in tears and demanded why her father had named her Piper. The kids were making fun of her because Piper Cherokee was a kind of airplane. Her dad laughed, as if that had never occurred to him. No, Pipes. Fine airplane. That's not how I named you. Grandpa Tom picked out your name. First time he heard you cry, he said you had a powerful voice. Better than any reed flute piper. He said you'd learn to sing the hardest Cherokee songs, even the snake song. The snake song? Dad told her the legend, how one day a Cherokee woman had seen a snake playing too near her children and killed it with a rock, not realizing it was the king of rattlesnakes. The snakes prepared for war on the humans, but the woman's husband tried to make peace. He promised he'd do anything to repay the rattlesnakes. The snakes held him to his word. They told him to send his wife to the well so the snakes could bite her and take her life in exchange. The man was heartbroken, but he did what they asked. Afterward, the snakes were impressed that the man had given up so much and kept his promise. They taught him the snake song for all the Cherokee to use. From that point on, if any Cherokee met a snake and sang that song, the snake would recognize the Cherokee as a friend and would not bite. That's awful, Piper had said. He let his wife die? Her dad spread his hands. It was a hard sacrifice. But one life brought generations of peace between snakes and Cherokee. Grandpa Tom believed that Cherokee music could solve almost any problem. He thought you'd know lots of songs and be the greatest musician of the family. That's why we named you Piper. A Hard Sacrifice Had her grandfather foreseen something about her, even when she was a baby? Had he sensed she was a child of Aphrodite? Her dad would probably tell her that was crazy. Grandpa Tom was no oracle. But still, she'd made a promise to help on this quest. Her friends were counting on her. They'd saved her when Midas had turned her to gold. They'd brought her back to life. She couldn't repay them with lies. Gradually, she started to feel warmer. She stopped shivering and settled against Jason's chest. Leo handed out the food. Piper didn't want to move talk or do anything to disrupt the moment. But she had to. We need to talk. She sat up so she could face Jason. 
I don't want to hide anything from you guys anymore. They looked at her with their mouths full of burger, too late to change her mind now. Three nights before the Grand Canyon trip, she said, I had a dream vision, a giant, telling me my father had been taken hostage. He told me I had to cooperate or my dad would be killed. The flames crackled. Finally, Jason said, Enceladus? You mentioned that name before. Coach Hedge whistled. Big giant. Breeze fire. Not somebody I'd want barbecuing my daddy goat. Jason gave him a shut-up look. Piper, go on. What happened next? I... I tried to reach my dad, but all I got was his personal assistant, and she told me not to worry. Jane? Leo remembered. Didn't Medea say something about controlling her? Piper nodded. To get my dad back, I had to sabotage this quest. I didn't realize it would be the three of us. Then after we started the quest, Enceladus sent me another warning. He told me he wanted you two dead. He wants me to lead you to a mountain. I don't know exactly which one, but it's in the Bay Area. I could see the Golden Gate Bridge from the summit. I have to be there by noon on the solstice, tomorrow. An exchange. She couldn't meet her friend's eyes. She waited for them to yell at her or turn their backs or kick her out into the snowstorm. Instead, Jason scooted next to her and put his arm around her again. God, Piper, I'm so sorry. Leo nodded. No kidding. You've been carrying this around for a week? Piper, we could help you. She glared at them. Why don't you yell at me or something? I was ordered to kill you. Aw, oh, come on, Jason said. You've saved us both on this quest. I'd put my life in your hands any day. Same, Leo said. Can I have a hug, too? You don't get it, Piper said. I've probably just killed my dad telling you this. I doubt it, Coach Hedge belched. He was eating his tofu burger folded inside the paper plate, chewing it all like a taco. Giant hasn't gotten what he wants yet, so he still needs your dad for leverage. He'll wait until the deadline passes, see if you show up. He wants you to divert the quest to this mountain, right? Piper nodded uncertainly. So that means Hera is being kept somewhere else, Hedge reasoned. And she has to be saved by the same day. So you have to choose. Rescue your dad or rescue Hera. If you go after Hera, then Enceladus takes care of your dad. Besides, Enceladus would never let you go even if you cooperated. You're obviously one of the seven in the Great Prophecy. One of the seven. She'd talked about this before with Jason and Leo, and she supposed it must be true, but she still had trouble believing it. She didn't feel that important. She was just a stupid child of Aphrodite. How could she be worth deceiving and killing? So we have no choice, she said miserably. We have to save Hera, or the giant king gets unleashed. That's our quest. The world depends on it. And Enceladus seems to have ways of watching me. He isn't stupid. He'll know if we change course and go the wrong way. He'll kill my dad. 
He's not going to kill your dad, Leo said. We'll save him. We don't have time, Piper cried. Besides, it's a trap. We're your friends, beauty queen, Leo said. We're not going to let your dad die. We just got to figure out a plan. Coach Hedge grumbled. Would help if we knew where this mountain was. Maybe Eolus can tell you that. The Bay Area has a bad reputation for demigods. Old home of the Titans. Mount Othrus sits over Mount Tam, where Atlas holds up the sky. I hope that's not the mountain you saw. Piper tried to remember the vista in her dreams. I don't think so. This was inland. Jason frowned at the fire like he was trying to remember something. Bad reputation. That doesn't seem right. The Bay Area. You think you've been there? Piper asked. I... He looked like he was almost on the edge of a breakthrough. Then the anguish came back into his eyes. I don't know. Hedge, what happened at Mount Othrus? Hedge took another bite of paper and burger. Well, Kronos built a new palace there last summer. Big, nasty place. Was going to be the headquarters for his new kingdom and all. Weren't any battles there, though. Kronos marched on Manhattan, tried to take Olympus. If I remember right, he left some other titans in charge of his palace, but after Kronos got defeated in Manhattan, the whole palace just crumbled on its own. No, Jason said. Everyone looked at him. What do you mean, no? Leo asked. That's not what happened. I... He tensed, looking toward the cave entrance. Did you hear that? For a second, nothing. Then Piper heard it. Howls piercing the night. Chapter 34 Piper. Wolves, Piper said. They sound close. Jason rose and summoned his sword. Leo and Coach Hedge got to their feet, too. Piper tried, but black spots danced before her eyes. Stay there, Jason told her. We'll protect you. She gritted her teeth. She hated feeling helpless. She didn't want anyone to protect her. First, the stupid ankle now stupid hypothermia. She wanted to be on her feet with her dagger in her hand. Then, just outside the firelight at the entrance of the cave, she saw a pair of red eyes glowing in the dark. Okay, she thought, maybe a little protection is fine. More wolves edged into the firelight, black beasts bigger than Great Danes, with ice and snow caked on their fur. Their fangs gleamed, and their glowing red eyes looked disturbingly intelligent. The wolf in front was almost as tall as a horse, his mouth stained as if he'd just made a fresh kill. Piper pulled her dagger out of its sheath. Then Jason stepped forward and said something in Latin. Piper didn't think a dead language would have much effect on wild animals, but the alpha wolf curled his lip. The fur stood up along his spine, one of his lieutenants tried to advance, but the alpha wolf snapped at his ear. Then all of the wolves backed into the dark. Dude, I gotta study Latin. Leo's hammer shook in his hand. 
What'd you say, Jason? Hedge cursed. Whatever it was, it wasn't enough. Look. The wolves were coming back, but the alpha wolf wasn't with them. They didn't attack. They waited, at least a dozen now, in a rough semicircle just outside the firelight, blocking the cave exit. The coach hefted his club. Here's the plan. I'll kill them all, and you guys escape. Coach, they'll rip you apart, Piper said. Nah, I'm good. Then Piper saw the silhouette of a man coming through the storm, wading through the wolf pack. Stick together, Jason said. They respect a pack. And Hedge, no crazy stuff. We're not leaving you or anyone else behind. Piper got a lump in her throat. She was the weak link in their pack right now. No doubt the wolves could smell her fear. She might as well be wearing a sign that said, Free Lunch. The wolves parted, and the man stepped into the firelight. His hair was greasy and ragged, the color of fireplace soot, topped with a crown of what looked like finger bones. His robes were tattered fur, wolf, rabbit, raccoon, deer, and several others Piper couldn't identify. The furs didn't look cured, and from the smell, they weren't very fresh. His frame was lithe and muscular, like a distance runner's. But the most horrible thing was his face. His thin, pale skin was pulled tight over his skull. His teeth were sharpened like fangs. His eyes glowed bright red like his wolves. And they fixed on Jason with absolute hatred. Eke, he said. Vili Romani. Speak English, wolfman, Hedge bellowed. The wolfman snarled. Tell your fawn to mind his tongue, son of Rome, or he'll be my first snack. Piper remembered that fawn was the Roman name for satyr. Not exactly helpful information. Now, if she could remember who this wolf guy was in Greek mythology and how to defeat him, that she could use. The wolfman studied their little group. His nostrils twitched. So... It's true, he mused. A child of Aphrodite, a son of Hephaestus, a fawn, and a child of Rome, of Lord Jupiter no less, all together without killing each other. How interesting. You were told about us? Jason asked. By whom? The man snarled. Perhaps a laugh? Perhaps a challenge. Oh, we've been patrolling for you all across the West, demigod, hoping we'd be the first to find you. The giant king will reward me well when he rises. I am Lycaon, king of the wolves, and my pack is hungry. The wolves snarled in the darkness. Out of the corner of her eye, Piper saw Leo put up his hammer and slip something else from his tool belt. A glass bottle full of clear liquid. Piper racked her brain, trying to place the wolf guy's name. She knew she'd heard it before, but she couldn't remember details. Lycaon glared at Jason's sword. 
He moved to each side as if looking for an opening, but Jason's blade moved with him. Leave, Jason ordered. There's no food for you here. Unless you want tofu burgers, Leo offered. Lycaon bared his fangs. Apparently he wasn't a tofu fan. If I had my way, Lycaon said with regret, I'd kill you first, son of Jupiter. Your father made me what I am. I was the powerful mortal king of Arcadia, with fifty fine sons, and Zeus slew them all with his lightning bolts. Ha! Coach Hedge said. For good reason! Jason glanced over his shoulder. Coach, you know this clown? I do, Piper answered. The details of the myth came back to her, a short, horrible story she and her father had laughed at over breakfast. She wasn't laughing now. Lycaon invited Zeus to dinner, she said. But the king wasn't sure it was really Zeus, so to test his powers, Lycaon tried to feed him human flesh. Zeus got outraged. And killed my sons, Lycaon howled. The wolves behind him howled, too. So Zeus turned him into a wolf, Piper said. They call... They call werewolves lycanthropes, named after him the first werewolf. The King of Wolves, Coach Hedge finished, an immortal, smelly, vicious mutt. Lycaon growled. I will tear you apart, Fawn. Oh, you want some goat, buddy? Because I'll give you a goat. Stop it, Jason said. Lycaon, you said you wanted to kill me first, but... Sadly, child of Rome... You are spoken for, since this one, he waggled his claws at Piper, has failed to kill you. You are to be delivered alive to the wolf house. One of my compatriots has asked for the honor of killing you herself. Who? Jason said. The wolf king snickered. Oh, a great admirer of yours. Apparently you made quite an impression on her. She will take care of you soon enough. And really, I cannot complain. Spilling your blood at the wolf house should mark my new territory quite well. Lupa will think twice about challenging my pack. Piper's heart tried to jump out of her chest. She didn't understand everything Lycaon had said, but a woman who wanted to kill Jason... Medea, she thought. Somehow she must have survived the explosion. Piper struggled to her feet. Spots danced before her eyes again. The cave seemed to spin. You're going to leave now, Piper said, before we destroy you. She tried to put power into the words, but she was too weak. Shivering in her blankets, Pale and sweaty and barely able to hold a knife, she couldn't have looked very threatening. Lycaon's red eyes crinkled with humor. A brave try, girl. I admire that. 
Perhaps I'll make your end quick. Only the son of Jupiter is needed alive. The rest of you, I'm afraid, are dinner. At that moment, Piper knew she was going to die. But at least she'd die on her feet, fighting next to Jason. Jason took a step forward. You're not killing anyone, Wolfman. Not without going through me. Lycaon howled and extended his claws. Jason slashed at him, but his golden sword passed straight through as if the Wolf King wasn't there. Lycaon laughed. Cold, bronze, steel. None of these are any good against my wolves, son of Jupiter. Silver, Piper cried. Aren't werewolves hurt by silver? We don't have any silver, Jason said. Wolves leapt into the firelight. Hedge charged forward with an elated woot. But Leo struck first. He threw his glass bottle and it shattered on the ground, splattering liquid all over the wolves. The unmistakable smell of gasoline. He shot a burst of fire at the puddle and a wall of flames erupted. Wolves yelped and retreated. Several caught fire and had to run back into the snow. Even Lycaon looked uneasily at the barrier of flames now separating his wolves from the demigods. Ah, oh, come on, Coach Hedge complained. I can't hit them if they're way over there. Every time a wolf came closer, Leo shot a new wave of fire from his hands. But each effort seemed to make him a little more tired, and the gasoline was already dying down. I can't summon any more gas, Leo warned. Then his face turned red. Wow, that came out wrong. I mean, the burning kind. Gonna take the tool belt a while to recharge. What you got, man? Nothing, Jason said. Not even a weapon that works. Lightning? Piper asked. Jason concentrated, but nothing happened. I think the snowstorm is interfering or something. Unleash the venti. Piper said. Then we'll have nothing to give Aeolus, Jason said. We'll have come all this way for nothing. Lycaon laughed. I can smell your fear. A few more minutes of life, heroes. Pray to whatever gods you wish. Zeus did not grant me mercy, and you will have none from me. The flames began to sputter out, Jason cursed and dropped his sword. He crouched like he was ready to go hand to hand. Leo pulled his hammer out of his pack. Piper raised her dagger. Not much, but it was all she had. Coach Hedge hefted his club, and he was the only one who looked excited about dying. Then a ripping sound cut through the wind like a piece of tearing cardboard. A long stick sprouted from the neck of the nearest wolf the shaft of a silver arrow. The wolf writhed and fell, melting into a puddle of shadow. More arrows, more wolves fell. The pack broke in confusion. An arrow flashed toward Lycaon, but the wolf king caught it in midair. Then he yelled in pain. When he dropped the arrow, it left a charred, smoking gash across his palm. Another arrow caught him in the shoulder, and the Wolf King staggered. Curse them, Lycaon yelled. 
He growled at his pack, and the wolves turned and ran, like Kaon fixed Jason with those glowing red eyes. This isn't over, boy. The wolf king disappeared into the night. Seconds later, Piper heard more wolves baying, but the sound was different, less threatening, more like hunting dogs on the scent. A smaller white wolf burst into the cave, followed by two more. Hedge said, Kill it? No, Piper said. Wait. The wolves tilted their heads and studied the campers with huge golden eyes. A heartbeat later, their masters appeared. A troop of hunters in white and gray winter camouflage, at least half a dozen. All of them carried bows with quivers of glowing silver arrows on their backs. Their faces were covered with parka hoods, but clearly they were all girls. One, a little taller than the rest, crouched in the firelight and snatched up the arrow that had wounded Lycaon's hand. So close. She turned to her companions. Phoebe, stay with me. Watch the entrance. The rest of you, follow Lycaon. We can't lose him now. I'll catch up with you. The other hunters mumbled agreement and disappeared, heading after Lycaon's pack. The girl in white turned toward them, her face still hidden in her parka hood. We've been following that demon's trail for over a week. Is everyone all right? No one got bit? Jason stood frozen, staring at the girl. Piper realized something about her voice sounded familiar. It was hard to pin down, but the way she spoke, the way she formed her words, reminded her of Jason. You're her, Piper guessed. You're Thalia. The girl tensed. Piper was afraid she might draw her bow, but instead she pulled down her parka hood. Her hair was spiky black, with a silver tiara across her brow. Her face had a super healthy glow to it, as if she were a little more than human, and her eyes were brilliant blue. She was the girl from Jason's photograph. Do I know you? Thalia asked. Piper took a breath. This might be a shock, but... Thalia. Jason stepped forward, his voice trembling. I'm Jason. Your brother. Chapter 35 Leo Leo figured he had the worst luck in the group, and that was saying a lot. Why didn't he get to have the long-lost sister or the movie star dad who needed rescuing? All he got was a tool belt and a dragon that broke down halfway through the quest. Maybe it was the stupid curse of the Hephaestus cabin, but Leo didn't think so. His life had been unlucky way before he got to camp. A thousand years from now, when his quest was being told around a campfire, he figured people would talk about brave Jason, beautiful Piper, and their sidekick, Flaming Valdez, who accompanied them with a bag of magic screwdrivers and occasionally fixed tofu burgers. If that wasn't bad enough, Leo fell in love with every girl he saw, as long as she was totally out of his league. When he first saw Thalia, Leo immediately thought she was way too pretty to be Jason's sister. Then he thought he'd better not say that or he'd get in trouble. He liked her dark hair, her blue eyes, 
and her confident attitude. She looked like the kind of girl who could stop anybody on the ball court or the battlefield and wouldn't give Leo the time of day. Just Leo's type. For a minute, Jason and Thalia faced each other, stunned. Then Thalia rushed forward and hugged him. My gods, she told me you were dead. She gripped Jason's face and seemed to be examining everything about him. Thank Artemis, it is you. That little scar on your lip. You tried to eat a stapler when you were two. Leo laughed. Seriously? Hedge nodded like he approved of Jason's taste. Staplers, excellent source of iron. W wait Jason stammered. Who told you I was dead? What happened? At the cave entrance, one of the white wolves barked. Thalia looked back at the wolf and nodded, but she kept her hands on Jason's face, like she was afraid he might vanish. My wolf is telling me I don't have much time, and she's right, but we have to talk. Let's sit. Piper did better than that. She collapsed. She would have cracked her head on the cave floor if Hedge hadn't caught her. Thalia rushed over. What's wrong with her? Ah, never mind. I see. Hypothermia. Ankle. She frowned at the satyr. Don't you know nature healing? Hedge scoffed. Why do you think she looks this good? Can't you smell the Gatorade? Thalia looked at Leo for the first time, and of course it was an accusatory glare. Like, why did you let the goat be a doctor? As if that was Leo's fault. You and the satyr, Thalia ordered. Take the girl to my friend at the entrance. Phoebe's an excellent healer. It's cold out there, Hedge said. I'll freeze my horns off. But Leo knew when they weren't wanted. Come on, Hedge. These two need time to talk. <laughs> Fine, the satyr muttered. Didn't even get to brain anybody. Hedge carried Piper toward the entrance. Leo was about to follow when Jason called. Actually, man, could you, um, stick around? Leo saw something in Jason's eyes he didn't expect. Jason was asking for support. He wanted somebody else there. He was scared. Leo grinned. Sticking around is my specialty. Thalia didn't look too happy about it, but the three of them sat at the fire. For a few minutes, nobody spoke. Jason studied his sister like she was a scary device, one that might explode if handled incorrectly. Thalia seemed more at ease, as if she was used to stumbling across stranger things than long-lost relatives. But still, she regarded Jason in a kind of amazed trance maybe remembering a little two-year-old who tried to eat a stapler. Leo took a few pieces of copper wire out of his pockets and twisted them together. Finally, he couldn't stand the silence. So, the Hunters of Artemis. This whole not-dating thing, is that like always or more of a seasonal thing, or what? Thalia stared at him as if he'd just evolved from pond scum, yeah, he was definitely liking this girl. Jason kicked him in the shin. Don't mind Leo, he's just trying to break the ice. But, Thalia, what happened to our family? Who told you I was dead? 
Thalia tugged at a silver bracelet on her wrist. In the firelight, in her winter camouflage, she almost looked like Keone, the snow princess, just as cold and beautiful. Do you remember anything? she asked. Jason shook his head. I woke up three days ago on a bus with Leo and Piper. Which wasn't our fault, Leo added hastily. Hira stole his memories. Thalia tensed. Hira? How do you know that? Jason explained about their quest. The prophecy at camp, Hira getting imprisoned, the giant taking Piper's dad, and the winter solstice deadline. Leo chimed in to add the important stuff, how he'd fixed the bronze dragon, could throw fireballs, and made excellent tacos. Thalia was a good listener. Nothing seemed to surprise her. The monsters, the prophecies, the dead rising. But when Jason mentioned King Midas, she cursed in ancient Greek. I knew we should have burned down his mansion, she said. That man's a menace. But we were so intent on following Lycaon. Well, I'm glad you got away. So Hera's been... What? Hiding you all these years? I don't know. Jason brought out the photo from his pocket. She left me just enough memory to recognize your face. Thalia looked at the picture, and her expression softened. I'd forgotten about that. I left it in cabin one, didn't I? Jason nodded. I think Hera wanted for us to meet. When we landed here, at this cave, I had a feeling it was important. Like I knew you were close by. Is that crazy? Nah, Leo assured him. We were absolutely destined to meet your hot sister. Thalia ignored him. Probably she just didn't want to let on how much Leo impressed her. Jason, she said, when you're dealing with gods, nothing is too crazy. But you can't trust Hera, especially since we're children of Zeus. She hates all children of Zeus. But she said something about Zeus giving her my life as a peace offering. Does that make any sense? The color drained from Thalia's face. Oh, gods. Mother wouldn't have... You don't remember. No, of course you don't. What? Jason asked. Thalia's features seemed to grow older in the firelight, like her immortality wasn't working so well. Jason... I'm not sure how to say this. Our mom wasn't exactly stable. She caught Zeus's eye because she was a television actress, and she was beautiful, but she didn't handle the fame well. She drank, pulled stupid stunts. She was always in the tabloids. She could never get enough attention. Even before you were born, she and I argued all the time. She... she knew Dad was Zeus and I think that was too much for her to take. It was like the ultimate achievement for her to attract the Lord of the Sky, and she couldn't accept it when he left. The thing about the gods, well, they don't hang around. Leo remembered his own mom, the way she'd assured him over and over that his dad would be back someday, but she'd never acted mad about it. She didn't seem to want Hephaestus for herself, only so Leo could know his father. 
she dealt with working a dead-end job, living in a tiny apartment, never having enough money, and she'd seemed fine with it. As long as she had Leo, she always said life would be okay. He watched Jason's face, looking more and more devastated as Thalia described their mom. And for once, Leo didn't feel jealous of his friend. Leo might have lost his mom. He might have had some hard times, but at least he remembered her. He found himself tapping out a Morse code message on his knee. Love you. He felt bad for Jason, not having memories like that. Not having anything to fall back on. So, Jason didn't seem able to finish the question. Jason, you got friends, Leo told him. Now you got a sister. You're not alone. Thalia offered her hand and Jason took it. When I was about seven, she said, Zeus started visiting Mom again. I think he felt bad about wrecking her life, and he seemed different somehow. A little older and sterner, more fatherly toward me. For a while, Mom improved. She loved having Zeus around, bringing her presents, causing the sky to rumble. She always wanted more attention. That's the year you were born. Mom, well, I never got along with her. But you gave me a reason to hang around. You were so cute, and I didn't trust Mom to look after you. Of course, Zeus eventually stopped coming by again. He probably couldn't stand Mom's demands anymore, always pestering him to let her visit Olympus, or to make her immortal or eternally beautiful. When he left for good, Mom got more and more unstable. That was about the time the monsters started attacking me. Mom blamed Hera. She claimed the goddess was coming after you, too, that Hera had barely tolerated my birth, but two demigod children from the same family was too big an insult. Mom even said she hadn't wanted to name you Jason, but Zeus insisted, as a way to appease Hera because the goddess liked that name. I didn't know what to believe. Leo fiddled with his copper wires. He felt like an intruder. He shouldn't be listening to this, but it also made him feel like he was getting to know Jason for the first time. Like maybe being here now made up for those four months at wilderness school when Leo had just imagined they'd had a friendship. How did you guys get separated? he asked. Thalia squeezed her brother's hand. If I'd known you were alive, God's things would have been so different. But when you were two... Mom packed us in the car for a family vacation. We drove up north, toward the wine country, to this park she wanted to show us. I remember thinking it was strange because Mom never took us anywhere, and she was acting super nervous. I was holding your hand, walking you toward this big building in the middle of the park, and... She took a shaky breath. Mom told me to go back to the car and get the picnic basket. I didn't want to leave you alone with her, but it was only for a few minutes. When I came back, Mom was kneeling on the stone steps, hugging herself and crying. She said, She said you were gone. She said Hera claimed you, and you were as good as dead. I didn't know what she'd done. I was afraid she'd completely lost her mind, 
I ran all over the place looking for you, but you'd just vanished. She had to drag me away, kicking and screaming. For the next few days, I was hysterical. I don't remember everything, but I called the police on Mom, and they questioned her for a long time. Afterward, we fought. She told me I'd betrayed her, that I should support her, like she was the only one who mattered. Finally, I couldn't stand it. Your disappearance was the last straw. I ran away from home, and I never went back, not even when Mom died a few years ago. I thought you were gone forever. I never told anyone about you, not even Annabeth or Luke, my two best friends. It was just too painful. Chiron knew. Jason's voice sounded far away. When I got to camp, he took one look at me and said, You should be dead. That doesn't make sense, Thalia insisted. I never told him. Hey, Leo said, important thing is you've got each other now, right? You two are lucky. Thalia nodded. Leo's right. Look at you. You're my age. You've grown up. But where have I been, Jason said. How could I be missing all that time and the Roman stuff? Thalia frowned. The Roman stuff? Your brother speaks Latin, Leo said. He calls gods by their Roman names, and he's got tattoos. Leo pointed out the marks on Jason's arms. Then he gave Thalia the rundown about the other weird stuff that had happened. Boreas turning into Aquilon, Lycaon calling Jason a child of Rome, and the wolves backing off when Jason spoke Latin to them. Thalia plucked her bowstring. Latin. Zeus sometimes spoke Latin. The second time he stayed with Mom. Like I said, he seemed different. More formal. You think he was in his Roman aspect? Jason asked. And that's why I think of myself as a child of Jupiter? Possibly, Thalia said. I've never heard of something like that happening. But it might explain why you think in Roman terms— why you can speak Latin rather than ancient Greek. That would make you unique. Still, it doesn't explain how you survived without Camp Half-Blood. A child of Zeus or Jupiter or whatever you want to call him, you would have been hounded by monsters. If you were on your own, you should have died years ago. I know I wouldn't have been able to survive without friends. You would have needed training, a safe haven, he wasn't alone, Leo blurted out. We've heard about others like him. Thalia looked at him strangely. What do you mean? Leo told her about the slashed-up purple shirt in Medea's department store and the story the Cyclopes told about the child of Mercury who spoke Latin. Isn't there anywhere else for demigods? Leo asked. I mean, besides Camp Half-Blood? Maybe some crazy Latin teacher has been abducting children of the gods or something, making them think like Romans. As soon as he said it, Leo realized how stupid the idea sounded. Thalia's dazzling blue eyes studied him intently, making him feel like a suspect in a lineup. I've been all over the country, Thalia mused. I've never seen evidence of a crazy Latin teacher— or demigods in purple shirts. Still, 
Her voice trailed off, like she'd just had a troubling thought. What? Jason asked. Thalia shook her head. I'll have to talk to the goddess. Maybe Artemis will guide us. She's still talking to you? Jason asked. Most of the gods have gone silent. Artemis follows her own rules, Thalia said. She has to be careful not to let Zeus know, but she thinks Zeus is being ridiculous closing Olympus. She's the one who set us on the trail of Lycaon. She said we'd find a lead to a missing friend of ours. Percy Jackson, Leo guessed. The guy Annabeth is looking for. Thalia nodded, her face full of concern. Leo wondered if anyone had ever looked that worried all the times he'd disappeared. He kind of doubted it. So what would Lycaon have to do with it? Leo asked. And how does it connect to us? We need to find out soon, Thalia admitted. If your deadline is tomorrow, we're wasting time. Eolus could tell you. The white wolf appeared again at the doorway and yipped insistently. I have to get moving, Thalia stood. Otherwise, I'll lose the other hunter's trail. First, though, I'll take you to Eolus's palace. If you can't, it's okay, Jason said. Though he sounded kind of distressed. Oh, please. Thalia smiled and helped him up. I haven't had a brother in years. I think I can stand a few minutes with you before you get annoying. Now, let's go. Chapter 36 Leo When Leo saw how well Piper and Hedge were being treated, he was thoroughly offended. He'd imagined them freezing their hindquarters off in the snow, but the hunter Phoebe had set up this silver tent pavilion thing right outside the cave. How she'd done it so fast, Leo had no idea. But inside was a kerosene heater keeping them toasty warm and a bunch of comfy throw pillows. Piper looked back to normal, decked out in a new parka, gloves, and camo pants like a hunter. She and Hedge and Phoebe were kicking back, drinking hot chocolate. Oh, no way, Leo said. We've been sitting in a cave, and you get the luxury tent? Somebody give me hypothermia. I want hot chocolate and a parka. Phoebe sniffed. Boys, she said, like it was the worst insult she could think of. It's all right, Phoebe, Thalia said. They'll need extra coats, and I think we can spare some chocolate. Phoebe grumbled, but soon Leo and Jason were also dressed in silvery winter clothes that were incredibly lightweight and warm. The hot chocolate was first-rate. Cheers, said Coach Hedge. He crunched down his plastic thermos cup. That cannot be good for your intestines, Leo said. Thalia patted Piper on the back. You up for moving? Piper nodded. Thanks to Phoebe, yeah. You guys are really good at this wilderness survival thing. I feel like I could run ten miles. Thalia winked at Jason. She's tough for a child of Aphrodite. I like this one. Hey, I could run ten miles too, Leo volunteered. Tough Hephaestus kid here. Let's hit it. Naturally, Thalia ignored him. It took Phoebe exactly six seconds to break camp.
which Leo could not believe. The tent self-collapsed into a square the size of a pack of chewing gum. Leo wanted to ask her for the blueprints, but they didn't have time. Thalia ran uphill through the snow, hugging a tiny little path on the side of the mountain, and soon Leo was regretting trying to look macho because the hunters left him in the dust. Coach Hedge leapt around like a happy mountain goat, coaxing them on like he used to do on track days at school. Come on, Valdez, pick up the pace. Let's chant. I've got a girl in Kalamazoo. Let's not, Thalia snapped. So they ran in silence. Leo fell in next to Jason at the back of the group. How you doing, man? Jason's expression was enough of an answer. Not good. Thalia takes it so calmly, Jason said, like it's no big deal that I appeared. I didn't know what I was expecting, but she's not like me. She seems so much more together. Hey, she's not fighting amnesia, Leo said. Plus, she's had more time to get used to this whole demigod thing. You fight monsters and talk to gods for a while, you probably get used to surprises. Maybe, Jason said. I just wish I understood what happened when I was two. Why my mom got rid of me. Thalia ran away because of me. Hey, whatever happened, it wasn't your fault. And your sister is pretty cool. She's a lot like you. Jason took that in silence. Leo wondered if he'd said the right things. He wanted to make Jason feel better but this was way outside his comfort zone. Leo wished he could reach inside his tool belt and pick just the right wrench to fix Jason's memory. Maybe a little hammer. Bonk the sticking spot and make everything run right. That would be a lot easier than trying to talk it through. Not good with organic life forms. Thanks for those inherited traits, Dad. He was so lost in thought he didn't realize the hunters had stopped. He slammed into Thalia and nearly sent them both down the side of the mountain the hard way. Fortunately, the hunter was light on her feet. She steadied them both, then pointed up. That, Leo choked, is a really large rock. They stood near the summit of Pike's Peak. Below them, the world was blanketed in clouds. The air was so thin, Leo could hardly breathe. Night had set in, but a full moon shone and the stars were incredible. Stretching out to the north and south, peaks of other mountains rose from the clouds like islands. Or teeth. But the real show was above them. Hovering in the sky about a quarter mile away was a massive free-floating island of glowing purple stone. It was hard to judge its size, but Leo figured it was at least as wide as a football stadium and just as tall. The sides were rugged cliffs, riddled with caves, and every once in a while a gust of wind burst out with a sound like a pipe organ blast. At the top of the rock, brass walls ringed some kind of a fortress. The only thing connecting Pike's Peak to the floating island was a narrow bridge of ice that glistened in the moonlight. Then Leo realized the bridge wasn't exactly ice, because it wasn't solid. As the winds changed direction, 
the bridge snaked around, blurring and thinning, in some places even breaking into a dotted line like the vapor trail of a plane. We're not seriously crossing that, Leo said. Thalia shrugged. I'm not a big fan of heights, I'll admit. But if you want to get to Eolus's fortress, this is the only way. Is the fortress always hanging there? Piper asked. How can people not notice it sitting on top of Pike's Peak? The mist, Thalia said. Still, mortals do notice it indirectly. Some days, Pike's Peak looks purple. People say it's a trick of the light, but actually it's the color of Eolus's palace reflecting off the mountain face. It's enormous, Jason said. Thalia laughed. You should see Olympus, little brother. You're serious? You've been there? Thalia grimaced as if it wasn't a good memory. We should go across in two different groups. The bridge is fragile. That's reassuring, Leo said. Jason, can't you just fly us up there? Thalia laughed. Then she seemed to realize Leo's question wasn't a joke. Wait, Jason, you can fly? Jason gazed up at the floating fortress. Well, sort of. More like I can control the winds, but the winds up here are so strong I'm not sure I'd want to try. Thalia, you mean you can't fly? For a second, Thalia looked genuinely afraid. Then she got her expression under control. Leo realized she was a lot more scared of heights than she was letting on. Truthfully, she said, I've never tried. Might be better if we stuck to the bridge. Coach Hedge tapped the ice vapor trail with his hoof, then jumped onto the bridge. Amazingly, it held his weight. Easy. I'll go first. Piper, come on, girl. I'll give you a hand. No, that's okay, Piper started to say, but the coach grabbed her hand and dragged her up the bridge. When they were about halfway, the bridge still seemed to be holding them just fine. Thalia turned to her hunter friend. Phoebe, I'll be back soon. Go find the others. Tell them I'm on my way. You sure? Phoebe narrowed her eyes at Leo and Jason, like they might kidnap Thalia or something. It's fine, Thalia promised. Phoebe nodded reluctantly, then raced down the mountain path, the white wolves at her heels. Jason, Leo, just step where I step, Thalia said. It hardly ever breaks. It hasn't met me yet, Leo muttered, but he and Jason followed her up the bridge. Halfway up, things went wrong. And of course, it was Leo's fault. Piper and Hedge had already made it safely to the top and were waving at them, encouraging them to keep climbing. But Leo got distracted. He was thinking about bridges, how he would design something way more stable than this shifting ice vapor business if this were his palace. He was pondering braces and support columns. Then a sudden revelation stopped him in his tracks. Why do they have a bridge? he asked. Thalia frowned. Leo, this isn't a good place to stop. What do you mean? They're wind spirits, 
Leo said. Can't they fly? Yes, but sometimes they need a way to connect to the world below. So, the bridge isn't always here? Leo asked. Thalia shook her head. The wind spirits don't like to anchor to the earth, but sometimes it's necessary, like now. They know you're coming. Leo's mind was racing. He was so excited he could almost feel his body's temperature rising. He couldn't quite put his thoughts into words, but he knew he was on to something important. Leo, Jason said, what are you thinking? Oh, gods, Thalia said, keep moving. Look at your feet. Leo shuffled backward. With horror, he realized his body temperature really was rising, just as it had years ago at that picnic table under the pecan tree, when his anger had gotten away from him. Now, excitement was causing the reaction. His pants steamed in the cold air. His shoes were literally smoking, and the bridge didn't like it. The ice was thinning. Leo, stop it, Jason warned. You're going to melt it. I'll try, Leo said, but his body was overheating on its own, running as fast as his thoughts. Listen, Jason, what did Hera call you in that dream? She called you a bridge. Leo, seriously, cool down, Thalia said. I don't know what you're talking about, but the bridge is... Just listen, Leo insisted. If Jason is a bridge, what's he connecting? Maybe two different places that normally don't get along, like the air palace and the ground. You had to be somewhere before this, right? And Hira said you were an exchange. An exchange. Thalia's eyes widened. Oh, gods. Jason frowned. What are you two talking about? Thalia murmured something like a prayer. I understand now why Artemis sent me here. Jason, she told me to hunt for Lycaon and I would find a clue about Percy. You are the clue. Artemis wanted us to meet so I could hear your story. I don't understand, he protested. I don't have a story. I don't remember anything. But Leo's right, Thalia said. It's all connected. If we just knew where. Leo snapped his fingers. Jason, what did you call that place in your dream? That ruined house. The wolf house? Thalia nearly choked. The wolf house? Jason, why didn't you tell me that? That's where they're keeping Hera? You know where it is? Jason asked. Then the bridge dissolved. Leo would have fallen to his death, but Jason grabbed his coat and pulled him to safety. The two of them scrambled up the bridge, and when they turned, Thalia was on the other side of a thirty-foot chasm. The bridge was continuing to melt. Go! Thalia shouted, backing down the bridge as it crumbled. Find out where the giant is keeping Piper's dad. Save him! I'll take the hunters to the wolf house and hold it until you can get there. We can do both. But where is the wolf house? Jason shouted. You know where it is, little brother, 
She was so far away now that they could barely hear her voice over the wind. Leo was pretty sure she said, I'll see you there. I promise. Then she turned and raced down the dissolving bridge. Leo and Jason had no time to stand around. They climbed for their lives, the ice vapor thinning under their feet. Several times, Jason grabbed Leo and used the winds to keep them aloft, but it was more like bungee jumping than flying. When they reached the floating island, Piper and Coach Hedge pulled them aboard just as the last of the vapor bridge vanished. They stood gasping for breath at the base of a stone stairway chiseled into the side of the cliff, leading up to the fortress. Leo looked back down. The top of Pike's Peak floated below them in a sea of clouds, but there was no sign of Thalia, and Leo had just burned their only exit. "'What happened?' Piper demanded. "'Leo, why are your clothes smoking?' I got a little heated, he gasped. Sorry, Jason. Honest, I didn't... It's all right, Jason said. But his expression was grim. We've got less than 24 hours to rescue a goddess and Piper's dad. Let's go see the King of the Winds. Chapter 37 Jason Jason had found his sister and lost her in less than an hour. As they climbed the cliffs of the floating island, he kept looking back, but Thalia was gone. Despite what she'd said about meeting him again, Jason wondered. She'd found a new family with the hunters and a new mother in Artemis. She seemed so confident and comfortable with her life. Jason wasn't sure if he'd ever be part of it and she seemed so set on finding her friend Percy. Had she ever searched for Jason that way? Not fair, he told himself. She thought you were dead. He could barely tolerate what she'd said about their mom. It was almost like Thalia had handed him a baby, a really loud, ugly baby, and said, Here, this is yours. Carry it. He didn't want to carry it. He didn't want to look at it or claim it. He didn't want to know that he had an unstable mother who'd gotten rid of him to appease a goddess. No wonder Thalia had run away. Then he remembered the Zeus cabin at Camp Half-Blood, that tiny little alcove Thalia had used as a bunk, out of sight from the glowering statue of the sky god. Their dad wasn't much of a bargain either. Jason understood why Thalia had renounced that part of her life, too. But he was still resentful. He couldn't be so lucky. He was left holding the bag. Literally. The golden backpack of winds was strapped over his shoulders. The closer they got to Aeolus's palace, the heavier the bag got. The winds struggled, rumbling and bumping around. The only one who seemed in a good mood was Coach Hedge. He kept bounding up the slippery staircase and trotting back down. Come on, cupcakes! Only a few thousand more steps! As they climbed, Leo and Piper left Jason in his silence. Maybe they could sense his bad mood. Piper kept glancing back, worried as if he were the one who'd almost died of hypothermia rather than she 
Or maybe she was thinking about Thalia's idea. They'd told her what Thalia had said on the bridge, how they could save both her dad and Hera. But Jason didn't really understand how they were going to do that, and he wasn't sure if the possibility had made Piper more hopeful or just more anxious. Leo kept swatting his own legs, checking for signs that his pants were on fire. He wasn't steaming anymore, but the incident on the ice bridge had really freaked Jason out. Leo hadn't seemed to realize that he had smoke coming out of his ears and flames dancing through his hair. If Leo started spontaneously combusting every time he got excited, they were going to have a tough time taking him anywhere. Jason imagined trying to get food at a restaurant. I'll have a cheeseburger and... Ah, uh, my friend's on fire. Get me a bucket. Mostly, though, Jason worried about what Leo had said. Jason didn't want to be a bridge, or an exchange, or anything else. He just wanted to know where he'd come from. And Thalia had looked so unnerved when Leo mentioned the burned-out house in his dreams. The place the wolf Lupa had told him was his starting point. How did Thalia know that place, and why did she assume Jason could find it? The answer seemed close, but the nearer Jason got to it, the less it cooperated like the winds on his back. Finally, they arrived at the top of the island. Bronze walls marched all the way around the fortress grounds, though Jason couldn't imagine who would possibly attack this place. Twenty-foot-high gates opened for them, and a road of polished purple stone led up to the main citadel, a white-columned rotunda, Greek-style, like one of the monuments in Washington, D.C., except for the cluster of satellite dishes and radio towers on the roof. That's bizarre, Piper said. Guess you can't get cable on a floating island, Leo said. Dang, check this guy's front yard. The rotunda sat in the center of a quarter-mile circle. The grounds were amazing in a scary way. They were divided into four sections, like big pizza slices, each one representing a season. The section on their right was an icy waste, with bare trees and a frozen lake. Snowmen rolled across the landscape as the wind blew, so Jason wasn't sure if they were decorations or alive. To their left was an autumn park with gold and red trees. Mounds of leaves blew into patterns. Gods, people, animals, that ran after each other before scattering back into leaves. In the distance, Jason could see two more areas behind the rotunda. One looked like a green pasture with sheep made out of clouds. The last section was a desert, where tumbleweeds scratched strange patterns in the sand like Greek letters, smiley faces, and a huge advertisement that read, Watch Aeolus Nightly. One section for each of the four wind gods, Jason guessed. Four cardinal directions— I'm loving that pasture. Coach Hedge licked his lips. You guys mind? Go ahead, Jason said. He was actually relieved to send the satyr off. It would be hard enough getting on Eolus's good side without Coach Hedge waving his club and screaming, Die! While the satyr ran off to attack springtime, Jason, Leo, and Piper walked down the road to the steps of the palace. 
They passed through the front doors into a white marble foyer decorated with purple banners that read Olympian Weather Channel and some that just read Ow! Hello! A woman floated up to them. Literally floated. She was pretty in that elfish way Jason associated with nature spirits at Camp Half-Blood. Petite, slightly pointy ears, and an ageless face that could have been sixteen or thirty. Her brown eyes twinkled cheerfully. Even though there was no wind, her dark hair blew in slow motion. Shampoo commercial style. Her white gown billowed around her like parachute material. Jason couldn't tell if she had feet, but if so, they didn't touch the floor. She had a white tablet computer in her hand. Are you from Lord Zeus? she asked. We've been expecting you. Jason tried to respond, but it was a little hard to think straight, because he'd realized the woman was see-through. Her shape faded in and out like she was made of fog. Are you a ghost? he asked. Right away, he knew he'd insulted her. The smile turned into a pout. I'm an aura, sir, a wind nymph, as you might expect, working for the Lord of the Winds. My name is Melly. We don't have ghosts. Piper came to the rescue. No, of course you don't. My friend simply mistook you for Helen of Troy, the most beautiful mortal of all time. It's an easy mistake. Wow, she was good. The compliment seemed a little over the top, but Melly, the aura, blushed. Oh, well, then, so you are from Zeus? Er, Jason said. I'm the son of Zeus, yeah. Excellent. Please, right this way. She led them through some security doors into another lobby, consulting her tablet as she floated. She didn't look where she was going, but apparently it didn't matter as she drifted straight through a marble column with no problem. We're out of prime time now, so that's good, she mused. I can fit you in right before his 11-12 spot. Um, okay, Jason said. The lobby was a pretty distracting place. Winds blasted around them, so Jason felt like he was pushing through an invisible crowd. Doors blew open and slammed by themselves. The things Jason could see were just as bizarre. Paper airplanes of all different sizes and shapes sped around, and other wind nymphs, Ori, would occasionally pluck them out of the air, unfold and read them, then toss them back into the air where the planes would refold themselves and keep flying. An ugly creature fluttered past. She looked like a mix between an old lady and a chicken on steroids. She had a wrinkled face with black hair tied in a hairnet, arms like a human, plus wings like a chicken, and a fat feathered body with talons for feet. It was amazing she could fly at all. She kept drifting around and bumping into things like a parade balloon, not an aura? Jason asked Melly as the creature wobbled by. Melly laughed. That's a harpy, of course. Our, uh, ugly stepsisters, I suppose you would say. Don't you have harpies on Olympus? They're spirits of violent gusts, unlike us, Ori.
We're all gentle breezes. She battered her eyes at Jason. Course you are, he said. So, Piper prompted, you are taking us to see Eolus? Melly led them through a set of doors like an airlock. Above the interior door, a green light blinked. We have a few minutes before he starts, Melly said cheerfully. He probably won't kill you if we go in now. Come along. Chapter 38 Jason Jason's jaw dropped. The central section of Eolus's fortress was as big as a cathedral, with a soaring, domed roof covered in silver. Television equipment floated randomly through the air. Cameras, spotlights, set pieces, potted plants. And there was no floor. Leo almost fell into the chasm before Jason pulled him back. Holy! Leo gulped. Hey, Melly, a little warning next time. An enormous circular pit plunged into the heart of the mountain. It was probably half a mile deep, honeycombed with caves. Some of the tunnels probably led straight outside. Jason remembered seeing winds blast out of them when they'd been on Pike's Peak. Other caves were sealed with some glistening material like glass or wax. The whole cavern bustled with harpies, ori, and paper airplanes, but for someone who couldn't fly, it would be a very long, very fatal fall. Oh, my, Melly gasped. I'm so sorry. She unclipped a walkie-talkie from somewhere inside her robes and spoke into it. Hello, sets. Is that Nuggets? Hi, Nuggets. Could we get a floor in the main studio, please? Yes, a solid one. Thanks. A few seconds later, an army of harpies rose from the pit. Three dozen or so demon chicken ladies, all carrying squares of various building material. They went to work hammering and gluing, and using large quantities of duct tape, which didn't reassure Jason. In no time, there was a makeshift floor snaking out over the chasm. It was made of plywood, marble blocks, carpet squares, wedges of grass sod, just about anything. That can't be safe, Jason said. Oh, it is, Melly assured him. The harpies are very good. Easy for her to say. She just drifted across without touching the floor. But Jason decided he had the best chance at surviving, since he could fly, so he stepped out first. Amazingly, the floor held. Piper gripped his hand and followed him. If I fall, you're catching me. Uh, sure. Jason hoped he wasn't blushing. Leo stepped out next. You're catching me too, Superman, but I ain't holding your hand. Melly led them toward the middle of the chamber where a loose sphere of flat panel video screens floated around a kind of control center. A man hovered inside, checking monitors and reading paper airplane messages. The man paid them no attention as Melly brought them forward. She pushed a 42-inch Sony out of their way and led them into the control area. Leo whistled. I gotta get a room like this. The floating screens showed all sorts of television programs. Some Jason recognized, news broadcasts mostly, 
but some programs looked a little strange. Gladiators fighting, demigods battling monsters. Maybe they were movies, but they looked more like reality shows. At the far end of the sphere was a silky blue backdrop like a cinema screen, with cameras and studio lights floating around it. The man in the center was talking into an earpiece phone. He had a remote control in each hand and was pointing them at various screens, seemingly at random. He wore a business suit that looked like the sky, blue mostly, but dappled with clouds that changed and darkened and moved across the fabric. He looked like he was in his sixties, with a shock of white hair, but he had a ton of stage makeup on and that smooth plastic surgery look to his face. So he appeared not really young, not really old, just wrong, like a Ken doll someone had halfway melted in a microwave. His eyes darted back and forth from screen to screen like he was trying to absorb everything at once. He muttered things into his phone and his mouth kept twitching. He was either amused or crazy or both. Melly floated toward him. Ah, uh, sir, Mr. Eolus, these demigods... Hold it. He held up a hand to silence her, then pointed at one of the screens. Watch! It was one of those storm chaser programs where insane thrill-seekers drive after tornadoes. As Jason watched, a jeep plowed straight into a funnel cloud and got tossed into the sky. Eolus shrieked with delight. The Disaster Channel! People do that on purpose! He turned toward Jason with a mad grin. Isn't that amazing? Let's watch it again. Um, sir, Melly said. This is Jason, son of... Yes, yes, I remember, Eolus said. You're back. How did it go? Jason hesitated. Sorry? I think you've mistaken me. No, no, Jason Grace, aren't you? It was, what, last year? You were on your way to fight a sea monster, I believe. I... I don't remember. Eolus laughed. Must not have been a very good sea monster. No, I remember every hero who's ever come to me for aid. Odysseus! Gods, he docked at my island for a month. At least you only stayed a few days. Now, watch this video. These ducks get sucked straight into... Sir... Melly interrupted. Two minutes to air. Air? Eolus exclaimed. I love air. How do I look? Makeup! Immediately, a small tornado of brushes, blotters, and cotton balls descended on Eolus. They blurred across his face in a cloud of flesh-toned smoke until his coloration was even more gruesome than before. Wind swirled through his hair and left it sticking up like a frosted Christmas tree. Mr. Eolus, Jason slipped off the golden backpack. We brought you these rogue storm spirits. Did you? Eolus looked at the bag like it was a gift from a fan, something he really didn't want. Well, how nice. Leo nudged him, and Jason offered the bag. Boreas sent us to capture them for you. We hope you'll accept them and stop... You know, ordering demigods to be killed. Eolus laughed.
and looked incredulously at Melly. Demigods be killed. Did I order that? Melly checked her computer tablet. Yes, sir. 15th of September. Storm spirits released by the death of Typhon. Demigods to be held responsible, etc. Yes, a general order for them all to be killed. Oh, pish, Eela said. I was just grumpy. Rescind that order, Melly. And, um, who's on guard duty? Teriyaki? Terry? Take these storm spirits down to cell block 14E, will ya? A harpy swooped out of nowhere, snatched the golden bag, and spiraled into the abyss. Eolus grinned at Jason. Now, sorry about that kill-on-sight business, but gods, I really was mad, wasn't I? His face suddenly darkened, and his suit did the same, the lapels flashing with lightning. You know, I remember now. Almost seemed like a voice was telling me to give that order. A little cold tingle on the back of my neck. Jason tensed. A cold tingle on the back of his neck. Why did that sound so familiar? A, um, voice in your head, sir? Yes. How odd. Melly, should we kill them? No, sir, she said patiently. They just brought us the storm spirits, which makes everything all right. Of course, Eolus laughed. Sorry. Melly, let's send the demigods something nice. A box of chocolates, perhaps. A box of chocolates to every demigod in the world, sir? No, too expensive. Never mind. Wait, it's time. I'm on. Eolus flew off toward the blue screen as newscast music started to play. Jason looked at Piper and Leo, who seemed just as confused as he was. Melly, he said, is he always like that? She smiled sheepishly. Well, you know what they say. If you don't like his mood, wait five minutes. That expression, whichever way the wind blows, that was based on him. And that thing about the sea monster, Jason said. Was I here before? Melly blushed. I'm sorry, I don't remember. I'm Mr. Eolus's new assistant. I've been with him longer than most, but still, not that long. How long do his assistants usually last? Piper asked. Oh, Melly thought for a moment. I've been doing this for twelve hours? A voice blared from floating speakers. And now, weather every twelve minutes. Here's your forecaster for Olympian weather, the Ow Channel, Eolus. Lights blazed on Eolus, who was now standing in front of the blue screen. His smile was unnaturally white, and he looked like he'd had so much caffeine his face was about to explode. Hello, Olympus! Eolus, master of the winds here, with weather every twelve. We'll have a low-pressure system moving over Florida today, so expect milder temperatures since Demeter wishes to spare the citrus farmers. He gestured at the blue screen. 
But when Jason checked the monitors, he saw that a digital image was being projected behind Eolus. So it looked like he was standing in front of a U.S. map with animated smiley suns and frowny storm clouds. Along the eastern seaboard. Oh, hold on. He tapped his earpiece. Sorry, folks. Poseidon is angry with Miami today, so it looks like that Florida freeze is back on. Sorry, Demeter. Over in the Midwest, I'm not sure what St. Louis did to offend Zeus, but you can expect winter storms. Boreas himself is being called down to punish the area with ice. Bad news, Missouri. No, wait. Hephaestus feels sorry for central Missouri, so you all will have much more moderate temperatures and sunny skies. Eolus kept going like that, forecasting each area of the country and changing his prediction two or three times as he got messages over his earpiece, the gods apparently putting in orders for various winds and weather. This can't be right, Jason whispered. Weather isn't this random. Melly smirked. And how often are the mortal weathermen right? They talk about fronts and air pressure and moisture, but the weather surprises them all the time. At least Eolus tells us why it's so unpredictable. Very hard job, trying to appease all the gods at once. It's enough to drive anyone. She trailed off. But Jason knew what she meant. Mad. Eolus was completely mad. And that's the weather, Eolus concluded. See you in twelve minutes, because I'm sure it'll change. The lights shut off. The video monitors went back to random coverage, and just for a moment, Eolus's face sagged with weariness. Then he seemed to remember he had guests, and he put a smile back on. So, you brought me some rogue storm spirits, Eolus said. I suppose... Thanks. And did you want something else? I assume so. Demigods always do. Melly said, Um, sir, this is Zeus's son. Yes, yes, I know that. I said I remembered him from before. But, sir, they're here from Olympus. Eolus looked stunned. Then he laughed so abruptly, Jason almost jumped into the chasm. You mean you're here on behalf of your father this time? Finally! I knew they would send someone to renegotiate my contract. Um, what? Jason asked. Oh, thank goodness. Eolus sighed with relief. It's been, what, three thousand years since Zeus made me master of the winds? Not that I'm ungrateful, of course. But really, my contract is so vague. Obviously, I'm a mortal. But master of the winds... What does that mean? Am I a nature spirit, a demigod, a god? I want to be god of the winds, because the benefits are so much better. Can we start with that? Jason looked at his friends, mystified. Dude, Leo said, you think we're here to promote you? You are, then? Eolus grinned. His business suit turned completely blue, not a cloud in the fabric. Marvelous. I mean, I think I've shown quite a bit of initiative with the Weather Channel, eh? 
and of course, I'm in the press all the time. So many books have been written about me. Into thin air, up in the air, gone with the wind. Uh, I don't think those are about you, Jason said before he noticed Melly shaking her head. Nonsense, Ella said. Melly, they're biographies of me, aren't they? Absolutely, sir, she squeaked. There, you see. I don't read. Who has time? But obviously, the mortals love me, so we'll change my official title to God. Of the winds, then about salary and staff, sir," Jason said. "We're not from Olympus." Elis blinked. "But I'm the son of Zeus, yes," Jason said. "But we're not here to negotiate your contract. We're on a quest, and we need your help." Elis's expression hardened. Like last time. Like every hero who comes here, demigods, it's always about you, isn't it, sir? Please, I don't remember last time, but if you helped me once before, I'm always helping. Well, sometimes I'm destroying, but mostly I'm helping, and sometimes I'm asked to do both at the same time. Why, Aeneas, the first of your kind? My kind, Jason asked. You mean demigods? Oh, please, Elis said. I mean your line of demigods. You know, Aeneas, son of Venus, the only surviving hero of Troy. When the Greeks burned down his city, he escaped to Italy, where he founded the kingdom that would eventually become Rome. Blah blah blah. That's what I meant. I don't get it. Jason admitted. Elis rolled his eyes. The point being, I was thrown in the middle of that conflict too. Juno calls up. Oh, Elis, destroy Aeneas's ships for me. I don't like him. Then Neptune says, No, you don't. That's my territory. Calm the winds. Then Juno is like, No, wreck his ships, or I'll tell Jupiter you're uncooperative. Do you think it's easy juggling requests like that? No, Jason said. I guess not. And don't get me started on Amelia Earhart. I'm still getting angry calls from Olympus about knocking her out of the sky. We just want information, Piper said in her most calming voice. We hear you know everything. Elis straightened his lapels and looked slightly mollified. Well, that's true, of course. For instance, I know that this business here—he waggled his fingers at the three of them—this hair-brained scheme of Juno's to bring you all together is likely to end in bloodshed. As for you, Piper McLean, I know your father is in serious trouble. He held out his hand. And a scrap of paper fluttered into his grasp. It was a photo of Piper with a guy who must have been her dad. His face did look familiar. Jason was pretty sure he'd seen him in some movies. Piper took the photo. Her hands were shaking. This, this is from his wallet. Yes, Eula said. All things lost in the wind eventually come to me. The photo blew away when the Earthborn captured him.
The what? Piper asked. Elis waved aside the question and narrowed his eyes at Leo. Now you, son of Hephaestus. Yes, I see your future. Another paper fell into the wind god's hands, an old tattered drawing done in crayons. Leo took it as if it might be coated in poison. He staggered backward. Leo? Jason said. What is it? Something I... I drew when I was a kid. He folded it quickly and put it in his coat. It's... Yeah, it's nothing. Eolus laughed. Really? Just the key to your success? Now, where were we? Ah, yes. You wanted information. Are you sure about that? Sometimes information can be dangerous. He smiled at Jason like he was issuing a challenge. Behind him, Melly shook her head in warning. Yeah, Jason said. We need to find the lair of Enceladus. Eolus's smile melted. The giant? Why would you want to go there? He's horrible. He doesn't even watch my program. Piper held up the photo. Eolus, he's got my father. We need to rescue him and find out where Hera is being held captive. Now that's impossible, Eolus said. Even I can't see that. And believe me, I've tried. There's a veil of magic over Hera's location. Very strong. Impossible to locate. She's at a place called the Wolf House, Jason said. Hold on. Eolus put a hand to his forehead and closed his eyes. I'm getting something. Yes, she's at a place called the Wolf House. Sadly, I don't know where that is. Enceladus does, Piper persisted. If you help us find him, we could get the location of the goddess. Yeah, Leo said, catching on. And if we save her, she'd be really grateful to you. And Zeus might promote you, Jason finished. Eolus's eyebrows crept up. A promotion? And all you want from me is the giant's location? Well, if you could get us there too, Jason amended, that would be great. Melly clapped her hands in excitement. Oh, he could do that. He often sends helpful winds. Melly, quiet! Eolus snapped. I have half a mind to fire you for letting these people in under false pretenses. Her face paled. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. It wasn't her fault, Jason said. But about that help. Eolus tilted his head as if thinking. Then Jason realized the Wind Lord was listening to voices in his earpiece. Well... Zeus approves, Eolus muttered. He says, he says it would be better if you could avoid saving her until after the weekend, because he has a big party planned. Ow! That's Aphrodite yelling at him, reminding him that the solstice starts at dawn. She says I should help you. And Hephaestus. Yes. Hmm. Very rare they agree on anything. Hold on. Jason smiled at his friends. Finally, they were having some good luck. Their godly parents were standing up for them.
back toward the entrance, Jason heard a loud belch. Coach Hedge waddled in from the lobby, grass all over his face. Melly saw him coming across the makeshift floor and caught her breath. Who is that? Jason stifled a cough. That? That's just Coach Hedge. Uh, Gleason Hedge. He's our... Jason wasn't sure what to call him. Teacher? Friend? Problem? Our guide. He's so goatly, Melly murmured. Behind her, Piper poofed out her cheeks, pretending to vomit. What's up, guys? Hedge trotted over. Wow, nice place. Oh, sod squares. Coach, you just ate, Jason said, and we're using the sod as a floor. This is, uh, Melly. Honora. Hedge smiled winningly. Beautiful as a summer breeze. Melly blushed. And Eolus here was just about to help us, Jason said. Yes, the Windlord muttered. It seems so. You'll find Enceladus on Mount Diablo. Devil Mountain? Leo asked. That doesn't sound good. I remember that place, Piper said. I went there once with my dad. It's just east of San Francisco Bay. The Bay Area again? The coach shook his head. Not good. Not good at all. Now, Elis began to smile. As to getting you there... Suddenly, his face went slack. He bent over and tapped his earpiece as if it were malfunctioning. When he straightened again, his eyes were wild. Despite the makeup, he looked like an old man. An old, very frightened man. She hasn't spoke to me for centuries. I can't. Yes. Yes, I understand. He swallowed, regarding Jason as if he had suddenly turned into a giant cockroach. I'm sorry, son of Jupiter. New orders. You all have to die. Melly squeaked. But, but, sir, Zeus said to help them, Aphrodite, Hephaestus. Melly, Eolus snapped. Your job is already on the line. Besides, there are some orders that transcend even the wishes of the gods, especially when it comes to the forces of nature. Whose orders, Jason said. Zeus will fire you if you don't help us. I doubt it. Eolus flicked his wrist, and far below them a cell door opened in the pit. Jason could hear storm spirits screaming out of it, spiraling up toward them, howling for blood. Even Zeus understands the order of things, Eolus said. And if she is waking, by all the gods, she cannot be denied. Goodbye, heroes. I'm terribly sorry, but I'll have to make this quick. I'm back on the air in four minutes. Jason summoned his sword. Coach Hedge pulled out his club. Melly, the aura, yelled, No! She dived at their feet just as the storm spirits hit with hurricane force, blasting the floor to pieces, shredding the carpet samples and marble and linoleum into what should have been lethal projectiles, 
had Melly's robes not spread out like a shield and absorbed the brunt of the impact. The five of them fell into the pit, and Aeolus screamed above them, Melly, you are so fired! Quick, Melly yelled, Son of Zeus, do you have any power over the air? A little. Then help me, or you're all dead. Melly grabbed his hand, and an electric charge went through Jason's arm. He understood what she needed. They had to control their fall and head for one of the open tunnels. The storm spirits were following them down, closing rapidly, bringing with them a cloud of deadly shrapnel. Jason grabbed Piper's hand. Group hug! Hedge, Leo, and Piper tried to huddle together, hanging on to Jason and Melly as they fell. This is not good, Leo yelled. Bring it on, gas bags, Hedge yelled up at the storm spirits. I'll pulverize you. He's magnificent, Melly sighed. Concentrate, Jason prompted. Right, she said. They channeled the wind so their fall became more of a tumble into the nearest open chute. Still, they slammed into the tunnel at painful speed and went rolling over each other down a steep vent that was not designed for people. There was no way they could stop. Melly's robes billowed around her. Jason and the others clung to her desperately, and they began to slow down, but the storm spirits were screaming into the tunnel behind them. Can't hold long, Melly warned. Stay together when the winds hit. You're doing great, Melly, Hedge said. My own mama was an aura, you know. She couldn't have done better herself. Iris message me, Melly pleaded. Hedge winked. Could you guys plan your date later? Piper screamed. Look! Behind them, the tunnel was turning dark. Jason could feel his ears pop as the pressure built. Can't hold them, Melly warned, but I'll try to shield you. Do you one more favor? Thanks, Melly, Jason said. I hope you get a new job. She smiled and then dissolved, wrapping them in a warm, gentle breeze. Then the real winds hit shooting them into the sky so fast, Jason blacked out. Chapter 39 Piper Piper dreamed she was on the wilderness school dorm roof. The desert night was cold, but she'd brought blankets, and with Jason next to her, she didn't need any more warmth. The air smelled of sage and burning mesquite. On the horizon... The spring mountains loomed like jagged black teeth, the dim glow of Las Vegas behind them. The stars were so bright, Piper had been afraid they wouldn't be able to see the meteor shower. She didn't want Jason to think she'd dragged him up here on false pretenses, even though her pretenses had been totally false. But the meteors did not disappoint. One streaked across the sky almost every minute a line of white, yellow, or blue fire. Piper was sure her Grandpa Tom would have some Cherokee myth to explain them, but at the moment she was busy creating her own story. Jason took her hand. Finally, 
and pointed as two meteors skipped across the atmosphere and formed a cross. Wow, he said. I can't believe Leo didn't want to see this. Actually, I didn't invite him, Piper said casually. Jason smiled. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. You ever feel like three would be a crowd? Yeah, Jason admitted. Like, right now. You know how much trouble we'd get in if we got caught up here? Oh, I'd make up something, Piper said. I can be very persuasive. So, you want to dance, or what? He laughed. His eyes were amazing, and his smile was even better in the starlight. With no music, at night, on a rooftop. Sounds dangerous. I'm a dangerous girl. That I can believe. He stood and offered her his hand. They slow danced a few steps, but it quickly turned into a kiss. Piper almost couldn't kiss him again because she was too busy smiling. Then her dream changed. Or maybe she was dead in the underworld because she found herself back in Medea's department store. Please let this be a dream, she murmured, and not my eternal punishment. No, dear, said a woman's honey-sweet voice. No punishment. Piper turned, afraid she'd see Medea, but a different woman stood next to her, browsing through the 50% off rack. The woman was gorgeous, shoulder-length hair, a graceful neck, perfect features, and an amazing figure tucked into jeans and a snowy white top. Piper had seen her share of actresses. Most of her dad's dates were knockout beautiful, but this lady was different. She was elegant without trying, fashionable without effort, stunning without makeup. After seeing Eolus with his silly facelifts and cosmetics, Piper thought this woman looked even more astonishing. There was nothing artificial about her. Yet as Piper watched, the woman's appearance changed. Piper couldn't decide the color of her eyes or the exact color of her hair. The woman became more and more beautiful, as if her image were aligning itself to Piper's thoughts, getting as close as possible to Piper's ideal of beauty. Aphrodite, Piper said. Mom? The goddess smiled. You're only dreaming, my sweet. If anyone wonders, I wasn't here. Okay? I... Piper wanted to ask a thousand questions, but they all crowded together in her head. Aphrodite held up a turquoise dress. Piper thought it looked awesome, but the goddess made a face. This isn't my color, is it? Pity, it's cute. Medea really does have some lovely things here. This, this building exploded, Piper stammered. I saw it. Yes, Aphrodite agreed. I suppose that's why everything's on sale. Just a memory now. And I'm sorry to pull you out of your other dream. Much more pleasant, I know. Piper's face burned. She didn't know whether she was more angry or embarrassed 
but mostly she felt hollow with disappointment. It wasn't real. It never even happened. So why do I remember it so vividly? Aphrodite smiled. Because you are my daughter, Piper. You see possibilities much more vividly than others. You see what could be. And it still might be. Don't give up. Unfortunately, the goddess gestured around the department store. You have other trials to face first. Medea will be back, along with many other enemies. The doors of death have opened. What do you mean? Aphrodite winked at her. You're a smart one, Piper. You know. A cold feeling settled over her. The sleeping woman, the one Medea and Midas called their patron. She's managed to open a new entrance from the underworld. She's letting the dead escape back into the world. Mmm, and not just any dead. The worst, the most powerful, the ones most likely to hate the gods. The monsters are coming back from Tartarus the same way. Piper guessed. That's why they don't stay disintegrated. Yes. Their patron, as you call her, has a special relationship with Tartarus, the spirit of the pit. Aphrodite held up a gold-sequined top. No, this would make me look ridiculous. Piper laughed uneasily. You... You can't look anything but perfect. You're sweet, Aphrodite said. But beauty is about finding the right fit, the most natural fit. To be perfect, you have to feel perfect about yourself. Avoid trying to be something you're not. For a goddess, that's especially hard. We can change so easily. My dad thought you were perfect. Piper's voice quavered. He never got over you. Aphrodite's gaze became distant. Yes, Tristan. Oh, he was amazing. So gentle and kind, funny and handsome. Yet he had so much sadness inside. Could we please not talk about him in the past tense? I'm sorry, dear. I didn't want to leave your father, of course. It's always so hard, but it was for the best. If he had realized who I actually was... Wait, he didn't know you were a goddess? Of course not. Aphrodite sounded offended. I wouldn't do that to him. For most mortals, that's simply too hard to accept. It can ruin their lives. Ask your friend Jason. Lovely boy, by the way. His poor mother was destroyed when she found out she'd fallen in love with Zeus. No, it was much better Tristan believed that I was a mortal woman who left him without explanation. Better a bittersweet memory than an immortal, unattainable goddess. Which brings me to an important matter. 
She opened her hand and showed Piper a glowing glass vial of pink liquid. This is one of Medea's kinder mixtures. It erases only recent memories. When you save your father, if you can save him, you should give him this. Piper couldn't believe what she was hearing. You want me to dope my dad? You want me to make him forget what he's been through? Aphrodite held up the vial. The liquid cast a pink glow over her face. Your father acts confident, Piper, but he walks a fine line between two worlds. He's worked his whole life to deny the old stories about gods and spirits, yet he fears those stories might be real. He fears that he's shut off an important part of himself, and some day it will destroy him. Now he's been captured by a giant. He's living a nightmare. Even if he survives, if he has to spend the rest of his life with those memories, knowing that gods and spirits walk the earth, it will shatter him. That's what our enemy hopes for. She will break him, and thus break your spirit. Piper wanted to shout that Aphrodite was wrong. Her dad was the strongest person she knew. Piper would never take his memories the way Hera had taken Jason's. But somehow she couldn't stay angry with Aphrodite. She remembered what her dad had said months ago, at the beach at Big Sur. If I really believed in ghost country, or animal spirits, or Greek gods, I don't think I could sleep at night. I'd always be looking for somebody to blame. Now Piper wanted someone to blame, too. Who is she? Piper demanded. The one controlling the giants. Aphrodite pursed her lips. She moved to the next rack, which held battered armor and ripped togas, but Aphrodite looked through them as if they were designer outfits. You have a strong will, she mused. I'm never given much credit among the gods. My children are laughed at. They're dismissed as conceited and shallow. Some of them are, Aphrodite laughed. Granted. Perhaps I'm conceited and shallow too sometimes. A girl has to indulge. Oh, this is nice. She picked up a burned and stained bronze breastplate and held it up for Piper to see. No? No, Piper said. Are you going to answer my question? Patience, my sweet, the goddess said. My point is that love is the most powerful motivator in the world. It spurs mortals to greatness. Their noblest, bravest acts are done for love. Piper pulled out her dagger and studied its reflective blade. Like Helen starting the Trojan War? Ah, Catoptris, Aphrodite smiled. I'm glad you found it. I get so much flack for that war. But honestly... Paris and Helen were a cute couple, and the heroes of that war are immortal now, at least in the memories of men. Love is powerful, Piper. 
it can bring even the gods to their knees. I told this to my son, Aeneas, when he escaped from Troy. He thought he had failed. He thought he was a loser. But he traveled to Italy and became the forebearer of Rome. Exactly. You see, Piper, my children can be quite powerful. You can be quite powerful, because my lineage is unique. I am closer to the beginning of creation than any other Olympian. Piper struggled to remember about Aphrodite's birth. Didn't you rise from the sea, standing on a seashell? The goddess laughed. That painter Botticelli had quite an imagination. I never stood on a seashell, thank you very much. But yes, I rose from the sea. The first beings to rise from chaos were the earth and sky, Gia and Uranus. When their son, the titan Kronos, killed Uranus by chopping him to pieces with a scythe, Piper remembered. Aphrodite wrinkled her nose. Yes, the pieces of Uranus fell into the sea. His immortal essence created sea foam, and from that foam, you were born. I remember now. So you're the last child of Uranus, who was greater than the gods or the titans. So, in a strange way, I'm the eldest Olympian god. As I said, love is a powerful force, and you, my daughter, are much more than a pretty face. Which is why you already know who is waking the giants, and who has the power to open doors into the deepest parts of the earth. Aphrodite waited as if she could sense Piper slowly putting together the pieces of a puzzle, which made a dreadful picture. Gia, Piper said, the earth itself, that's our enemy. She hoped Aphrodite would say no, but the goddess kept her eyes on the rack of tattered armor. She has slumbered for eons, but she is slowly waking. Even asleep, she is powerful, but once she wakes, we will be doomed. You must defeat the giants before that happens, and lull Gia back into her slumber. Otherwise the rebellion has only begun. The dead will continue to rise. Monsters will regenerate with even greater speed. The giants will lay waste to the birthplace of the gods, and if they do that... All civilization will burn. But Gia? Mother Earth? Do not underestimate her, Aphrodite warned. She is a cruel deity. She orchestrated Uranus's death. She gave Kronos the sickle and urged him to kill his own father. While the Titans ruled the world, she slumbered in peace. But when the gods overthrew them, Gia woke again in all her anger and gave birth to a new race, the giants, to destroy Olympus once and for all. And it's happening again, 
Piper said. The rise of the giants. Aphrodite nodded. Now you know. What will you do? Me? Piper clenched her fists. What am I supposed to do? Put on a pretty dress and sweet-talk Gia into going back to sleep? I wish that would work, Aphrodite said. But no, you will have to find your own strengths and fight for what you love. Like my favored ones, Helen and Paris. Like my son, Aeneas. Helen and Paris died, Piper said. And Aeneas became a hero, the goddess countered. The first great hero of Rome. The result will depend on you, Piper, but I will tell you this. The seven greatest demigods must be gathered to defeat the giants, and that effort will not succeed without you. When the two sides meet, you will be the mediator. You will determine whether there is friendship or bloodshed. What two sides? Piper's vision began to dim. You must wake soon, my child, said the goddess. I do not always agree with Hera, but she's taken a bold risk, and I agree it must be done. Zeus has kept the two sides apart for too long. Only together will you have the power to save Olympus. Now wake, and I hope you like the clothes I picked out. What clothes? Piper demanded. But the dream faded to black. Chapter 40 Piper Piper woke at a table at a sidewalk cafe. For a second, she thought she was still dreaming. It was a sunny morning. The air was brisk, but not unpleasant for sitting outside. At the other tables, a mix of bicyclists, business people, and college kids sat chatting and drinking coffee. She could smell eucalyptus trees. Lots of foot traffic passed in front of quaint little shops. The street was lined with bottle brush trees and blooming azaleas, as if winter was a foreign concept. In other words, she was in California. Her friends sat in chairs around her, all of them with their hands calmly folded across their chests, dozing pleasantly. And they all had new clothes on. Piper looked down at her own outfit and gasped, Mother! She yelled louder than she meant. Jason flinched, bumping the table with his knees, and then all of them were awake. What? Hedge demanded. Fight who? Where? Falling! Leo grabbed the table. No, not falling. Where are we? Jason blinked, trying to get his bearings. He focused on Piper and made a little choking sound. What are you wearing? Piper probably blushed. She was wearing the turquoise dress she'd seen in her dream, with black leggings and black leather boots. She had on her favorite silver charm bracelet, even though she'd left that back home in L.A., and her old snowboarding jacket from her dad, which amazingly went with the outfit pretty well. She pulled out Catoptris, and judging from the reflection in the blade, she'd gotten her hair done, too. It's nothing, she said. It's my... 
She remembered Aphrodite's warning not to mention that they'd talked. It's nothing. Leo grinned. Aphrodite strikes again, huh? You're gonna be the best-dressed warrior in town, beauty queen. Hey, Leo, Jason nudged his arm. You look at yourself recently? What? Oh. All of them had been given a makeover. Leo was wearing pinstriped pants, black leather shoes, a white collarless shirt with suspenders, and his tool belt, Ray-Ban sunglasses, and a pork pie hat. God, Leo, Piper tried not to laugh. I think my dad wore that to his last premiere, minus the tool belt. Hey, shut up. I think he looks good, said Coach Hedge. Of course, I look better. The satyr was a pastel nightmare. Aphrodite had given him a baggy canary yellow zoot suit with two-toned shoes that fit over his hooves. He had a matching yellow broad-brimmed hat, a rose-colored shirt, a baby blue tie, and a blue carnation in his lapel, which Hedge sniffed and then ate. Well, Jason said, at least your mom overlooked me. Piper knew that wasn't exactly true. Looking at him, her heart did a little tap dance. Jason was dressed simply in jeans and a clean purple T-shirt, like he'd worn at the Grand Canyon. He had new track shoes on, and his hair was newly trimmed. His eyes were the same color as the sky. Aphrodite's message was clear. This one needs no improvement. And Piper agreed. Anyway, she said uncomfortably, how did we get here? Oh, uh, that would be Melly, Hedge said, chewing happily on his carnation. Those winds shot us halfway across the country, I guess. We would have been smashed flat on impact, but Melly's last gift... A nice soft breeze cushioned our fall. And she got fired for us, Leo said. Man, we suck. Ah, uh, she'll be fine, Hedge said. Besides, she couldn't help herself. I've got that effect on nymphs. I'll send her a message when we're through with this quest and help her figure something out. <laughs> that is one aura I could settle down with and raise a herd of baby goats. I'm going to be sick, Piper said. Anyone else want coffee? Coffee! Hedge's grin was stained blue from the flower. I love coffee! Um, Jason said, but money? Our packs? Piper looked down. Their packs were at their feet, and everything seemed to still be there. She reached into her coat pocket and felt two things she hadn't expected. One was a wad of cash. The other was a glass vial, the amnesia potion. She left the vial in her pocket and brought out the money. Leo whistled. Allowance? Piper, your mom rocks. Waitress! Hedge called. Six double espressos and whatever these guys want. Put it on the girls' tab. It didn't take them long to figure out where they were. The menu said Café Verve, Walnut Creek, California. And according to the waitress, it was 9 a.m. on December 21st, the winter solstice, which gave them three hours until Enceladus's deadline. They didn't have to wonder where Mount Diablo was either. They could see it on the horizon, right at the end of the street. After the Rockies, Mount Diablo didn't look very large, nor was it covered in snow. 
It seemed downright peaceful, its golden creases marbled with gray-green trees. But size was deceptive with mountains, Piper knew. It was probably much bigger up close, and appearances were deceptive too. Here they were, back in California, supposedly her home, with sunny skies, mild weather, laid-back people, and a plate of chocolate chip scones with coffee. And only a few miles away, somewhere on that peaceful mountain, a super-powerful, super-evil giant was about to have her father for lunch. Leo pulled something out of his pocket, the old crayon drawing Eolus had given him. Aphrodite must have thought it was important if she'd magically transferred it to his new outfit. What is that? Piper asked. Leo folded it up gingerly again and put it away. Nothing. You don't want to see my kindergarten artwork. It's more than that, Jason guessed. Eolus said it was the key to our success. Leo shook his head. Not today. He was talking about... later. How can you be sure? Piper asked. Trust me, Leo said. Now, what's our game plan? Coach Hedge belched. He'd already had three espressos and a plate of donuts, along with two napkins and another flower from the vase on the table. He would have eaten the silverware, except Piper had slapped his hand. Climb the mountain, Hedge said. Kill everything except Piper's dad. Leave. Thank you, General Eisenhower, Jason grumbled. Hey, I'm just saying. Guys, Piper said, there's more you need to know. It was tricky, because she couldn't mention her mom, but she told them she'd figured some things out in her dreams. She told them about their real enemy, Gia. Gia? Leo shook his head. Isn't that Mother Nature? She's supposed to have, like, flowers in her hair and birds singing around her and deer and rabbits doing her laundry. Leo, that's Snow White, Piper said. Okay, but... Listen, Cupcake, Coach Hedge dabbed the espresso out of his goatee. Piper's telling us some serious stuff here. Gia's no softy. I'm not even sure I could take her. Leo whistled. Really? Hedge nodded. This Earth lady, she and her old man, the sky, were nasty customers. Uranos, Piper said. She couldn't help looking up at the blue sky, wondering if it had eyes. Right, Hedge said. So, Uranos, he's not the best dad. He throws their first kids, the Cyclopes, into Tartarus. That makes Gia mad, but she bides her time. Then they have another set of kids, the Twelve Titans, and Gia is afraid they'll get thrown into prison too. So she goes up to her son, Kronos. The big bad dude, Leo said. The one they defeated last summer. Right. And Gia's the one who gives him the scythe and tells him, Hey, why don't I call your dad down here? And while he's talking to me, distracted, you can cut him to pieces. Then you can take over the world. Wouldn't that be great? Nobody said anything. Piper's chocolate chip scone didn't look so appetizing anymore. Even though she'd heard the story before, she still couldn't quite get her mind around it. 
She tried to imagine a kid so messed up he would kill his own dad just for power. Then she imagined a mom so messed up she would convince her son to do it. Definitely not Snow White, she decided. Nah, Kronos was a bad guy, Hedge said. But Gia is literally the mother of all bad guys. She's so old and powerful, so huge, that it's hard for her to be fully conscious. Most of the time she sleeps, and that's the way we like her. Snoring. But she talked to me, Leo said. How can she be asleep? Gleason brushed crumbs off his canary yellow lapel. He was on his sixth espresso now, and his pupils were as big as quarters. Even in her sleep, part of her consciousness is active. Dreaming, keeping watch, doing little things like causing volcanoes to explode and monsters to rise. Even now, she's not fully awake. Believe me, you don't want to see her fully awake. But she's getting more powerful, Piper said. She's causing the giants to rise, and if their king comes back... This guy, Porphyrian? He'll raise an army to destroy the gods, Jason put in. Starting with Hera, it'll be another war, and Gia will wake up fully. Gleason nodded. Which is why it's a good idea for us to stay off the ground as much as possible. Leo looked warily at Mount Diablo. So, climbing a mountain, that would be bad. Piper's heart sank. First, she'd been asked to betray her friends. Now they were trying to help her rescue her dad, even though they knew they were walking into a trap. The idea of fighting a giant had been scary enough, but the idea that Gia was behind it, a force more powerful than a god or titan. Guys, I can't ask you to do this, Piper said. This is too dangerous. You kidding? Gleason belched and showed them his blue carnation smile. Who's ready to beat stuff up? Chapter 41 Leo Leo hoped the taxi could take them all the way to the top. No such luck. The cab made lurching, grinding sounds as it climbed the mountain road, and halfway up they found the ranger station closed a chain blocking the way. Far as I can go, the cabbie said. You sure about this? Gonna be a long walk back and my car's acting funny. I can't wait for you. We're sure. Leo was the first one out. He had a bad feeling about what was wrong with the cab, and when he looked down, he saw he was right. The wheels were sinking into the road like it was made of quicksand. Not fast, just enough to make the driver think he had a transmission problem or a bad axle. But Leo knew different. The road was hard-packed dirt. No reason at all it should have been soft. But already Leo's shoes were starting to sink. Gia was messing with them. While his friends got out, Leo paid the cabbie. He was generous. Heck, why not? It was Aphrodite's money. Plus, he had a feeling he might never be coming off this mountain. Keep the change, he said, and get out of here, quick. The driver didn't argue. Soon all they could see was his dust trail. The view from the mountain was pretty amazing. 
The whole inland valley around Mount Diablo was a patchwork of towns, grids of tree-lined streets and nice middle-class suburbs, shops, and schools. All these normal people living normal lives, the kind Leo had never known. That's Concord, Jason said, pointing to the north. Walnut Creek below us. To the south, Danville, past those hills. And that way, he pointed west, where a ridge of golden hills held back a layer of fog, like a rim of a bowl. That's the Berkeley Hills, the East Bay. Past that, San Francisco. Jason, Piper touched his arm. You remember something. You've been here. Yes. No. He gave her an anguished look. It just seems important. That's Titanland. Coach Hedge nodded toward the west. Bad place, Jason. Trust me. This is as close to Frisco as we want to get. But Jason looked toward the foggy basin with such longing that Leo felt uneasy. Why did Jason seem so connected with that place? A place Hedge said was evil, full of bad magic and old enemies. What if Jason came from here? Everybody kept hinting Jason was an enemy, that his arrival at Camp Half-Blood was a dangerous mistake. No, Leo thought. Ridiculous. Jason was their friend. Leo tried to move his foot, but his heels were now completely embedded in the dirt. Hey, guys, he said. Let's keep moving. The others noticed the problem. Gia is stronger here, Hedge grumbled. He popped his hooves free from his shoes, then handed the shoes to Leo. Keep those for me, Valdez. They're nice. Leo snorted. Yes, sir, coach. Would you like them polished? That's varsity thinking, Valdez. Hedge nodded approvingly. But first, we'd better hike up this mountain while we still can. How do we know where the giant is? Piper asked. Jason pointed toward the peak. Drifting across the summit was a plume of smoke. From a distance, Leo had thought it was a cloud, but it wasn't. Something was burning. Smoke equals fire, Jason said. We'd better hurry. The wilderness school had taken Leo on several forced marches. He thought he was in good shape, but climbing a mountain when the earth was trying to swallow his feet was like jogging on a flypaper treadmill. In no time, Leo had rolled up the sleeves on his collarless shirt, even though the wind was cold and sharp. He wished Aphrodite had given him walking shorts and some more comfortable shoes, but he was grateful for the Ray-Bans that kept the sun out of his eyes. He slipped his hands into his tool belt and started summoning supplies, gears, a tiny wrench, some strips of bronze. As he walked, he built, not really thinking about it, just fiddling with pieces. By the time they neared the crest of the mountain, Leo was the most fashionably dressed, sweaty, dirty hero ever. His hands were covered in machine grease. The little object he'd made was like a wind-up toy, the kind that rattles and walks across a coffee table. He wasn't sure what it could do but he slipped it into his tool belt. He missed his army coat with all its pockets. Even more than that, he missed Festus. He could use a fire-breathing bronze dragon right now. 
But Leo knew Festus would not be coming back, at least not in his old form. He patted the picture in his pocket, the crayon drawing he'd made at the picnic table under the pecan tree when he was five years old. He remembered Tia Kaida singing as he worked, and how upset he'd been when the winds had snatched the picture away. It isn't time yet, little hero, Tia Kaida had told him. Someday, yes, you'll have your quest, you will find your destiny, and your hard journey will finally make sense. Now Aeolus had returned the picture. Leo knew that meant his destiny was getting close, but the journey was as frustrating as this stupid mountain. Every time Leo thought they'd reached the summit, it turned out to be just another ridge with an even higher one behind it. First things first, Leo told himself. Survive today. Figure out crayon drawing of destiny later. Finally, Jason crouched behind a wall of rock. He gestured for the others to do the same. Leo crawled up next to him. Piper had to pull Coach Hedge down. I don't want to get my outfit dirty, Hedge complained. Shh, Piper said. Reluctantly, the satyr knelt. Just over the ridge where they were hiding, in the shadow of the mountain's final crest, was a forested depression about the size of a football field, where the giant Enceladus had set up camp. Trees had been cut down to make a towering purple bonfire. The outer rim of the clearing was littered with extra logs and construction equipment. An earth mover, a big crane thing with rotating blades at the end like an electric shaver. Must be a tree harvester, Leo thought, and a long metal column with an axe blade like a sideways guillotine. A hydraulic axe. Why a giant needed construction equipment, Leo wasn't sure. He didn't see how the creature in front of him could even fit in the driver's seat. The giant Enceladus was so large, so horrible, Leo didn't want to look at him. But he forced himself to focus on the monster. To start with, he was thirty feet tall, easily as tall as the treetops. Leo was sure the giant could have seen them behind their ridge, but he seemed intent on the weird purple bonfire, circling it and chanting under his breath. From the waist up, the giant appeared humanoid, his muscular chest clad in bronze armor, decorated with flame designs. His arms were completely ripped. Each of his biceps was bigger than Leo. His skin was bronze, but sooty with ash. His face was crudely shaped, like a half-finished clay figure, but his eyes glowed white, and his hair was matted in shaggy dreadlocks down to his shoulders, braided with bones. From the waist down, he was even more terrifying. His legs were scaly green, with claws instead of feet, like the forelegs of a dragon. In his hand... Enceladus held a spear the size of a flagpole. Every so often he dipped its tip in the fire, turning the metal molten red. Okay, Coach Hedge whispered. Here's the plan. Leo elbowed him. You're not charging him alone. Aw, come on. Piper choked back a sob. Look, 
Just visible on the other side of the bonfire was a man tied to a post. His head slumped like he was unconscious, so Leo couldn't make out his face, but Piper didn't seem to have any doubts. Dad, she said. Leo swallowed. He wished this were a Tristan McLean movie, then Piper's dad would be faking unconsciousness. He'd untie his bonds and knock out the giant with some cleverly hidden anti-giant gas. Heroic music would start to play, and Tristan McLean would make his amazing escape, running away in slow motion while the mountainside exploded behind him. But this wasn't a movie. Tristan McLean was half-dead and about to be eaten. The only people who could stop it, three fashionably dressed teenage demigods and a megalomaniac goat. There's four of us, Hedge whispered urgently, and only one of him. Did you miss the fact that he's thirty feet tall? Leo asked. Okay, Hedge said. So you, me, and Jason distract him. Piper sneaks around and frees her dad. They all looked at Jason. What? Jason asked. I'm not the leader. Yes, Piper said. You are. They'd never really talked about it, but no one disagreed, not even Hedge. Coming this far had been a team effort, but when it came to a life-and-death decision, Leo knew Jason was the one to ask. Even if he had no memory, Jason had a kind of balance to him. You could just tell he'd been in battles before, and he knew how to keep his cool. Leo wasn't exactly the trusting type, but he trusted Jason with his life. I hate to say it, Jason sighed, but Coach Hedge is right. A distraction is Piper's best chance. Not a good chance, Leo thought. Not even a survivable chance. Just their best chance. They couldn't sit there all day and talk about it, though. It had to be close to noon. The giant's deadline. And the ground was still trying to pull them down. Leo's knees had already sunk two inches into the dirt. Leo looked at the construction equipment and got a crazy idea. He brought out the little toy he'd made on the climb, and he realized what it could do. If he was lucky, which he almost never was. Let's boogie, he said, before I come to my senses. Chapter 42 Leo The plan went wrong almost immediately. Piper scrambled along the ridge, trying to keep her head down, while Leo, Jason, and Coach Hedge walked straight into the clearing. Jason summoned his golden lance. He brandished it over his head and yelled, Giant! Which sounded pretty good, and a lot more confident than Leo could have managed. He was thinking more along the lines of, We are pathetic ants. Don't kill us. Enceladus stopped chanting at the flames. He turned toward them and grinned, revealing fangs like a saber-toothed tiger's. Well, the giant rumbled, what a nice surprise. Leo didn't like the sound of that. 
His hand closed on his wind-up gadget. He stepped sideways, edging his way toward the bulldozer. Coach Head shouted, Let the movie star go, you big ugly cupcake, or I'm gonna plant my hoof right up your... Coach, Jason said. Shut up. Enceladus roared with laughter. I've forgotten how funny singers are. When we rule the world, I think I'll keep your kind around. You can entertain me while I eat all the other mortals. Is that a compliment? Hedge frowned at Leo. I don't think that was a compliment. Enceladus opened his mouth wide, and his teeth began to glow. Scatter! Leo yelled. Jason and Hedge dove to the left as the giant blew fire. A furnace blast so hot even Festus would have been jealous. Leo dodged behind the bulldozer, wound up his homemade device, and dropped it into the driver's seat. Then he ran to the right, heading for the tree harvester. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Jason rise and charge the giant. Coach Hedge ripped off his canary yellow jacket, which was now on fire, and bleated angrily, I liked that outfit! Then he raised his club and charged, too. Before they could get very far, Enceladus slammed his spear against the ground. The entire mountain shook. The shockwave sent Leo sprawling. He blinked, momentarily stunned. Through a haze of grass fire and bitter smoke, he saw Jason staggering to his feet on the other side of the clearing. Coach Hedge was knocked out cold. He'd fallen forward and hit his head on a log. His furry hindquarters were sticking straight up with his canary yellow pants around his knees. A view Leo didn't really need. The giant bellowed, I see you, Piper McLean. He turned and blew fire at a line of bushes to Leo's right. Piper ran into the clearing like a flushed quail, the underbrush burning behind her. Enceladus laughed. I'm happy you've arrived, and you brought me my prizes. Leo's gut twisted. This was the moment Piper had warned them about. They'd played right into Enceladus's hands. The giant must have read Leo's expression, because he laughed even louder. That's right, son of Hephaestus. I didn't expect you all to stay alive this long, but it doesn't matter. By bringing you here, Piper McLean has sealed the deal. If she betrays you, I'm as good as my word. She can take her father and go. What do I care about a movie star? Leo could see Piper's dad more clearly now. He wore a ragged dress shirt and torn slacks. His bare feet were caked with mud. He wasn't completely unconscious because he lifted his head and groaned. Yep, Tristan McLean, all right. Leo had seen that face in enough movies. But he had a nasty cut down the side of his face and he looked thin and sickly, not heroic at all. Dad, Piper yelled. Mr. McLean blinked, trying to focus. Pipes, 
Where? Piper drew her dagger and faced Enceladus. Let him go. Of course, dear. The giant rumbled. Swear your loyalty to me, and we have no problem. Only these others must die. Piper looked back and forth between Leo and her dad. He'll kill you, Leo warned. Don't trust him. Oh, come now, Enceladus bellowed. You know I was born to fight Athena herself. Mother Gia made each of us giants with a specific purpose, designed to fight and destroy a particular god. I was Athena's nemesis, the anti-Athena, you might say. Compared to some of my brethren, I am small, but I am clever, and I keep my bargain with you, Piper McLean. It's part of my plan. Jason was on his feet now, lance ready, but before he could act, Enceladus roared. A call so loud it echoed down the valley and was probably heard all the way to San Francisco. At the edge of the woods, half a dozen ogre-like creatures rose up. Leo realized with nauseating certainty that they hadn't simply been hiding there. They'd risen straight out of the earth. The ogres shuffled forward. They were small compared to Enceladus, about seven feet tall. Each one of them had six arms, one pair in the regular spot, then an extra pair sprouting out the top of their shoulders and another set shooting from the sides of their rib cages. They wore only ragged leather loincloths, and even across the clearing, Leo could smell them. Six guys who never bathed, with six armpits each. Leo decided if he survived this day, he'd have to take a three-hour shower just to forget the stench. Leo stepped toward Piper. What? What are those? Her blade reflected the purple light of the bonfire. Gaganis. In English? Leo asked. The Earthborn, she said. Six armed giants who fought Jason— the first, Jason. Very good, my dear. Enceladus sounded delighted. They used to live on a miserable place in Greece called Bear Mountain. Mount Diablo is much nicer. They are lesser children of Mother Earth, but they serve their purpose. They're good with construction equipment. Vroom, vroom. One of the earthborn bellowed, and the others took up the chant, each moving his six hands as though driving a car, as if it were some kind of weird religious ritual. Vroom, vroom. Yes, thank you, boys, Enceladus said. They also have a score to settle with heroes, especially anyone named Jason. Yay, son! The Earthborn screamed. They all picked up clumps of earth, which solidified in their hands, turning to nasty pointed stones. Where, Jason? Kill, Jason! Enceladus smiled. You see, Piper, you have a choice. 
save your father, or, uh, try to save your friends and face certain death. Piper stepped forward. Her eyes blazed with such rage even the Earthborn backed away. She radiated power and beauty, but it had nothing to do with her clothes or her makeup. You will not take the people I love, she said. None of them. Her words rippled across the clearing with such force, the Earthborn muttered, Okay, okay, sorry, and began to retreat. Stand your ground, fools, Enceladus bellowed. He snarled at Piper. This is why we wanted you alive, my dear. You could have been so useful to us. But as you wish, Earthborn, I will show you Jason. Leo's heart sank, but the giant didn't point to Jason. He pointed to the other side of the bonfire, where Tristan McLean hung helpless and half-conscious. There is Jason, Enceladus said with pleasure. Tear him apart. Leo's biggest surprise. One look from Jason, and all three of them knew the game plan. When had that happened? that they could read each other so well. Jason charged Enceladus, while Piper rushed to her father, and Leo dashed for the tree harvester, which stood between Mr. McLean and the Earthborn. The Earthborn were fast, but Leo ran like a storm spirit. He leaped toward the harvester from five feet away and slammed into the driver's seat. His hands flew across the controls, and the machine responded with unnatural speed, coming to life as if it knew how important this was. Ha! Leo screamed, and swung the crane arm through the bonfire, toppling burning logs onto the earthborn and spraying sparks everywhere. Two giants went down under a fiery avalanche and melted back into the earth, hopefully to stay for a while. The other four ogres stumbled across burning logs and hot coals while Leo brought the harvester around. He smashed a button, and on the end of the crane arm, the wicked rotating blades began to whir. Out of the corner of his eye, he could see Piper at the stake, cutting her father free. On the other side of the clearing, Jason fought the giant, somehow managing to dodge his massive spear and blasts of fire breath. Coach Hedge was still heroically passed out, with his goat tail sticking up in the air. The whole side of the mountain would soon be ablaze. The fire wouldn't bother Leo, but if his friends got trapped up here... No, he had to act quickly. One of the Earthborn, apparently not the most intelligent one, charged the tree harvester, and Leo swung the crane arm in his direction. As soon as the blades touched the ogre, he dissolved like wet clay and splattered all over the clearing. Most of him flew into Leo's face. He spit clay out of his mouth and turned the harvester toward the three remaining Earthborn, who backed up quickly. Bad vroom vroom, one yelled. Yeah, that's right, Leo yelled at them.
You want some bad room room? Come on! Unfortunately, they did. Three ogres, with six arms, each throwing large, hard rocks at super speed, and Leo knew it was over. Somehow, he launched himself in a backward somersault off the harvester half a second before a boulder demolished the driver's seat. Rocks slammed into metal. By the time Leo stumbled to his feet, the harvester looked like a crushed soda can sinking in the mud. Dozer! Leo yelled. The ogres were picking up more clumps of earth, but this time they were glaring in Piper's direction. Thirty feet away, the bulldozer roared to life. Leo's makeshift gadget had done its job, burrowing into the earth mover's controls and giving it a temporary life of its own. It roared toward the enemy. Just as Piper cut her father free and caught him in her arms, the giants launched their second volley of stones. The dozer swiveled in the mud, skidding to intercept, and most of the rocks slammed into its shovel. The force was so great it pushed the dozer back. Two rocks ricocheted and struck their throwers. Two more earthborn melted into clay. Unfortunately, one rock hit the dozer's engine, sending up a cloud of oily smoke, and the dozer groaned to a stop. Another great toy broken. Piper dragged her father below the ridge. The last earthborn charged after her. Leo was out of tricks, but he couldn't let that monster get to Piper. He ran forward, straight through the flames, and grabbed something, anything, from his tool belt. Hey, stupid, he yelled, and threw a screwdriver at the earthborn. It didn't kill the ogre, but it sure got his attention. The screwdriver sank hilt-deep into the earthborn's forehead like he was made of Play-Doh. The earthborn yelped in pain and skittered to a halt. He pulled out the screwdriver, turned and glared at Leo. Sadly, this last ogre looked like the biggest and nastiest of the bunch. Gia had really gone all out creating him, with extra muscle upgrades, deluxe ugly face, the whole package. Oh, great, Leo thought. I've made a friend. You die! the earthborn roared. Friend of Jason dies! The ogre scooped up handfuls of dirt, which immediately hardened into rock cannonballs. Leo's mind went blank. He reached into his tool belt, but he couldn't think of anything that would help. He was supposed to be clever, but he couldn't craft or build or tinker his way out of this one. Fine, he thought. I'll go out blaze of glory style. He burst into flames, yelled, Hephaestus! and charged at the ogre barehanded. He never got there. A blur of turquoise and black flashed behind the ogre. A gleaming bronze blade sliced up one side of the earthborn and down the other. Six large arms dropped to the ground, boulders rolling out of their useless hands. The Earthborn looked down, very surprised. He mumbled, Arms go bye-bye. Then he melted into the ground. Piper stood there, breathing hard, her dagger covered with clay. 
Her dad sat at the ridge, dazed and wounded, but still alive. Piper's expression was ferocious, almost crazy, like a cornered animal. Leo was glad she was on his side. Nobody hurts my friends, she said, and with a sudden warm feeling, Leo realized she was talking about him. Then she yelled, Come on! Leo saw that the battle wasn't over. Jason was still fighting the giant Enceladus, and it wasn't going well. Chapter 43 Jason When Jason's lance broke, he knew he was dead. The battle had started well enough. Jason's instincts kicked in, and his gut told him he'd dueled opponents almost this big before. Size and strength equaled slowness, so Jason just had to be quicker, pace himself, wear out his opponent, and avoid getting smashed or flame-broiled. He rolled away from the giant's first spear thrust and jabbed Enceladus in the ankle. Jason's javelin managed to pierce the thick dragon hide, and Golden Iker, the blood of immortals, trickled down the giant's clawed foot. Enceladus bellowed in pain and blasted him with fire. Jason scrambled away, rolling behind the giant, and struck again behind his knee. It went on like that for seconds, minutes. It was hard to judge. Jason heard combat across the clearing, construction equipment grinding, fire roaring, monsters shouting, and rocks smashing into metal. He heard Leo and Piper yelling defiantly, which meant they were still alive. Jason tried not to think about it. He couldn't afford to get distracted. Enceladus's spear missed him by a millimeter. Jason kept dodging, but the ground stuck to his feet. Gia was getting stronger, and the giant was getting faster. Enceladus might be slow, but he wasn't dumb. He began anticipating Jason's moves, and Jason's attacks were only annoying him, making him more enraged. I'm not some minor monster, Enceladus bellowed. I am a giant, born to destroy gods. Your little gold toothpick can't kill me, boy. Jason didn't waste energy replying. He was already tired. The ground clung to his feet, making him feel like he weighed an extra hundred pounds. The air was full of smoke that burned his lungs. Fires roared around him, stoked by the winds, and the temperature was approaching the heat of an oven. Jason raised his javelin to block the giant's next strike. A big mistake. Don't fight force with force, a voice chided him. The wolf Lupa, who told him that long ago. He managed to deflect the spear, but it grazed his shoulder, and his arm went numb. He backed up, almost tripping over a burning log. He had to delay, to keep the giant's attention fixed on him while his friends dealt with the earthborn and rescued Piper's dad. He couldn't fail. He retreated, trying to lure the giant to the edge of the clearing. Enceladus could sense his weariness. The giant smiled, baring his fangs. The mighty Jason Grace, he taunted. Yes, 
We know about you, son of Jupiter. The one who led the assault on Mount Othrys. The one who single-handedly slew the titan Creos and toppled the Black Throne. Jason's mind reeled. He didn't know these names, yet they made his skin tingle, as if his body remembered the pain his mind didn't. What are you talking about? he asked. He realized his mistake when Enceladus breathed fire. Distracted, Jason moved too slowly. The blast missed him, but heat blistered his back. He slammed into the ground, his clothes smoldering. He was blinded from ash and smoke, choking as he tried to breathe. He scrambled back as the giant's spear cleaved the ground between his feet. Jason managed to stand. If he could only summon one good blast of lightning. But he was already drained, and in his condition, the effort might kill him. He didn't even know if electricity would harm the giant. Death in battle is honorable, said Lupa's voice. That's real comforting, Jason thought. One last try. Jason took a deep breath and charged. Enceladus let him approach, grinning with anticipation. At the last second, Jason faked a strike and rolled between the giant's legs. He came up quickly, thrusting with all his might, ready to stab the giant in the small of his back. But Enceladus anticipated the trick. He stepped aside with too much speed and agility for a giant, as if the earth were helping him move. He swept his spear sideways, met Jason's javelin, and with a snap like a shotgun blast, the golden weapon shattered. The explosion was hotter than the giant's breath, blinding Jason with golden light. The force knocked him off his feet and squeezed the breath out of him. When he regained his focus, he was sitting at the rim of a crater. Enceladus stood at the other side, staggering and confused. The javelin's destruction had released so much energy it had blasted a perfect cone-shaped pit thirty feet deep, fusing the dirt and rock into a slick, glassy substance. Jason wasn't sure how he'd survived, but his clothes were steaming. He was out of energy. He had no weapon, and Enceladus was still very much alive. Jason tried to get up, but his legs were like lead. Enceladus blinked at the destruction, then laughed. Impressive! Unfortunately, that was your last trick, demigod. Enceladus leapt the crater in a single bound, planting his feet on either side of Jason. The giant raised his spear, its tip hovering six feet over Jason's chest. And now, Enceladus said, my first sacrifice to Gia. Chapter 44 Jason Time seemed to slow down, which was really frustrating since Jason still couldn't move. He felt himself sinking into the earth like the ground was a waterbed, comfortable, urging him to relax and give up. He wondered if the stories of the underworld were true. 
Would he end up in the fields of punishment or Elysium? If he couldn't remember any of his deeds, would they still count? He wondered if the judges would take that into consideration or if his dad Zeus would write him a note. Please excuse Jason from eternal damnation. He has had amnesia. Jason couldn't feel his arms. He could see the tip of the spear coming toward his chest in slow motion. He knew he should move, but he couldn't seem to do it. Funny, he thought. All that effort to stay alive, and then, boom. You just lie there helplessly while a fire-breathing giant impales you. Leo's voice yelled, Heads up! A large black metal wedge slammed into Enceladus with a massive thunk. The giant toppled over and slid into the pit. Jason, get up, Piper called. Her voice energized him, shook him out of his stupor. He sat up, his head groggy, while Piper grabbed him under his arms and hauled him to his feet. Don't die on me, she ordered. You are not dying on me. Yes, ma'am. He felt lightheaded, but she was about the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. Her hair was smoldering, her face was smudged with soot. She had a cut on her arm, her dress was torn, and she was missing a boot. Beautiful. About a hundred feet behind her, Leo was standing over a piece of construction equipment, a long cannon-like thing with a single massive piston, the edge broken clean off. Then Jason looked down in the crater and saw where the other end of the hydraulic axe had gone. Enceladus was struggling to rise, an axe blade the size of a washing machine stuck in his breastplate. Amazingly, the giant managed to pull the axe blade free. He yelled in pain, and the mountain trembled. Golden ichor soaked the front of his armor, but Enceladus stood. Shakily, he bent down and retrieved his spear. Good try. The giant winced. But I cannot be beaten. As they watched, the giant's armor mended itself, and the ichor stopped flowing. Even the cuts on his dragon's scale legs, which Jason had worked so hard to make, were now just pale scars. Leo ran up to them, saw the giant, and cursed. What is it with this guy? Die already! My fate is preordained, Enceladus said. Giants cannot be killed by gods or heroes. Only by both, Jason said. The giant's smile faltered, and Jason saw in his eyes something like fear. It's true, isn't it? Gods and demigods have to work together to kill you. You will not live long enough to try. The giant started stumbling up the crater's slope, slipping on the glassy sides. Anyone have a god handy? Leo asked. Jason's heart filled with dread. He looked at the giant below them, struggling to get out of the pit, and he knew what had to happen. Leo he said. If you've got a rope in that tool belt, get it ready. He leaped at the giant with no weapon but his bare hands. 
Enceladus, Piper yelled. Look behind you. It was an obvious trick, but her voice was so compelling even Jason bought it. The giant said, What? and turned like there was an enormous spider on his back. Jason tackled his legs at just the right moment. The giant lost his balance. Enceladus slammed into the crater and slid to the bottom. While he tried to rise, Jason put his arms around the giant's neck. When Enceladus struggled to his feet, Jason was riding his shoulders. Get off, Enceladus screamed. He tried to grab Jason's legs, but Jason scrambled around, squirming and climbing over the giant's hair. Father, Jason thought, if I've ever done anything good, anything you approved of, help me now. I offer my own life. Just save my friends. Suddenly, he could smell the metallic scent of a storm. Darkness swallowed the sun. The giant froze, sensing it too. Jason yelled to his friends, Hit the deck! And every hair on his head stood straight up. Crack! Lightning surged through Jason's body, straight through Enceladus and into the ground. The giant's back stiffened, and Jason was thrown clear. When he regained his bearings, he was slipping down the side of the crater, and the crater was cracking open. The lightning bolt had split the mountain itself. The earth rumbled and tore apart, and Enceladus's legs slid into the chasm. He clawed helplessly at the glassy sides of the pit, and just for a moment managed to hold on to the edge, his hands trembling. He fixed Jason with a look of hatred. You've won nothing, boy. My brothers are rising, and they are ten times as strong as I. We will destroy the gods at their roots. You will die, and Olympus will die with... The giant lost his grip and fell into the crevice. The earth shook. Jason fell toward the rift. Grab hold, Leo yelled. Jason's feet were at the edge of the chasm when he grabbed the rope, and Leo and Piper pulled him up. They stood together, exhausted and terrified, as the chasm closed like an angry mouth. The ground stopped pulling at their feet. For now, Gia was gone. The mountainside was on fire. Smoke billowed hundreds of feet into the air. Jason spotted a helicopter, maybe firefighters or reporters, coming toward them. All around them was carnage. The earthborn had melted into piles of clay, leaving behind only their rock missiles and some nasty bits of loincloth. But Jason figured they would reform soon enough. Construction equipment lay in ruins. The ground was scarred and blackened. Coach Hedge started to move. He sat up with a groan and rubbed his head. His canary yellow pants were now the color of Dijon mustard mixed with mud. He blinked and looked around him at the battle scene. Did I do this? Before Jason could reply, Hedge picked up his club and got shakily to his feet. 
Yeah, you wanted some hoof? I gave you some hoof, cupcakes. Who's the goat, huh? He did a little dance, kicking rocks and making what were probably rude satyr gestures at the piles of clay. Leo cracked a smile, and Jason couldn't help it. He started to laugh. It probably sounded a little hysterical, but it was such a relief to be alive, he didn't care. Then a man stood up across the clearing. Tristan McLean staggered forward. His eyes were hollow, shell-shocked, like someone who just walked through a nuclear wasteland. Piper? He called. His voice cracked. Pipes, what... what is... He couldn't complete the thought. Piper ran over to him and hugged him tightly, but he almost didn't seem to know her. Jason had felt a similar way, that morning at the Grand Canyon, when he woke with no memory. But Mr. McLean had the opposite problem. He had too many memories. Too much trauma his mind just couldn't handle. He was coming apart. We need to get him out of here, Jason said. Yeah, but how? Leo said. He's in no shape to walk. Jason glanced up at the helicopter, which was now circling directly overhead. Can you make us a bullhorn or something? He asked Leo. Piper has some talking to do. Chapter 45 Piper Borrowing the helicopter was easy. Getting her dad on board was not. Piper needed only a few words through Leo's improvised bullhorn to convince the pilot to land on the mountain. The Park Service copter was big enough for medical evacuations or search and rescue, and when Piper told the very nice ranger pilot lady that it would be a great idea to fly them to the Oakland airport, she readily agreed. No, her dad muttered as they picked him up off the ground. Piper, what? There were monsters. There were monsters. She needed both Leo's and Jason's help to hold him, while Coach Hedge gathered their supplies. Fortunately, Hedge had put his pants and shoes back on, so Piper didn't have to explain the goat legs. It broke Piper's heart to see her dad like this, pushed beyond the breaking point, crying like a little boy. She didn't know what the giant had done to him exactly, how the monsters had shattered his spirit, but she didn't think she could stand to find out. It'll be okay, Dad, she said, making her voice as soothing as possible. She didn't want to charm speak her own father, but it seemed the only way. These people are my friends. We're going to help you. You're safe now. He blinked and looked up at helicopter rotors. Blades. They had a machine with so many blades. They had six arms. When they got him to the bay doors, the pilot came over to help. What's wrong with him? she asked. Smoke inhalation, Jason suggested, or heat exhaustion. We should get him to a hospital, the pilot said. It's okay, Piper said. The airport is good. Yeah, the airport is good, the pilot agreed immediately. Then she frowned, as if uncertain why she'd changed her mind. Isn't he Tristan McLean, the movie star? No, Piper said. 
He only looks like him. Forget it. Yeah, the pilot said. Only looks like him. I... She blinked, confused. I forgot what I was saying. Let's get going. Jason raised his eyebrows at Piper, obviously impressed, but Piper felt miserable. She didn't want to twist people's minds, convince them of things they didn't believe. It felt so bossy, so wrong, like something Drew would do back at camp, or Medea in her evil department store. And how would it help her father? She couldn't convince him he would be okay, or that nothing had happened. His trauma was just too deep. Finally, they got him on board and the helicopter took off. The pilot kept getting questions over her radio, asking her where she was going, but she ignored them. They veered away from the burning mountain and headed toward the Berkeley Hills. Piper. Her dad grasped her hand and held on like he was afraid he'd fall. It's you? They told me. They told me you would die. They said horrible things would happen. It's me, Dad. It took all her willpower not to cry. She had to be strong for him. Everything's going to be okay. They were monsters, he said. Real monsters. Earth spirits, right out of Grandpa Tom's stories. And the Earth Mother was angry with me. And the giant, Tsukalu, breathing fire. He focused on Piper again. His eyes, like broken glass, reflecting a crazy kind of light. They said you were a demigod. Your mother was. Aphrodite, Piper said. Goddess of love. I, I. He took a shaky breath, then seemed to forget how to exhale. Piper's friends were careful not to watch. Leo fiddled with a lug nut from his tool belt. Jason gazed at the valley below, the roads backing up as mortals stopped their cars and gawked at the burning mountain. Gleason chewed on the stub of his carnation, and for once the satyr didn't look in the mood to yell or boast. Tristan McLean wasn't supposed to be seen like this. He was a star. He was confident, stylish, suave. Always in control. That was the public image he projected. Piper had seen the image falter before, but this was different. Now it was broken. Gone. I didn't know about Mom, Piper told him. Not until you were taken. When we found out where you were, we came right away. My friends helped me. No one will hurt you again. Her dad couldn't stop shivering. Your heroes, you and your friends. I can't believe it. You're a real hero. Not like me. Not playing a part. I'm so proud of you, Pipes. But the words were muttered listlessly, in a semi-trance. He gazed down on the valley and his grip on Piper's hand went slack. Your mother never told me. She thought it was for the best. It sounded lame, even to Piper, and no amount of charm speak could change that. 
but she didn't tell her dad what Aphrodite had really worried about. If he has to spend the rest of his life with those memories, knowing that gods and spirits walk the earth, it will shatter him. Piper felt inside the pocket of her jacket. The vial was still there, warm to her touch. But how could she erase his memories? Her dad finally knew who she was. He was proud of her, and for once she was his hero, not the other way around. He would never send her away now. They shared a secret. How could she go back to the way things were? She held his hand, speaking to him about small things, her time at the wilderness school, her cabin at Camp Half-Blood. She told him how Coach Hedge ate carnations and got knocked on his butt on Mount Diablo, how Leo had tamed a dragon, and how Jason had made wolves back down by talking in Latin. Her friends smiled reluctantly as she recounted their adventures. Her dad seemed to relax as she talked, but he didn't smile. Piper wasn't even sure he heard her. As they passed over the hills into the East Bay, Jason tensed. He leaned so far out the doorway, Piper was afraid he'd fall. He pointed. What is that? Piper looked down, but she didn't see anything interesting. Just hills, woods, houses, little roads snaking through the canyons. A highway cut through a tunnel in the hills, connecting the East Bay with the inland towns. Where? Piper asked. That road, he said. The one that goes through the hills. Piper picked up the comm helmet the pilot had given her and relayed the question over the radio. The answer wasn't very exciting. She says it's Highway 24, Piper reported. That's the Caldecott Tunnel. Why? Jason stared intently at the tunnel entrance, but he said nothing. It disappeared from view as they flew over downtown Oakland, but Jason still stared into the distance, his expression almost as unsettled as Piper's dad's. Monsters, her dad said, a tear tracing his cheek. I live in a world of monsters. Chapter 46 Piper Air Traffic Control didn't want to let an unscheduled helicopter land at the Oakland airport until Piper got on the radio. Then it turned out to be no problem. They unloaded on the tarmac, and everyone looked at Piper. What now? Jason asked her. She felt uncomfortable. She didn't want to be in charge, but for her dad's sake, she had to appear confident. She had no plan. She'd just remembered that he'd flown into Oakland, which meant his private plane would still be here. But today was the solstice. They had to save Hera. They had no idea where to go, or if they were even too late. And how could she leave her dad in this condition? First thing, she said, I, I have to get my dad home. I'm sorry, guys. Their faces fell. Oh, Leo said. I mean, absolutely. He needs you right now. We can take it from here. Pipes. No. Her dad had been sitting in the helicopter doorway, a blanket around his shoulders. But he stumbled to his feet. You have a mission. A quest. I can't... 
I'll take care of him, said Coach Hedge. Piper stared at him. The satyr was the last person she'd expected to offer. You? she asked. I'm a protector, Gleason said. That's my job. Not fighting. He sounded a little crestfallen, and Piper realized maybe she shouldn't have recounted how he got knocked unconscious in the last battle. In his own way, maybe the satyr was as sensitive as her dad. Then Hedge straightened and set his jaw. Of course I'm good at fighting, too! He glared at them all, daring them to argue. Yes, Jason said. Terrifying, Leo agreed. The coach grunted. But I'm a protector, and I can do this. Your dad's right, Piper. You need to carry on with the quest. But... Piper's eyes stung, as if she were back in the forest fire. Dad? He held out his arms, and she hugged him. He felt frail. He was trembling so much it scared her. Let's give them a minute, Jason said, and they took the pilot a few yards down the tarmac. I can't believe it, her dad said. I failed you. No, Dad. The things they did, Piper. The visions they showed me. Dad, listen. She took out the vial from her pocket. Aphrodite gave me this for you. It takes away your recent memories. It'll make it like none of this ever happened. He gazed at her, as if translating her words from a foreign language. But you're a hero. I would forget that. Yes, Piper whispered. She forced an assuring tone into her voice. Yes, you would. It'll be like... like before. He closed his eyes and took a shaky breath. I love you, Piper. I always have. I... I sent you away because I didn't want you exposed to my life. Not the way I grew up. The poverty, the hopelessness. Not the Hollywood insanity, either. I thought... I thought I was protecting you. He managed a brittle laugh. As if your life without me was better. Or safer. Piper took his hand. She'd heard him talk about protecting her before, but she'd never believed it. She'd always thought he was just rationalizing. Her dad seemed so confident and easygoing, like his life was a joyride. How could he claim she needed protecting from that? Finally, Piper understood he'd been acting for her benefit, trying not to show how scared and insecure he was. He really had been trying to protect her, and now his ability to cope had been destroyed. She offered him the vial. Take it. Maybe someday we'll be ready to talk about this again. When you're ready. When I'm ready, he murmured. You make it sound like... like I'm the one growing up. I'm supposed to be the parent. He took the vial. His eyes glimmered with a small, desperate hope. I love you, Pipes. Love you too, Dad. He drank the pink liquid. His eyes rolled up into his head, and he slumped forward. Piper caught him, and her friends ran up to help. Got him, Hedge said. The satyr stumbled, 
but he was strong enough to hold Tristan McLean upright. I already asked our ranger friend to call up his plane. It's on the way now. Home address? Piper was about to tell him. And then a thought occurred to her. She checked her dad's pocket, and his Blackberry was still there. It seemed bizarre that he'd still have something so normal after all he'd been through, but she guessed Enceladus hadn't seen any reason to take it. Everything's here, Piper said. Address, his chauffeur's number. Just watch out for Jane. Hedge's eyes lit up like he sensed a possible fight. Who's Jane? By the time Piper explained, her dad's sleek white golf stream had taxied next to the helicopter. Hedge and the flight attendant got Piper's dad on board. Then Hedge came down one last time to say his goodbyes. He gave Piper a hug and glared at Jason and Leo. You cupcakes take care of this girl, you hear? Or I'm gonna make you do push-ups. You got it, coach, Leo said, a smile tugging at his mouth. No push-ups, Jason promised. Piper gave the old satyr one more hug. Thank you, Gleason. Take care of him, please. I got this, McLean, he assured her. They got root beer and veggie enchiladas on this flight and 100% linen napkins. Yum. I could get used to this. Trotting up the stairs, he lost one shoe and his hoof was visible for just a second. The flight attendant's eyes widened, but she looked away and pretended nothing was wrong. Piper figured she'd probably seen stranger things working for Tristan McLean. When the plane was heading down the runway, Piper started to cry. She'd been holding it in too long, and she just couldn't anymore. Before she knew it, Jason was hugging her, and Leo stood uncomfortably nearby, pulling Kleenex out of his tool belt. Your dad's in good hands, Jason said. You did amazing. She sobbed into his shirt. She allowed herself to be held for six deep breaths. Seven. Then she couldn't indulge herself anymore. They needed her. The helicopter pilot was already looking uncomfortable, like she was starting to wonder why she'd flown them here. Thank you, guys, Piper said. I... She wanted to tell them how much they meant to her. They'd sacrificed everything, maybe even their quest, to help her. She couldn't repay them, couldn't even put her gratitude into words, but her friends' expressions told her they understood. Then, right next to Jason, the air began to shimmer. At first, Piper thought it was heat off the tarmac, or maybe gas fumes from the helicopter, but she'd seen something like this before in Medea's fountain. It was an iris message. An image appeared in the air, a dark-haired girl in silver winter camouflage holding a bow. Jason stumbled back in surprise. Thalia! Thank the gods! said the hunter. The scene behind her was hard to make out, but Piper heard yelling, metal clashing on metal, and explosions. We found her, Thalia said. Where are you? Oakland, he said. Where are you? The wolf house. Oakland is good. You're not too far. We're holding off the giant's minions, but we can't hold them forever. Get here before sunset, or it's all over. Then it's not too late, Piper cried. Hope surged through her, but Thalia's expression quickly dampened it. 
Not yet, Thalia said. But Jason, it's worse than I realized. Porphyrian is rising. Hurry. But where is the wolf house? He pleaded. Our last trip, Thalia said, her image starting to flicker. The park. Jack London. Remember? This made no sense to Piper, but Jason looked like he'd been shot. He tottered, his face pale, and the iris message disappeared. Bro, you all right? Leo asked. You know where she is? Yes, Jason said. Sonoma Valley. Not far. Not by air. Piper turned to the ranger pilot, who'd been watching all this with an increasingly puzzled expression. Ma'am, Piper said with her best smile, you don't mind helping us one more time, do you? I don't mind, the pilot agreed. We can't take a mortal into battle, Jason said. It's too dangerous. He turned to Leo. Do you think you could fly this thing? Um... Leo's expression didn't exactly reassure Piper. But then he put his hand on the side of the helicopter, concentrating hard, as if listening to the machine. Bell 412 HB Utility Helicopter, Leo said. Composite four-blade main rotor, cruising speed 22 knots, service ceiling 20,000 feet. The tank is near full. Sure, I can fly it. Piper smiled at the ranger again. You don't have a problem with an underaged, unlicensed kid borrowing your copter, do you? We'll return it. I... The pilot nearly choked on the words, but she got them out. I don't have a problem with that. Leo grinned. Hop in, kids. Uncle Leo's gonna take you for a ride. Chapter 47 Leo Fly a helicopter? Sure, why not? Leo had done plenty of crazier things that week. The sun was going down as they flew north over the Richmond Bridge, and Leo couldn't believe the day had gone so quickly. Once again, nothing like ADHD and a good fight to the death to make time fly. Piloting the chopper, he went back and forth between confidence and panic. If he didn't think about it, he found himself automatically flipping the right switches, checking the altimeter, easing back on the stick, and flying straight. If he allowed himself to consider what he was doing, he started freaking out. He imagined his Aunt Rosa yelling at him in Spanish, telling him he was a delinquent lunatic who was going to crash and burn. Part of him suspected she was right. Going okay? Piper asked from the co-pilot's seat. She sounded more nervous than he was, so Leo put on a brave face. Aces, he said. So what's the wolf house? Jason knelt between their seats. An abandoned mansion in the Sonoma Valley. A demigod built it. Jack London. Leo couldn't place the name. He's an actor? Writer, Piper said. Adventure stuff, right? Call of the Wild? White Fang? Yeah, Jason said. He was a son of Mercury. I mean, Hermes. He was an adventurer, traveled the world. He was even a hobo for a while. Then he made a fortune writing. 
He bought a big ranch in the country and decided to build this huge mansion, the Wolf House. Named cause he wrote about wolves? Leo guessed. Partially, Jason said. But the sight and the reason he wrote about wolves? He was dropping hints about his personal experience. There are a lot of holes in his life story. How he was born, who his dad was, why he wandered around so much. Stuff you can only explain if you know he was a demigod. The bay slipped behind them, and the helicopter continued north. Ahead of them, yellow hills rolled out as far as Leo could see. So Jack London went to Camp Half-Blood, Leo guessed. No, Jason said. No, he didn't. Bro, you're freaking me out with the mysterious talk. Are you remembering your past or not? Pieces, Jason said. Only pieces. None of it good. The Wolf House is on sacred ground. It's where London started his journey as a child. Where he found out he was a demigod. That's why he returned there. He thought he could live there, claim that land. But it wasn't meant for him. The Wolf House was cursed. It burned in a fire a week before he and his wife were supposed to move in. A few years later, London died, and his ashes were buried on the site. So, Piper said, how do you know all this? A shadow crossed Jason's face. Probably just a cloud, but Leo could swear the shape looked like an eagle. I started my journey there, too, Jason said. It's a powerful place for demigods. A dangerous place. If Gia can claim it, use its power to entomb Hera on the solstice and raise Porphyrian, that might be enough to awaken the Earth Goddess fully. Leo kept his hand on the joystick, guiding the chopper at full speed, racing toward the north. He could see some weather ahead, a spot of darkness like a cloud bank or a storm, right where they were going. Piper's dad had called him a hero earlier, and Leo couldn't believe some of the things he'd done. Smacking around cyclopes, disarming exploding doorbells, battling six-armed ogres with construction equipment. They seemed like they had happened to another person. He was just Leo Valdez, an orphaned kid from Houston. He'd spent his life running away, and part of him still wanted to run. What was he thinking? flying toward a cursed mansion to fight more evil monsters. His mom's voice echoed in his head. Nothing is unfixable. Except the fact that you're gone forever, Leo thought. Seeing Piper and her dad back together had really driven that home. Even if Leo survived this quest and saved Hera, Leo wouldn't have any happy reunions. He wouldn't be going back to a loving family. He wouldn't see his mom. The helicopter shuddered. Metal creaked and Leo could almost imagine the tapping was Morse code. Not the end. Not the end. He leveled out the chopper and the creaking stopped. He was just hearing things. He couldn't dwell on his mom or the idea that kept bugging him. That Gia was bringing souls back from the underworld. So why couldn't he make some good come out of it? Thinking like that would drive him crazy. He had a job to do. He let his instincts take over, just like flying the helicopter. 
If he thought about the quest too much or what might happen afterward, he'd panic. The trick was not to think, just get through it. Thirty minutes out, he told his friends, though he wasn't sure how he knew. If you want to get some rest, now's a good time. Jason strapped himself into the back of the helicopter and passed out almost immediately. Piper and Leo stayed wide awake. After a few minutes of awkward silence, Leo said, Your dad'll be fine, you know. Nobody's gonna mess with him with that crazy goat around. Piper glanced over, and Leo was struck by how much she'd changed. Not just physically. Her presence was stronger. She seemed more... Here. At wilderness school, she'd spent the semester trying not to be seen, hiding out in the back row of the classroom, the back of the bus, the corner of the lunchroom as far as possible from the loud kids. Now she would be impossible to miss. It didn't matter what she was wearing. You'd have to look at her. My dad, she said thoughtfully. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about Jason. I'm worried about him. Leo nodded. The closer they got to that bank of dark clouds, the more Leo worried, too. He's starting to remember. It's got to make him a little edgy. But what if... What if he's a different person? Leo had had the same thought. If the mist could affect their memories, could Jason's whole personality be an illusion, too? If their friend wasn't their friend and they were heading into a cursed mansion, a dangerous place for demigods. What would happen if Jason's full memory came back in the middle of a battle? Nah, Leo decided. After all we've been through, I can't see it. We're a team. Jason can handle it. Piper smoothed her blue dress, which was tattered and burned from their fight on Mount Diablo. I hope you're right. I need him. She cleared her throat. I mean, I need to trust him. I know, Leo said. After seeing her dad break down, Leo understood Piper couldn't afford to lose Jason as well. She'd just watched Tristan McLean, her cool, suave movie star dad, reduced to near insanity. Leo could barely stand to watch that, but for Piper, wow. Leo couldn't even imagine. He figured that would make her insecure about herself, too. If weakness was inherited, she'd be wondering, could she break down the same way her dad did? Hey, don't worry, Leo said. Piper, you're the strongest, most powerful beauty queen I've ever met. You can trust yourself. For what it's worth, you can trust me, too. The helicopter dipped in a wind shear and Leo almost jumped out of his skin. He cursed and righted the chopper. Piper laughed nervously. Trust you, huh? Ah, shut up already. But he grinned at her, and for a second, it felt like he was just relaxing comfortably with a friend. Then they hit the storm clouds. Chapter 48 Leo at first, Leo thought rocks were pelting the windshield. Then he realized it was sleet. Frost built up around the edges of the glass 
and slushy waves of ice blotted out his view. An ice storm? Piper shouted over the engine and the wind. Is it supposed to be this cold in Sonoma? Leo wasn't sure, but something about this storm seemed conscious, malevolent, like it was intentionally slamming them. Jason woke up quickly. He crawled forward, grabbing their seats for balance. We've got to be getting close. Leo was too busy wrestling with the stick to reply. Suddenly, it wasn't so easy to drive the chopper. Its movements turned sluggish and jerky. The whole machine shuddered in the icy wind. The helicopter probably hadn't been prepped for cold weather flying. The controls refused to respond, and they started to lose altitude. Below them, the ground was a dark quilt of trees and fog. The ridge of a hill loomed in front of them, and Leo yanked the stick, just clearing the treetops. There! Jason shouted. A small valley opened up before them, with the murky shape of a building in the middle. Leo aimed the helicopter straight for it. All around them were flashes of light that reminded Leo of the tracer fire at Midas's compound. Trees cracked and exploded at the edges of the clearing. Shapes moved through the mist. Combat seemed to be everywhere. He set down the helicopter in an icy field about fifty yards from the house and killed the engine. He was about to relax when he heard a whistling sound and saw a dark shape hurtling toward them out of the mist. Out! Leo screamed. They leaped from the helicopter and barely cleared the rotors before a massive boom shook the ground, knocking Leo off his feet and splattering ice all over him. He got up shakily and saw that the world's largest snowball, a chunk of snow, ice, and dirt the size of a garage, had completely flattened the Bell 412. You all right? Jason ran up to him, Piper at his side. They both looked fine, except for being speckled with snow and mud. Yeah, Leo shivered. Guess we owe that ranger lady a new helicopter. Piper pointed south. Fighting's over there. Then she frowned. No, it's all around us. She was right. The sounds of combat rang across the valley. The snow and mist made it hard to tell for sure, but there seemed to be a circle of fighting all around the wolf house. Behind them loomed Jack London's dream home, a massive ruin of red and gray stones and rough-hewn timber beams, Leo could imagine how it had looked before it burned down. A combination log cabin and castle, like a billionaire lumberjack might build. But in the mist and sleet, the place had a lonely, haunted feel. Leo could totally believe the ruins were cursed. Jason, a girl's voice called. Thalia appeared from the fog, her parka caked with snow. Her bow was in her hand, and her quiver was almost empty. She ran toward them, but made it only a few steps before a six-armed ogre, one of the earthborn, burst out of the storm behind her, a raised club in each hand. Look out! Leo yelled. They rushed to help, but Thalia had it under control. She launched herself into a flip, notching an arrow as she pivoted like a gymnast and landed in a kneeling position. The ogre got a silver arrow right between the eyes and melted into a pile of clay. 
Thalia stood and retrieved her arrow, but the point had snapped off. That was my last one. She kicked the pile of clay resentfully. Stupid ogre. Nice shot, though, Leo said. Thalia ignored him as usual, which no doubt meant she thought he was as cool as ever. She hugged Jason and nodded to Piper. Just in time. My hunters are holding a perimeter around the mansion, but we'll be overrun any minute. By Earthborn? Jason asked. And wolves. Lycaeans. Minions. Thalia blew a fleck of ice off her nose. Also, storm spirits. But we gave them to Eolus, Piper protested. Who tried to kill us, Leo reminded her. Maybe he's helping Gia again. I don't know. Thalia said. But the monsters keep reforming almost as fast as we can kill them. We took the wolf house with no problem, surprised the guards, and sent them straight to Tartarus. But then this freak snowstorm blew in. Wave after wave of monsters started attacking. Now we're surrounded. I don't know who or what is leading the assault, but I think they planned this. It was a trap to kill anyone who tried to rescue Hera. Where is she? Jason asked. Inside, Thalia said. We tried to free her, but we can't figure out how to break the cage. It's only a few minutes until the sun goes down. Hera thinks that's the moment when Porphyrian will be reborn. Plus, most monsters are stronger at night, if we don't free Hera soon. She didn't need to finish the thought. Leo, Jason, and Piper followed her into the ruined mansion. Jason stepped over the threshold and immediately collapsed. Hey! Leo caught him. None of that, man. What's wrong? This place. Jason shook his head. Sorry. It came rushing back to me. So you have been here, Piper said. We both have, Thalia said. Her expression was grim, like she was reliving someone's death. This is where my mom took us when Jason was a child. She left him here, told me he was dead. He just disappeared. She gave me to the wolves, Jason murmured. At Hera's insistence, she gave me to Lupa. That part I didn't know. Thalia frowned. Who is Lupa? An explosion shook the building. Just outside, a blue mushroom cloud billowed up, raining snowflakes and ice like a nuclear blast made of cold instead of heat. Maybe this isn't the time for questions, Leo suggested. Show us the goddess. Once inside, Jason seemed to get his bearings. The house was built in a giant U, and Jason led them between the two wings to an outside courtyard with an empty reflecting pool. At the bottom of the pool, just as Jason had described from his dream, two spires of rock and root tendrils had cracked through the foundation. One of the spires was much bigger a solid dark mass about twenty feet high, and to Leo it looked like a stone body bag. Underneath the mass of fused tendrils he could make out the shape of a head, wide shoulders, a massive chest and arms, like the creature was stuck waist-deep in the earth. No, not stuck. Rising. On the opposite end of the pool... The other spire was smaller and more loosely woven. Each tendril was as thick as a telephone pole, with so little space between them that Leo doubted he could have gotten his arm through. 
Still, he could see inside. And in the center of the cage stood Tia Kaida. She looked exactly like Leo remembered. Dark hair covered with a shawl, the black dress of a widow, a wrinkled face with glinting, scary eyes. She didn't glow or radiate any sort of power. She looked like a regular mortal woman, his good old psychotic babysitter. Leo dropped into the pool and approached the cage. Hola, Tia. Little bit of trouble? She crossed her arms and sighed in exasperation. Don't inspect me like I'm one of your machines, Leo Valdez. Get me out of here! Thalia stepped next to him and looked at the cage with distaste. Or maybe she was looking at the goddess. We tried everything we could think of, Leo, but maybe my heart wasn't in it. If it was up to me, I'd just leave her in there. Oh, Thalia Grace, the goddess said. When I get out of here, you'll be sorry you were ever born. Save it, Thalia snapped. You've been nothing but a curse to every child of Zeus for ages. You sent a bunch of intestinally challenged cows after my friend Annabeth. She was disrespectful. You dropped a statue on my legs. It was an accident. And you took my brother. Thalia's voice cracked with emotion. Here, on this spot, you ruined our lives. We should leave you to Gia. Hey, Jason intervened. Thalia, sis, I know, but this isn't the time. You should help your hunters. Thalia clenched her jaw. Fine, for you, Jason. But if you ask me, she isn't worth it. Thalia turned, leaped out of the pool, and stormed from the building. Leo turned to Hira with grudging respect. Intestinally challenged cows? Focus on the cage, Leo, she grumbled. And Jason, you are wiser than your sister. I chose my champion well. I'm not your champion, lady, Jason said. I'm only helping you because you stole my memories, and you're better than the alternative. Speaking of which, what's going on with that? He nodded to the other spire that looked like the king-size granite body bag. Was Leo imagining it, or had it grown taller since they'd gotten here? That, Jason, Hira said, is the king of the giants being reborn. Gross, Piper said. Indeed, Hira said. Porphyrian, the strongest of his kind. Gia needed a great deal of power to raise him again. My power! For weeks I've grown weaker as my essence was used to grow him a new form. So you're like a heat lamp, Leo guessed, or fertilizer. The goddess glared at him, but Leo didn't care. This old lady had been making his life miserable since he was a baby. He totally had rights to rag on her. Joke all you wish, Hera said in a clipped tone. But at sundown, it will be too late. The giant will awake. He will offer me a choice. Marry him or be consumed by the earth. And I cannot marry him. We will all be destroyed. And as we die, Gia will awaken. Leo frowned at the giant's spire. 
Can't we blow it up or something? Without me, you do not have the power, Hira said. You might as well try to destroy a mountain. Done that once today, Jason said. Just hurry up and let me out, Hira demanded. Jason scratched his head. Leo, can you do it? I don't know. Leo tried not to panic. Besides, if she's a goddess, why hasn't she busted herself out? Hera paced furiously around her cage, cursing an ancient Greek. Use your brain, Leo Valdez. I picked you because you're intelligent. Once trapped, a god's power is useless. Your own father trapped me once in a golden chair. It was humiliating. I had to beg. Beg him for my freedom and apologize for throwing him off Olympus. Sounds fair, Leo said. Hira gave him the godly stink eye. I've watched you since you were a child, son of Hephaestus, because I knew you could aid me at this moment. If anyone can find a way to destroy this abomination, it is you. But it's not a machine. It's like Gia thrust her hand out of the ground and... Leo felt dizzy. The line of their prophecy came back to him. The forge and dove shall break the cage. Hold on. I do have an idea. Piper, I'm going to need your help, and we're going to need time. The air turned brittle with cold. The temperature dropped so fast, Leo's lips cracked and his breath changed to mist. Frost coated the walls of the wolf house. Venti rushed in. But instead of winged men, these were shaped like horses, with dark storm-cloud bodies and manes that crackled with lightning. Some had silver arrows sticking out of their flanks. Behind them came red-eyed wolves and the six-armed earthborn. Piper drew her dagger. Jason grabbed an ice-covered plank off the pool floor. Leo reached into his tool belt, but he was so shaken up, all he produced was a tin of breath mints. He shoved them back in, hoping nobody had noticed, and drew a hammer instead. One of the wolves padded forward. It was dragging a human-sized statue by the leg. At the edge of the pool, the wolf opened its maw and dropped the statue for them to see. A nice sculpture of a girl, an archer with short spiky hair and a surprised look on her face. Thalia! Jason rushed forward, but Piper and Leo pulled him back. The ground around Thalia's statue was already webbed with ice. Leo feared if Jason touched her, he might freeze too. Who did this? Jason yelled. His body crackled with electricity. I'll kill you myself. From somewhere behind the monsters, Leo heard a girl's laughter, clear and cold. She stepped out of the mist in her snowy white dress, a silver crown atop her long black hair. She regarded them with those deep brown eyes Leo had thought were so beautiful in Quebec. Bonsoir, mes amis said Kiyoni, the goddess of snow. She gave Leo a frosty smile. Alas, son of Hephaestus, you say you need time. I'm afraid time is one tool you do not have. 
Chapter 49 Jason After the fight on Mount Diablo, Jason didn't think he could ever feel more afraid or devastated. Now his sister was frozen at his feet. He was surrounded by monsters. He'd broken his golden sword and replaced it with a piece of wood. He had approximately five minutes until the King of the Giants busted out and destroyed them. Jason had already pulled his biggest ace, calling down Zeus's lightning when he'd fought Enceladus, and he doubted he'd have the strength or the cooperation from above to do it again. Which meant his only assets were one whiny imprisoned goddess, one sort of girlfriend with a dagger, and Leo, who apparently thought he could defeat the armies of darkness with breath mints. On top of all this, Jason's worst memories were flooding back. He knew for certain he'd done many dangerous things in his life, but he'd never been closer to death than he was right now. The enemy was beautiful. Keone smiled, her dark eyes glittering, as a dagger of ice grew in her hand. What have you done? Jason demanded. Oh, so many things the snow goddess bird. Your sister's not dead, if that's what you mean. She and her hunters will make fine toys for our wolves. I thought we'd defrost them one at a time and hunt them down for amusement. Let them be the prey for once. The wolves snarled appreciatively. Yes, my dears. Keone kept her eyes on Jason. Your sister almost killed their king, you know. Like Aeon's off in a cave somewhere, no doubt licking his wounds. But his minions have joined us to take revenge for their master. And soon Porphyrion will arise, and we shall rule the world. Traitor! Hera shouted. You meddlesome D-list goddess! You aren't worthy to pour my wine, much less rule the world. Keone sighed. Tiresome as ever, Queen Hera. I've been wanting to shut you up for millennia. Keone waved her hand, and ice encased the prison, sealing in the spaces between the earthen tendrils. That's better, the snow goddess said. Now, demigods. About your death. You're the one who tricked Hera into coming here, Jason said. You gave Zeus the idea of closing Olympus. The wolves snarled, and the storm spirits whinnied, ready to attack, but Keone held up her hand. Patience, my loves. If he wants to talk, what matter? The sun is setting, and time is on our side. Of course, Jason Grace. Like snow, my voice is quiet and gentle and very cold. It's easy for me to whisper to the other gods, especially when I am only confirming their own deepest fears. I also whispered in Aeolus's ear that he should issue an order to kill demigods. It is a small service for Gia. But I'm sure I will be well rewarded when her sons, the giants, 
come to power. You could have killed us in Quebec, Jason said. Why let us live? Keone wrinkled her nose. Messy business, killing you in my father's house. Especially when he insists on meeting all visitors. I did try, you remember. It would have been lovely if he'd agreed to turn you to ice. But once he'd given you guarantee of safe passage, I couldn't openly disobey him. My father is an old fool. He lives in fear of Zeus and Eolus. But he's still powerful. Soon enough, when my new masters have awakened, I will depose Boreas and take the throne of the North Wind. But not just yet. Besides, my father did have a point. Your quest was suicidal. I fully expected you to fail. And to help us with that, Leo said, you knocked our dragon out of the sky over Detroit. Those frozen wires in his head, that was your fault. You're going to pay for that. You're also the one who kept Enceladus informed about us, Piper added. We've been plagued by snowstorms the whole trip. Yes, I feel so close to all of you now, Keone said. Once you made it past Omaha, I decided to ask Lycaon to track you down so Jason could die here at the Wolf House. Keone smiled at him. You see, Jason, your blood spilled on this sacred ground will taint it for generations. Your demigod brethren will be outraged, especially when they find the bodies of these two from Camp Half-Blood. They'll believe the Greeks have conspired with giants. It will be delicious. Piper and Leo didn't seem to understand what she was saying, but Jason knew. His memories were returning enough for him to realize how dangerously effective Keone's plan could be. You'll set demigods against demigods, he said. It's so easy, said Keone. As I told you, I only encourage what you would do anyway. But why? Piper spread her hands. Keone, you'll tear the world apart. The giants will destroy everything. You don't want that. Call off your monsters. Keone hesitated, then laughed. Your persuasive powers are improving, girl. But I am a goddess. You can't charm speak me. We wind gods are creatures of chaos. I'll overthrow Eolus and let the storms run free. If we destroy the mortal world, all the better. They never honored me, even in Greek times. Humans and their talk of global warming. Pah! I'll cool them down quickly enough. When we retake the ancient places, I will cover the Acropolis in snow. The ancient places? Leo's eyes widened. That's what Enceladus meant about destroy the roots of the gods. He meant Greece. You could join me, son of Hephaestus, Keone said. I know you find me beautiful. It would be enough for my plan if these other two were to die. 
reject that ridiculous destiny the fates have given you. Live and be my champion instead. Your skills would be quite useful. Leo looked stunned. He glanced behind him like Keone might be talking to somebody else. For a second, Jason was worried. He figured Leo didn't have beautiful goddesses make him offers like this every day. Then Leo laughed so hard, he doubled over. Yeah, join you, right, until you get bored of me and turn me into a Leo-sickle? Lady, nobody messes with my dragon and gets away with it. I can't believe I thought you were hot. Keone's face turned red. Hot? You dare insult me? I am cold, Leo Valdez. Very, very cold. She shot a blast of wintry sleet at the demigods, but Leo held up his hand. A wall of fire roared to life in front of them, and the snow dissolved in a steamy cloud. Leo grinned. See, lady, that's what happens to snow in Texas. It freaking melts. Keone hissed. Enough of this. Hira is failing. Porphyrion is rising. Kill the demigods. Let them be our king's first meal. Jason hefted his icy wooden plank, a stupid weapon to die fighting with and the monsters charged. Chapter 50 Jason A wolf launched itself at Jason. He stepped back and swung his scrap of wood into the beast's snout with a satisfying crack. Maybe only silver could kill it, but a good old-fashioned board could still give it a Tylenol headache. He turned toward the sound of hooves, and saw a storm spirit bearing down on him. Jason concentrated and summoned the wind. Just before the spirit could trample him, Jason launched himself into the air, grabbed the horse's smoky neck, and pirouetted onto its back. The storm spirit reared. It tried to shake Jason, then tried to dissolve into mist to lose him. But somehow, Jason stayed on. He willed the horse to remain in solid form and the horse seemed unable to refuse. Jason could feel it fighting against him. He could sense its raging thoughts, complete chaos straining to break free. It took all Jason's willpower to impose his own wishes and bring the horse under control. He thought about Aeolus, overseeing thousands and thousands of spirits like this, some much worse. No wonder the master of the winds had gone a little mad after centuries of that pressure. But Jason had only one spirit to master, and he had to win. You're mine now, Jason said. The horse bucked, but Jason held fast. Its mane flickered as it circled around the empty pool, its hooves causing miniature thunderstorms, tempests, whenever they touched. Tempest, Jason said. Is that your name? The horse spirit shook its mane, evidently pleased to be recognized. Fine, Jason said. Now, let's fight. 
He charged into battle, swinging his icy piece of wood, knocking aside wolves and plunging straight through other venti. Tempest was a strong spirit, and every time he plowed through one of his brethren, he discharged so much electricity the other spirit vaporized into a harmless cloud of mist. Through the chaos, Jason caught glimpses of his friends. Piper was surrounded by Earthborn, but she seemed to be holding her own. She was so impressive-looking as she fought, almost glowing with beauty, that the Earthborn stared at her in awe, forgetting that they were supposed to kill her. They'd lower their clubs and watch dumbfounded as she smiled and charged them. They'd smile back, until she sliced them apart with her dagger, and they melted into mounds of mud. Leo had taken on Keone herself. While fighting a goddess should have been suicide, Leo was the right man for the job. She kept summoning ice daggers to throw at him, blasts of winter air, tornadoes of snow. Leo burned through all of it. His whole body flickered with red tongues of flame like he'd been doused with gasoline. He advanced on the goddess, using two silver-tipped ball-peen hammers to smash any monsters that got in his way. Jason realized that Leo was the only reason they were still alive. His fiery aura was heating up the whole courtyard, countering Keone's winter magic. Without him, they would have been frozen like the hunters long ago. Wherever Leo went, ice melted off the stones— even Thalia started to defrost a little when Leo stepped near her. Keone slowly backed away. Her expression went from enraged to shocked to slightly panicked as Leo got closer. Jason was running out of enemies. Wolves lay in dazed heaps. Some slunk away in the ruins, yelping from their wounds. Piper stabbed the last Earthborn, who toppled to the ground in a pile of sludge. Jason rode Tempest through the last Ventus, breaking it into vapor. Then he wheeled around and saw Leo bearing down on the goddess of snow. You're too late, Keone snarled. He's awake. And don't think you've won anything here, demigods. Hera's plan will never work. You'll be at each other's throats before you can ever stop us. Leo set his hammers ablaze and threw them at the goddess, but she turned into snow, a white, powdery image of herself. Leo's hammer slammed into the snow woman, breaking it into a steaming mound of mush. Piper was breathing hard, but she smiled up at Jason. Nice horse. Tempest reared on his hind legs, arcing electricity across his hooves. A complete show-off. Then Jason heard a cracking sound behind him. The melting ice on Hera's cage sloughed off in a curtain of slush, and the goddess called, Oh, don't mind me, just the queen of the heavens dying over here. Jason dismounted and told Tempest to stay put. The three demigods jumped into the pool and ran to the spire. Leo frowned. Uh, Tia Kaida... Are you getting shorter? No, you dolt. The earth is claiming me. Hurry! As much as Jason disliked Hera, what he saw inside the cage alarmed him. Not only was Hera sinking, the ground was rising around her like water in a tank. 
liquid rock had already covered her shins. A giant wakes, Hira warned. You only have seconds. On it, Leo said. Piper, I need your help. Talk to the cage. What? she said. Talk to it. Use everything you've got. Convince Gia to sleep. Lull her into a daze. Just lower down. Try to get the tendrils to loosen while I... Right. Piper cleared her throat and said, Hey, Gia. Nice night, huh? Boy, I'm tired. How about you? Ready for some sleep? The more she talked, the more confident she sounded. Jason felt his own eyes getting heavy, and he had to force himself not to focus on her words. It seemed to have some effect on the cage. The mud was rising more slowly. The tendrils seemed to soften just a little, becoming more like tree root than rock. Leo pulled a circular saw out of his tool belt. How it fit in there, Jason had no idea. Then Leo looked at the cord and grunted in frustration. I don't have anywhere to plug it in. The spirit horse Tempest jumped into the pit and whinnied. Really? Jason asked. Tempest dipped his head and trotted over to Leo. Leo looked dubious, but he held up the plug and a breeze whisked it into the horse's flank. Lightning sparked, connecting with the prongs of the plug, and the circular saw word to life. Sweet, Leo grinned. Your horse comes with AC outlets. Their good mood didn't last long. On the other side of the pool, the giant's spire crumbled with a sound like a tree snapping in half. Its outer sheath of tendrils exploded from the top down, raining stone and wood shards as the giant shook himself free and climbed out of the earth. Jason hadn't thought anything could be scarier than Enceladus. He was wrong. Porphyrian was even taller and even more ripped. He didn't radiate heat or show any signs of breathing fire, but there was something more terrible about him. A kind of strength, even magnetism, as if the giant were so huge and dense he had his own gravitational field. Like Enceladus, the giant king was humanoid from the waist up, clad in bronze armor, and from the waist down he had scaly dragon's legs. But his skin was the color of lima beans. His hair was green as summer leaves, braided in long locks and decorated with weapons, daggers, axes, and full-size swords, some of them bent and bloody, maybe trophies taken from demigods eons before. When the giant opened his eyes, they were blank white, like polished marble. He took a deep breath. Alive, he bellowed. Praise to Gia! Jason made a heroic little whimpering sound he hoped his friends couldn't hear. He was very sure no demigod could solo this guy. Porphyrian could lift mountains. He could crush Jason with one finger. Leo, Jason said. Huh? Leo's mouth was wide open. Even Piper seemed dazed. You guys keep working, Jason said. Get Hera free. What are you going to do? Piper asked. You can't seriously. Entertain a giant, Jason said. 
I've got no choice. Excellent, the giant roared as Jason approached. An appetizer. Who are you, Hermes? Ares? Jason thought about going with that idea, but something told him not to. I'm Jason Grace, he said, son of Jupiter. Those white eyes bored into him. Behind him, Leo's circular saw a word, and Piper talked to the cage in soothing tones, trying to keep the fear out of her voice. Porphyrian threw back his head and laughed. Outstanding! He looked up at the cloudy night sky. So, Zeus, you sacrifice a son to me? The gesture is appreciated, but it will not save you. The sky didn't even rumble. No help from above. Jason was on his own. He dropped his makeshift club. His hands were covered in splinters, but that didn't matter now. He had to buy Leo and Piper some time, and he couldn't do that without a proper weapon. It was time to act a whole lot more confident than he felt. If you knew who I was, Jason yelled up at the giant, you'd be worried about me, not my father. I hope you enjoyed your two and a half minutes of rebirth, giant, because I'm going to send you right back to Tartarus. The giant's eyes narrowed. He planted one foot outside the pool and crouched to get a better look at his opponent. So, we'll start by boasting, will we? Just like old times. Very well, demigod. I am Porphyrian, king of the giants, son of Gia. In olden times, I rose from Tartarus the abyss of my father, to challenge the gods. To start the war, I stole Zeus's queen. He grinned at the goddess's cage. Hello, Hera. My husband destroyed you once, monster, Hera said. He'll do it again. But he didn't, my dear. Zeus wasn't powerful enough to kill me. He had to rely on a puny demigod to help, and even then, we almost won. This time, we will complete what we started. Gia is waking. She has provisioned us with many fine servants. Our armies will shake the earth, and we will destroy you at the roots. You wouldn't dare, Hera said but she was weakening. Jason could hear it in her voice. Piper kept whispering to the cage and Leo kept sawing, but the earth was still rising inside Hera's prison, covering her up to her waist. Oh, yes, the giant said. The Titans sought to attack your new home in New York. Bold, but ineffective. Gia is wiser and more patient. And we, her greatest children, are much, much stronger than Kronos. We know how to kill you Olympians once and for all. You must be dug up completely, like rotten trees, your eldest roots torn out and burned. 
The giant frowned at Piper and Leo, as if he'd just noticed them working at the cage. Jason stepped forward and yelled to get back Porphyrian's attention. You said a demigod killed you, he shouted. How, if we're so puny? <sighs> ha! You think I would explain it to you? I was created to be Zeus's replacement, born to destroy the Lord of the Sky. I shall take his throne. I shall take his wife. Or, if she will not have me, I will let the Earth consume her life force. What you see before you, child, is only my weakened form. I will grow stronger by the hour until I am invincible. But I am already quite capable of smashing you to a grease spot. He rose to his full height and held out his hand. A twenty-foot spear shot from the earth. He grasped it, then stomped the ground with his dragon's feet. The ruins shook. All around the courtyard, monsters started to regather. Storm spirits, wolves, and earthborn, all answering the giant king's call. Great, Leo muttered. We needed more enemies. Hurry, Hira said. I know, Leo snapped. Go to sleep, Cage, Piper said. Nice, sleepy cage. Yes, I'm talking to a bunch of earthen tendrils. This isn't weird at all. Porphyrian raked his spear across the top of the ruins, destroying a chimney and spraying wood and stone across the courtyard. So, uh, child of Zeus, I have finished my boasting. Now it's your turn. What were you saying about destroying me? Jason looked at the ring of monsters, waiting impatiently for their master's order to tear them to shreds. Leo's circular saw kept whirring, and Piper kept talking, but it seemed hopeless. Hera's cage was almost completely filled with earth. I'm the son of Jupiter, he shouted, and just for effect, he summoned the winds, rising a few feet off the ground. I'm a child of Rome. Consul to demigods, praetor of the First Legion. Jason didn't know quite what he was saying, but he rattled off the words like he'd said them many times before. He held out his arms, showing the tattoo of the eagle and SPQR, and to his surprise, the giant seemed to recognize it. For a moment, Porphyrian actually looked uneasy. I slew the Trojan sea monster. Jason continued, I toppled the black throne of Kronos and destroyed the titan Creos with my own hands. And now I'm going to destroy you, Porphyrian, and feed you to your own wolves. Wow, dude, Leo muttered. You been eating red meat? Jason launched himself at the giant, determined to tear him apart. The idea of fighting a forty-foot-tall immortal barehanded was so ridiculous, even the giant seemed surprised. Half-flying, half-leaping, Jason landed on the giant's scaly reptilian knee and climbed up the giant's arm before Porphyrian even realized what had happened. "'You dare!' the giant bellowed. 
Jason reached his shoulders and ripped a sword out of the giant's weapon-filled braids. He yelled, For Rome! and drove the sword into the nearest convenient target, the giant's massive ear. Lightning streaked out of the sky and blasted the sword, throwing Jason free. He rolled when he hit the ground. When he looked up, the giant was staggering. His hair was on fire, and the side of his face was blackened from lightning. The sword had splintered in his ear. Golden Icor ran down his jaw. The other weapons were sparking and smoldering in his braids. Porphyrian almost fell. The circle of monsters let out a collective growl and moved forward, wolves and ogres fixing their eyes on Jason. No! Porphyrian yelled. He regained his balance and glared at the demigod. I will kill him myself. The giant raised his spear, and it began to glow. You wanna play with lightning, boy? You forget! I am the bane of Zeus. I was created to destroy your father. Which means I know exactly what will kill you. Something in Porphyrian's voice told Jason he wasn't bluffing. Jason and his friends had had a good run. The three of them had done amazing things. Yeah, even heroic things. But as the giant raised his spear, Jason knew there was no way he could deflect this strike. This was the end. Got it, Leo yelled. Sleep, Piper said. So forcefully, the nearest wolves fell to the ground and began snoring. The stone and wood cage crumbled. Leo had sawed through the base of the thickest tendril and apparently cut off the cage's connection to Gia. The tendrils turned to dust. The mud around Hera disintegrated. The goddess grew in size, glowing with power. Yes, the goddess said. She threw off her black robes to reveal a white gown, her arms bedecked with golden jewelry. Her face was both terrible and beautiful, and a golden crown glowed in her long black hair. Now I shall have my revenge! The giant Porphyrian backed away. He said nothing, but he gave Jason one last look of hatred. His message was clear. Another time. Then he slammed his spear against the earth, and the giant disappeared into the ground like he dropped down a chute. Around the courtyard, monsters began to panic and retreat, but there was no escape for them. Hera glowed brightly. She shouted, Cover your eyes, my heroes! But Jason was too much in shock. He understood too late. He watched as Hera turned into a supernova, exploding in a ring of force that vaporized every monster instantly. Jason fell, light searing into his mind, and his last thought was that his body was burning. Chapter 51 Piper Jason! Piper kept calling his name as she held him, though she'd almost lost hope. He'd been unconscious for two minutes now. His body was steaming. His eyes rolled back in his head. She couldn't tell if he was even breathing. 
It's no use, child. Ira stood over them in her simple black robes and shawl. Piper hadn't seen the goddess go nuclear. Thankfully, she'd closed her eyes. But she could see the after-effects. Every vestige of winter was gone from the valley. No signs of battle, either. The monsters had been vaporized. The ruins had been restored to what they were before. Still ruins, but with no evidence that they'd been overrun by a horde of wolves, storm spirits, and six-armed ogres. Even the hunters had been revived. Most waited at a respectful distance in the meadow, but Thalia knelt by Piper's side, her hand on Jason's forehead. Thalia glared up at the goddess. This is your fault. Do something! Do not address me that way, girl. I am the queen. Fix him! Hera's eyes flickered with power. I did warn him. I would never intentionally hurt the boy. He was to be my champion. I told them to close their eyes before I revealed my true form. Um, Leo frowned. True form is bad, right? So why did you do it? I unleashed my power to help you, fool, Hira cried. I became pure energy so I could disintegrate the monsters, restore this place, and even save these miserable hunters from the ice. But mortals can't look upon you in that form, Thalia shouted. You've killed him! Leo shook his head in dismay. That's what our prophecy meant. Death unleash through Hera's rage. Come on, lady, you're a goddess. Do some voodoo magic on him. Bring him back. Piper half heard their conversation, but mostly she was focused on Jason's face. He's breathing, she announced. Impossible, Hera said. I wish it were true, child, but no mortal has ever. Jason, Piper called putting every bit of her willpower into his name. She could not lose him. Listen to me. You can do this. Come back. You're going to be fine. Nothing happened. Had she imagined his breath stirring? Healing is not a power of Aphrodite, Hera said regretfully. Even I cannot fix this, girl. His mortal spirit... Jason, Piper said again, and she imagined her voice resonating through the earth, all the way down to the underworld. Wake up. He gasped, and his eyes flew open. For a moment, they were full of light, glowing pure gold. Then the light faded and his eyes were normal again. What? What happened? Impossible, Hera said. Piper wrapped him in a hug until he groaned. Crushing me. Sorry, she said. So relieved, she laughed while wiping a tear from her eye. Thalia gripped her brother's hand. How do you feel? Hot, he muttered. Mouth is dry. And I saw something really terrible. That was Hera, Thalia grumbled. Her Majesty, the Loose Cannon. That's it, Thalia Grace, said the goddess. I will turn you into an aardvark, so help me. Stop it, you two. 
Piper said. Amazingly, they both shut up. Piper helped Jason to his feet and gave him the last nectar from their supplies. Now, Piper faced Thalia and Hera. Hera, your majesty, we couldn't have rescued you without the hunters. And Thalia, you never would have seen Jason again. I wouldn't have met him if it weren't for Hera. You two make nice, because we've got bigger problems. They both glared at her, and for three long seconds, Piper wasn't sure which one of them was going to kill her first. Finally, Thalia grunted. You've got spirit, Piper. She pulled a silver card from her parka and tucked it into the pocket of Piper's snowboarding jacket. You ever want to be a hunter? Call me. We could use you. Hira crossed her arms. Fortunately for this hunter, you have a point, daughter of Aphrodite. She assessed Piper, as if seeing her clearly for the first time. You wondered, Piper, why I chose you for this quest, why I didn't reveal your secret in the beginning, even when I knew Enceladus was using you. I must admit, until this moment... I was not sure. Something told me you would be vital to the quest. Now I see I was right. You're even stronger than I realized, and you are correct about the dangers to come. We must work together. Piper's face felt warm. She wasn't sure how to respond to Hera's compliment, but Leo stepped in. Yeah, he said. I don't suppose that Porphyrian guy just melted and died, huh? No, Hera agreed. By saving me and saving this place, you prevented Gia from waking. You have bought us some time, but Porphyrian has risen. He simply knew better than to stay here, especially since he has not yet regained his full power. Giants can only be killed by a combination of god and demigod, working together. Once you freed me... He ran away, Jason said. But to where? Hera didn't answer. But a sense of dread washed over Piper. She remembered what Porphyrian had said about killing the Olympians by pulling up their roots. Greece. She looked at Thalia's grim expression and guessed the hunter had come to the same conclusion. I need to find Annabeth, Thalia said. She has to know what's happened here. Thalia, Jason gripped her hand. We never got to talk about this place. Or, I know. Her expression softened. I lost you here once. I don't want to leave you again. But we'll meet soon. I'll rendezvous with you back at Camp Half-Blood. She glanced at Hera. You'll see them there safely? It's the least you can do. It's not your place to tell me. Queen Hera? Piper interceded. The goddess sighed. Fine. Yes. Just off with you, hunter. Thalia gave Jason a hug and said her goodbyes. When the hunters were gone, the courtyard seemed strangely quiet. The dry reflecting pool showed no sign of the earthen tendrils that had brought back the giant king or imprisoned Hera. 
The night sky was clear and starry. The wind rustled in the redwoods. Piper thought about that night in Oklahoma when she and her dad had slept in Grandpa Tom's front yard. She thought about the night on the wilderness school dorm roof when Jason had kissed her. In her mist-altered memories, anyway. Jason, what happened to you here? she asked. I mean, I know your mom abandoned you here, but you said it was sacred ground for demigods. Why? What happened after you were on your own? Jason shook his head uneasily. It's still murky. The wolves... You were given a destiny, Hira said. You were given into my service. Jason scowled. Because you forced my mom to do that. You couldn't stand knowing Zeus had two children with my mom, knowing that he'd fallen for her twice. I was the price you demanded for leaving the rest of my family alone. It was the right choice for you as well, Jason, Hera insisted. The second time your mother managed to snare Zeus's affections, it was because she imagined him in a different aspect, the aspect of Jupiter. Never before had this happened. Two children, Greek and Roman, born into the same family. You had to be separated from Thalia. This is where all demigods of your kind start their journey. Of his kind? Piper asked. She means Roman, Jason said. Demigods are left here. We meet the she-wolf goddess Lupa, the same immortal wolf that raised Romulus and Remus. Hera nodded. And if you are strong enough, you live. But, Leo looked mystified. What happened after that? I mean, Jason never made it to camp. Not to Camp Half-Blood, no, Hera agreed. Piper felt as if the sky were spiraling above her, making her dizzy. You went somewhere else. That's where you've been all these years. Somewhere else for demigods. But where? Jason turned to the goddess. The memories are coming back but not the location. You're not going to tell me, are you? No, Hera said. That is part of your destiny, Jason. You must find your own way back. But when you do, you will unite two great powers. You will give us hope against the giants, and more importantly, against Gia herself. You want us to help you, Jason said but you're holding back information. Giving you answers would make those answers invalid, Hera said. That is the way of the fates. You must forge your own path for it to mean anything. Already you three have surprised me. I would not have thought it possible. The goddess shook her head. Suffice it to say, you have performed well, demigods. But this is only the beginning now you must return to Camp Half-Blood, where you will begin planning for the next phase. Which you won't tell us about, Jason grumped. And I suppose you destroyed my nice storm spirit horse, so we'll have to walk home? Hira waved aside the question 
Storm spirits are creatures of chaos. I did not destroy that one, though I have no idea where he went or whether you'll see him again. But there is an easier way home for you. As you have done me a great service, so I can help you, at least this once. Farewell, demigods, for now. The world turned upside down, and Piper almost blacked out. When she could see straight again, she was back at camp, in the dining pavilion, in the middle of dinner. They were standing on the Aphrodite cabin's table, and Piper had one foot in Drew's pizza. Sixty campers rose at once, gawking at them in astonishment. Whatever Hera had done to shoot them across the country, it wasn't good for Piper's stomach. She could barely control her nausea. Leo wasn't so lucky. He jumped off the table, ran to the nearest bronze brazier, and threw up in it, which was probably not a great burnt offering for the gods. Jason? Chiron trotted forward. No doubt the old centaur had seen thousands of years' worth of weird stuff, but even he looked totally flabbergasted. What? How? The Aphrodite campers stared up at Piper with their mouths open. Piper figured she must look awful. Hi, she said as casually as she could. We're back. Chapter 52 Piper Piper didn't remember much about the rest of the night. They told their story and answered a million questions from the other campers, but finally Chiron saw how tired they were and ordered them to bed. It felt so good to sleep on a real mattress, and Piper was so exhausted she crashed immediately, which spared her any worry about what it would be like returning to the Aphrodite cabin. The next morning she woke in her bunk, feeling reinvigorated. The sun came through the windows along with a pleasant breeze. It might have been spring instead of winter. Birds sang. Monsters howled in the woods. Breakfast smells wafted from the dining pavilion. Bacon, pancakes, and all sorts of wonderful things. Drew and her gang were frowning down at her, their arms crossed. Morning. Piper sat up and smiled. Beautiful day. You're going to make us late for breakfast, Drew said, which means you get to clean the cabin for inspection. A week ago, Piper would have either punched Drew in the face or hidden back under her covers. Now she thought about the Cyclopes in Detroit, Medea in Chicago, Midas turning her to gold in Omaha. Looking at Drew, who used to bother her, Piper laughed. Drew's smug expression crumbled. She backed up, then remembered she was supposed to be angry. What are you challenging you? Piper said. How about noon in the arena? You can choose the weapons. She got out of bed, stretched leisurely, and beamed at her cabin mates. She spotted Mitchell and Lacey, who'd helped her pack for the quest. They were smiling tentatively, their eyes flitting from Piper to Drew like this might be a very interesting tennis game. I missed you guys, Piper announced. We're going to have a great time when I'm senior counselor. Drew turned bug juice red.
Even her closest lieutenants looked a little nervous. This wasn't in their script. You, Drew spluttered, you ugly little witch. I've been here the longest. You can't just... Challenge you, Piper said. Sure I can. Camp rules. I've been claimed by Aphrodite. I've completed a quest, which is one more than you've completed. If I feel I can do a better job, I can challenge you, unless you just want to step down. Did I get all that right, Mitchell? Just right, Piper. Mitchell was grinning. Lacey was bouncing up and down like she was trying to achieve liftoff. A few of the other kids started to grin, as if they were enjoying the different colors Drew's face was turning. Step down? Drew shrieked. You're crazy! Piper shrugged. Then fast as a viper, she pulled Catoptris from under her pillow, unsheathed the dagger, and thrust the point under Drew's chin. Everybody else backed up fast. One guy crashed into a makeup table and sent up a plume of pink powder. A duel, then, Piper said cheerfully. If you don't want to wait until noon, now is fine. You've turned this cabin into a dictatorship, Drew. Selena Beauregard knew better than that. Aphrodite is about love and beauty. Being loving, spreading beauty. Good friends, good times, good deeds. Not just looking good. Selena made mistakes, but in the end she stood by her friends. That's why she was a hero. I'm going to set things right, and I've got a feeling Mom will be on my side. Want to find out? Drew went cross-eyed looking down the blade of Piper's dagger. A second passed, then two. Piper didn't care. She was absolutely happy and confident. It must have shown in her smile. I... Step down, Drew grumbled. But if you think I'm ever going to forget this, McLean... Oh, I hope you won't, Piper said. Now, run along to the dining pavilion and explain to Chiron why we're late. There's been a change of leadership. Drew backed to the door. Even her closest lieutenants didn't follow her. She was about to leave when Piper said, Oh, and Drew, honey? The former counselor looked back reluctantly. In case you think I'm not a true daughter of Aphrodite, Piper said, Don't even look at Jason Grace. He may not know it yet, but he's mine. If you even try to make a move, I will load you into a catapult and shoot you across Long Island Sound. Drew turned around so fast she ran into the door frame. Then she was gone. The cabin was silent. The other campers stared at Piper. This was the part she was unsure of. She didn't want to rule by fear. She wasn't like Drew, but she didn't know if they'd accept her. Then, spontaneously, the Aphrodite campers cheered so loudly they must have been heard all across camp. They herded Piper out of the cabin, raised her on their shoulders, and carried her all the way to the dining pavilion, still in her pajamas, her hair still a mess. But she didn't care. She'd never felt better.
By afternoon, Piper had changed into comfortable camp clothes and led the Aphrodite cabin through their morning activities. She was ready for free time. Some of the buzz of her victory had faded because she had an appointment at the big house. Chiron met her on the front porch in human form, compacted into his wheelchair. Come inside, my dear. The video conference is ready. The only computer at camp was in Chiron's office, and the whole room was shielded in bronze plating. Demigods and technology don't mix, Chiron explained. Phone calls, texting, even browsing the internet. All these things can attract monsters. Why, just this fall at a school in Cincinnati, we had to rescue a young hero who googled the Gorgons and got a little more than he bargained for. But never mind that. Here at camp, you're protected. Still, we try to be cautious. You'll only be able to talk for a few minutes. Got it, Piper said. Thank you, Chiron. He smiled and wheeled himself out of the office. Piper hesitated before clicking the call button. Chiron's office had a cluttered, cozy feel. One wall was covered with T-shirts from different conventions. Party Ponies 09 Vegas, Party Ponies 10 Honolulu, etc. Piper didn't know who the Party Ponies were, but judging from the stains, scorch marks, and weapon holes in the T-shirts, they must have had some pretty wild meetings. On the shelf over Chiron's desk sat an old-fashioned boombox with cassette tapes labeled Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Greatest Hits of the Forties. Chiron was so old, Piper wondered if that meant 1940s, 1840s, or maybe just A.D. 40. But most of the office's wall space was plastered with photos of demigods, like a hall of fame. One of the newer shots showed a teenage guy with dark hair and green eyes. Since he stood arm-in-arm arm with Annabeth, Piper assumed the guy must be Percy Jackson. In some of the older photos, she recognized famous people, businessmen, athletes, even some actors that her dad knew. Unbelievable, she muttered. Piper wondered if her photo would go on that wall someday. For the first time, she felt like she was part of something bigger than herself. Demigods had been around for centuries. Whatever she did, she did for all of them. She took a deep breath and made the call. The video screen popped up. Gleason Hedge grinned at her from her dad's office. Seen the news? Kind of hard to miss, Piper said. I hope you know what you're doing. Chiron had shown her a newspaper at lunch. Her dad's mysterious return from nowhere had made the front page. His personal assistant, Jane, had been fired for covering up his disappearance and failing to notify the police. A new staff had been hired and personally vetted by Tristan McLean's life coach, Gleason Hedge. According to the paper, Mr. McLean claimed to have no memory of the last week, and the media was totally eating up the story. Some thought it was a clever marketing ploy for a movie. Maybe McLean was going to play an amnesiac. Some thought he'd been kidnapped by terrorists or rabid fans or had heroically escaped from ransom seekers using his incredible King of Sparta fighting skills. Whatever the truth, Tristan McLean was more famous than ever. It's going great, Hedge promised. But don't worry, 
We're going to keep him out of the public eye for the next month or so until things cool down. Your dad's got more important things to do, like resting and talking to his daughter. Don't get too comfortable out there in Hollywood, Gleason, Piper said. Hedge snorted. You kidding? These people make Eolus look sane. I'll be back as soon as I can. But your dad's got to get back on his feet first. He's a good guy. Oh, and by the way, I took care of that other little matter. The Park Service in the Bay Area just got an anonymous gift of a new helicopter. And that Ranger pilot who helped us? She's got a very lucrative offer to fly for Mr. McLean. Thanks, Gleason, Piper said. For everything. Yeah, well, I don't try to be awesome. It just comes natural. Speaking of Eolus's place, meet your dad's new assistant. Hedge was nudged out of the way, and a pretty young lady grinned into the camera. Melly? Piper stared, but it was definitely her. The aura who'd helped them escape from Eolus's fortress. You're working for my dad now? Isn't it great? Does he know your, uh, you know, wind spirit? Oh, no, but I love this job. It's, um, a breeze. Piper couldn't help but laugh. I'm glad. That's awesome. But where? Just a sec. Melly kissed Gleason on the cheek. Come on, you old goat. Stop hogging the screen. What? Hedge demanded. But Melly steered him away and called, Mr. McLean, she's on. A second later, Piper's dad appeared. He broke into a huge grin. Pipes. He looked great. Back to normal with his sparkling brown eyes, his half-day beard, his confident smile, and his newly trimmed hair like he was ready to shoot a scene. Piper was relieved, but she also felt a little sad. Back to normal wasn't necessarily what she'd wanted. In her mind, she started the clock. On a normal call like this, on a workday, she hardly ever got her dad's attention for longer than 30 seconds. Hey, she said weakly, you feeling okay? Honey, I'm so sorry to worry you with this disappearance business. I don't know. His smile wavered, and she could tell he was trying to remember, grasping for a memory that should have been there, but wasn't. I'm not sure what happened, honestly. But I'm fine. Coach Hedge has been a godsend. A godsend, she repeated. Funny choice of words. He told me about your new school, Dad said. I'm sorry the wilderness school didn't work out, but you were right. Jane was wrong. I was a fool to listen to her. Ten seconds left, maybe. But at least her dad sounded sincere, like he really did feel remorseful. You don't remember anything? She said, a bit wistfully. Of course I do, he said. A chill went down her neck. You do? I remember that I love you, he said, and I'm proud of you. Are you happy at your new school? Piper blinked. She wasn't going to cry now. After all she'd been through, that would be ridiculous. Yeah, Dad. It's more like a camp, not a school, but... Yeah, I think I'll be happy here. Call me as often as you can, he said. 
and come home for Christmas. And pipes? Yes? He touched the screen as if trying to reach through with his hand. You're a wonderful young lady. I don't tell you that often enough. You remind me so much of your mother. She'd be proud. And Grandpa Tom, he chuckled. He always said you'd be the most powerful voice in our family. You're going to outshine me someday, you know. They're going to remember me as Piper McLean's father. And that's the best legacy I can imagine. Piper tried to answer, but she was afraid she'd break down. She just touched his fingers on the screen and nodded. Melly said something in the background, and her dad sighed. Studio calling. I'm sorry, honey. And he did sound genuinely annoyed to go. It's okay, Dad, she managed. Love you. He winked. Then the video call went black. Forty-five seconds? Maybe a full minute. Piper smiled. A small improvement, but it was progress. At the commons area, she found Jason relaxing on a bench, a basketball between his feet. He was sweaty from working out, but he looked great in his orange tank top and shorts. His various scars and bruises from the quest were healing, thanks to some medical attention from the Apollo cabin. His arms and legs were well-muscled and tan, distracting as always. His close-cropped blonde hair caught the afternoon light so it looked like it was turning to gold, Midas-style. Hey, he said. How did it go? It took her a second to focus on his question. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Fine. She sat next to him, and they watched the campers going back and forth. A couple of Demeter girls were playing tricks on two of the Apollo guys, making grass grow around their ankles as they shot baskets. Over at the camp store, the Hermes kids were putting up a sign that read, Flying Shoes, Slightly Used, 50% Off Today. Ares kids were lining their cabin with fresh barbed wire. The Hypnos cabin was snoring away. A normal day at camp. Meanwhile, the Aphrodite kids were watching Piper and Jason, and trying to pretend they weren't. Piper was pretty sure she saw money change hands, like they were placing bets on a kiss. Get any sleep? she asked him. He looked at her, as if she'd been reading his thoughts. Not much. Dreams. About your past? He nodded. She didn't push him. If he wanted to talk, that was fine. But she knew him better than to press the subject. She didn't even worry that her knowledge of him was mostly based on three months of false memories. You can sense possibilities, her mother had said, and Piper was determined to make those possibilities a reality. Jason spun his basketball. It's not good news, he warned. My memories aren't good for... for any of us. Piper was pretty sure he'd been about to say, for us, as in the two of them, and she wondered if he'd remembered a girl from his past. But she didn't let it bother her. Not on a sunny winter day like this, with Jason next to her. We'll figure it out, she promised. He looked at her hesitantly, like he wanted very much to believe her, Annabeth and Rachel are coming in for the meeting tonight.
I should probably wait until then to explain. Okay. She plucked a blade of grass by her foot. She knew there were dangerous things in store for both of them. She would have to compete with Jason's past, and they might not even survive their war against the giants. But right now, they were both alive, and she was determined to enjoy this moment. Jason studied her warily. His forearm tattoo was faint blue in the sunlight. You're in a good mood. How can you be so sure things will work out? Because you're going to lead us, she said simply. I'd follow you anywhere. Jason blinked. Then slowly, he smiled. Dangerous thing to say. I'm a dangerous girl. That, I believe. He got up and brushed off his shorts. He offered her a hand. Leo says he's got something to show us out in the woods. You coming? Wouldn't miss it. She took his hand and stood up. For a moment, they kept holding hands. Jason tilted his head. We should get going. Yep, she said. Just a sec. She let go of his hand and took a card from her pocket. The silver calling card that Thalia had given her for the Hunters of Artemis. She dropped it into a nearby eternal fire and watched it burn. There would be no breaking hearts in Aphrodite Cabin from now on. That was one rite of passage they didn't need. Across the green, her cabin mates looked disappointed that they hadn't witnessed a kiss. They started cashing in their bets. But that was all right. Piper was patient, and she could see lots of good possibilities. Let's go, she told Jason. We've got adventures to plan. Chapter 53 Leo Leo hadn't felt this jumpy since he offered tofu burgers to the werewolves. When he got to the limestone cliff in the forest, he turned to the group and smiled nervously. Here we go. He willed his hand to catch fire and set it against the door. His cabin mates gasped. Leo, Nissa cried, you're a fire user. Yeah, thanks, he said. I know. Jake Mason, who was out of his body cast but still on crutches, said, Holy Hephaestus. That means it's so rare that... The massive stone door swung open and everyone's mouth dropped. Leo's flaming hand seemed insignificant now. Even Piper and Jason looked stunned and they'd seen enough amazing things lately. Only Chiron didn't look surprised. The centaur knit his bushy eyebrows and stroked his beard, as if the group was about to walk through a minefield. That made Leo even more nervous, but he couldn't change his mind now. His instincts told him he was meant to share this place, at least with the Hephaestus cabin, and he couldn't hide it from Chiron or his two best friends. Welcome to Bunker 9, he said, as confidently as he could. Come on in. The group was silent as they toured the facility. Everything was just as Leo had left it. Giant machines, work tables, old maps, and schematics. Only one thing had changed. Festus's head was sitting on the central table, 
still battered and scorched from his final crash in Omaha. Leo went over to it, a bitter taste in his mouth, and stroked the dragon's forehead. I'm sorry, Festus, but I won't forget you. Jason put a hand on Leo's shoulder. Festus brought it here for you? Leo nodded. But you can't repair him, Jason guessed. No way, Leo said. But the head is going to be reused. Festus will be going with us. Piper came over and frowned. What do you mean? Before Leo could answer, Nyssa cried out, Guys, look at this! She was standing at one of the work tables, flipping through a sketchbook, diagrams for hundreds of different machines and weapons. I've never seen anything like these, Nyssa said. There are more amazing ideas here than in Daedalus's workshop. It would take a century just to prototype them all. Who built this place? Jake Mason said. And why? Chiron stayed silent, but Leo focused on the wall map he'd seen during his first visit. It showed Camp Half-Blood with a line of triremes in the sound, catapults mounted in the hills around the valley, and spots marked for traps, trenches, and ambush sites. It's a wartime command center, he said. The camp was attacked once, wasn't it? In the Titan War? Piper asked. Nyssa shook her head. No. Besides, that map looks really old. The date? Does that say 1864? They all turned to Chiron. The centaur's tail swished fretfully. The camp has been attacked many times, he admitted. That map is from the last civil war. Apparently, Leo wasn't the only one confused. The other Hephaestus campers looked at each other and frowned. Civil War? Piper said. You mean the American Civil War, like 150 years ago? Yes and no, Chiron said. The two conflicts, mortal and demigod, mirrored each other, as they usually do in Western history. Look at any civil war or revolution from the fall of Rome onward— and it marks a time when demigods also fought one another. But that civil war was particularly horrible. For American mortals, it is still their bloodiest conflict of all time, worse than their casualties in the two world wars. For demigods, it was equally devastating. Even back then, this valley was Camp Half-Blood. There was a horrible battle in these woods lasting for days, with terrible losses on both sides. Both sides? Leo said. You mean the camp split apart? No, Jason spoke up. He means two different groups. Camp Half-Blood was one side in the war. Leo wasn't sure he wanted an answer, but he asked, Who was the other... Chiron glanced up at the tattered Bunker 9 banner, as if remembering the day it was raised. The answer is dangerous, he warned. It is something I swore upon the River Styx never to speak of. After the American Civil War, the gods were so horrified by the toll it took on their children that they swore it would never happen again. The two groups were separated— the gods bent all their will, 
wove the mist as tightly as they could to make sure the enemies never remembered each other, never met on their quests, so that bloodshed could be avoided. This map is from the final dark days of 1864, the last time the two groups fought. We've had several close calls since then. The 1960s were particularly dicey, but we've managed to avoid another civil war, at least so far. Just as Leo guessed, this bunker was a command center for the Hephaestus cabin. In the last century, it has been reopened a few times, usually as a hiding place in times of great unrest. But coming here is dangerous. It stirs old memories, awakens the old feuds. Even when the Titans threatened last year, I did not think it worth the risk to use this place. Suddenly, Leo's sense of triumph turned to guilt. Hey, look, this place found me. It was meant to happen. It's a good thing. I hope you're right, Chiron said. I am. Leo pulled the old drawing out of his pocket and spread it on the table for everyone to see. There, he said proudly. Eolus returned that to me. I drew it when I was five. That's my destiny. Nyssa frowned. Leo, it's a crayon drawing of a boat. Look! He pointed at the largest schematic on the bulletin board, the blueprint showing a Greek trireme. Slowly, his cabin mate's eyes widened as they compared the two designs. The number of masts and oars, even the decorations on the shields and sails were exactly the same as on Leo's drawing. That's impossible, Nyssa said. That blueprint has to be a century old at least. Prophecy unclear. Flight. Jake Mason read from the notes on the blueprint. It's a diagram for a flying ship. Look, that's the landing gear. And weaponry. Holy Hephaestus. Rotating ballista. Mounted crossbows. Celestial bronze plating. That thing would be one spankin' hot war machine. Was it ever made? Not yet, Leo said. Look at the masthead. There was no doubt. The figure at the front of the ship was the head of a dragon. A very particular dragon. Festus, Piper said. Everyone turned and looked at the dragon's head sitting on the table. He's meant to be our masthead. Leo said, our good luck charm, our eyes at sea. I'm supposed to build this ship. I'm going to call it the Argo 2. And guys, I'll need your help. The Argo 2, Piper smiled. After Jason's ship. Jason looked a little uncomfortable, but he nodded. Leo's right. That ship is just what we need for our journey. What journey, Nyssa said. You just got back. Piper ran her fingers over the old crayon drawing. We've got to confront Porphyrian the Giant King. He said he would destroy the gods at their roots. Indeed, Chiron said. Much of Rachel's great prophecy is still a mystery to me. But one thing is clear. You three, Jason... 
Piper and Leo, are among the seven demigods who must take on that quest. You must confront the giants in their homeland, where they are strongest. You must stop them before they can wake Gia fully, before they destroy Mount Olympus. Um, Nissa shifted. You don't mean Manhattan, do you? No, Leo said. The original Mount Olympus. We have to sail to Greece. Chapter 54 Leo It took a few minutes for that to settle in. Then the other Hephaestus campers started asking questions all at once. Who were the other four demigods? How long would it take to build the boat? Why didn't everyone get to go to Greece? Heroes! Chiron struck his hoof on the floor. All the details are not clear yet, but Leo is correct. He will need your help to build the Argo, too. It is perhaps the greatest project Cavan 9 has ever undertaken, even greater than the Bronze Dragon. It'll take a year, at least, Nissa guessed. Do we have that much time? You have six months, at most, Chiron said. You should sail by summer solstice, when the god's power is strongest. Besides, we evidently cannot trust the wind gods, and the summer winds are the least powerful and easiest to navigate. You dare not sail any later, or you may be too late to stop the giants. You must avoid ground travel, using only air and sea. So this vehicle is perfect. Jason being the son of the sky god. His voice trailed off, but Leo figured Chiron was thinking about his missing student, Percy Jackson, the son of Poseidon. He would have been good on this voyage, too. Jake Mason turned to Leo. Well, one thing's for sure. You are now senior counselor. This is the biggest honor the cabin has ever had. Anyone object? Nobody did. All his cabin mates smiled at him, and Leo could almost feel their cabin's curse breaking, their sense of hopelessness melting away. It's official then, Jake said. You're the man. For once, Leo was speechless. Ever since his mom died, he'd spent his life on the run. Now he'd found a home and a family. He'd found a job to do, and as scary as it was, Leo wasn't tempted to run, not even a little. Well, he said at last, if you guys elect me leader, you must be even crazier than I am. So let's build a spanking hot war machine. Chapter 55 Jason Jason waited alone in cabin one. Annabeth and Rachel were due any minute for the head counselor's meeting, and Jason needed time to think. His dreams the night before had been worse than he'd wanted to share, even with Piper. His memory was still foggy, but bits and pieces were coming back. The night Lupa had tested him at the wolf house to decide if he would be a pup or food. Then the long trip south to... He couldn't remember, but he had flashes of his old life the day he'd gotten his tattoo, the day he'd been raised on a shield and proclaimed a preter. 
His friends' faces, Dakota, Gwendolyn, Hazel, Bobby, and Raina. Definitely there'd been a girl named Raina. He wasn't sure what she'd meant to him, but the memory made him question what he felt about Piper and wonder if he was doing something wrong. The problem was, he liked Piper a lot. Jason moved his stuff to the corner alcove where his sister had once slept. He put Thalia's photograph back on the wall so he didn't feel alone. He stared up at the frowning statue of Zeus, mighty and proud, but the statue didn't scare him anymore. It just made him feel sad. I know you can hear me, Jason said to the statue. The statue said nothing. Its painted eyes seemed to stare at him. I wish I could talk with you in person, Jason continued. But I understand you can't do that. The Roman gods don't like to interact with mortals so much. And, well, you're the king. You've got to set an example. More silence. Jason had hoped for something. A bigger-than-usual rumble of thunder, a bright light, a smile. No, never mind. A smile would have been creepy. I remember some things, he said. The more he talked, the less self-conscious he felt. I remember that it's hard being a son of Jupiter. Everyone is always looking at me to be a leader, but I always feel alone. I guess you feel the same way up on Olympus. The other gods challenge your decisions. Sometimes you've got to make hard choices, and the others criticize you. And you can't come to my aid like other gods might. You've got to keep me at a distance so it doesn't look like you're playing favorites. I guess I just wanted to say... Jason took a deep breath. I understand all that. It's okay. I'm going to try to do my best. I'll try to make you proud. But I could really use some guidance, Dad. If there's anything you can do, help me so I can help my friends. I'm afraid I'll get them killed. I don't know how to protect them. The back of his neck tingled. He realized someone was standing behind him. He turned and found a woman in a black hooded robe with a goatskin cloak over her shoulders and a sheathed Roman sword, a gladius, in her hands. Hera, he said. She pushed back her hood. To you, I have always been Juno, and your father has already sent you guidance, Jason. He sent you Piper and Leo. They're not just your responsibility. They're also your friends. Listen to them, and you will do well. Did Jupiter send you here to tell me that? No one sends me anywhere, hero, she said. I am not a messenger. But you got me into this. Why did you send me to this camp? I think you know, Juno said. An exchange of leaders was necessary. It was the only way to bridge the gap. I didn't agree to it. No, but Zeus gave your life to me, and I am helping you fulfill your destiny. Jason tried to control his anger. He looked down at his orange camp shirt and the tattoos on his arm 
and he knew these things should not go together. He had become a contradiction, a mixture as dangerous as anything Medea could cook up. You're not giving me all my memories, he said, even though you promised. Most will return in time, Juno said, but you must find your own way back. You need these next months with your new friends, your new home. You're gaining their trust. By the time you sail in your ship, you will be a leader at this camp, and you will be ready to be a peacemaker between two great powers. What if you're not telling the truth? he asked. What if you're doing this to cause another civil war? Juno's expression was impossible to read. Amusement? Disdain? Affection? Possibly all three. As much as she appeared human, Jason knew she was not. He could still see that blinding light, the true form of the goddess that had seared itself into his brain. She was Juno and Hera. She existed in many places at once. Her reasons for doing something were never simple. I am the goddess of family, she said. My family has been divided for too long. They divided us so we don't kill each other, Jason said. That seems like a pretty good reason. The prophecy demands that we change. The giants will rise. Each can only be killed by a god and demigod working together. Those demigods must be the seven greatest of the age. As it stands, they are divided between two places. If we remain divided, we cannot win. Gia is counting on this. You must unite the heroes of Olympus and sail together to meet the giants on the ancient battlegrounds of Greece. Only then will the gods be convinced to join you. It will be the most dangerous quest, the most important voyage ever attempted by the children of the gods. Jason looked up again at the glowering statue of his father. It's not fair, Jason said. I could ruin everything. You could, Juno agreed. But gods need heroes. We always have. Even you? I thought you hated heroes. The goddess gave him a dry smile. I have that reputation, but if you want the truth, Jason, I often envy other gods their mortal children. You demigods can span both worlds. I think this helps your godly parents, even Jupiter, curse him, to understand the mortal world better than I. Juno sighed so unhappily that despite his anger, Jason almost felt sorry for her. I am the goddess of marriage, she said. It is not in my nature to be faithless. I have only two godly children, Ares and Hephaestus, both of whom are disappointments. I have no mortal heroes to do my bidding, which is why I am so often bitter toward demigods. Heracles, 
Aeneas, all of them. But it is also why I favored the first Jason, a pure mortal who had no godly parent to guide him, and why I am glad Zeus gave you to me. You will be my champion, Jason. You will be the greatest of heroes and bring unity to the demigods and thus to Olympus. Her words settled over him, as heavy as sandbags. Two days ago, he'd been terrified by the idea of leading demigods into a great prophecy, sailing off to battle the giants and save the world. He was still terrified, but something had changed. He no longer felt alone. He had friends now, and a home to fight for. He even had a patron goddess looking out for him, which had to count for something, even if she seemed a little untrustworthy. Jason had to stand up and accept his destiny, just as he had done when he faced Porphyrian with his bare hands. Sure, it seemed impossible. He might die, but his friends were counting on him. And if I fail? he asked. Great victory requires great risk, she admitted. Fail, and there will be bloodshed like we have never seen. Demigods will destroy one another. The giants will overrun Olympus. Gia will wake, and the earth will shake off everything we have built over five millennia. It will be the end of us all. Great. Just great. Someone pounded on the cabin doors. Juno pulled her hood back over her face. Then she handed Jason the sheathed gladius. Take this for the weapon you lost. We will speak again. Like it or not, Jason, I am your sponsor and your link to Olympus. We need each other. The goddess vanished as the doors creaked open and Piper walked in. Annabeth and Rachel are here, she said. Chiron has summoned the council. Chapter 56 Jason The council was nothing like Jason imagined. For one thing, it was in the big house rec room, around a ping-pong table, and one of the satyrs was serving nachos and soda. Somebody had brought Seymour the leopard head in from the living room and hung him on the wall. Every once in a while, a counselor would toss him a snossage. Jason looked around the room and tried to remember everyone's name. Thankfully, Leo and Piper were sitting next to him. It was their first meeting as senior counselors. Clarice, leader of the Ares cabin, had her boots on the table, but nobody seemed to care. Clovis, from Hypno's cabin, was snoring in the corner, while Butch, from Iris' cabin, was seeing how many pencils he could fit in Clovis's nostrils. Travis Stoll, from Hermes, was holding a lighter under a ping-pong ball to see if it would burn, and Will Solace, from Apollo, was absently wrapping and unwrapping an ace bandage around his wrist. The counselor from Hecate cabin, Llewellyn something or other, was playing Got Your Nose with Miranda Gardner from Demeter, except that Llewellyn really had magically disconnected Miranda's nose, and Miranda was trying to get it back. Jason had hoped Thalia would show. 
she'd promised, after all. But she was nowhere to be seen. Chiron had told him not to worry about it. Thalia often got sidetracked fighting monsters or running quests for Artemis, and she would probably arrive soon. But still, Jason worried. Rachel Dare, the Oracle, sat next to Chiron at the head of the table. She was wearing her Clarion Academy school uniform dress, which seemed a bit odd, but she smiled at Jason. Annabeth didn't look so relaxed. She wore armor over her camp clothes, with her knife at her side and her blonde hair pulled back in a ponytail. As soon as Jason walked in, she fixed him with an expectant look, as if she were trying to extract information out of him by sheer willpower. Let's come to order, Chiron said. Llewellyn, please give Miranda her nose back. Travis, if you kindly extinguish the flaming ping-pong ball. And Butch, I think twenty pencils is really too many for any human nostril. Thank you. Now, as you can see... Jason, Piper, and Leo have returned successfully, more or less. Some of you have heard parts of their story, but I will let them fill you in. Everyone looked at Jason. He cleared his throat and began the story. Piper and Leo chimed in from time to time, filling in the details he forgot. It only took a few minutes, but it seemed like longer with everyone watching him. The silence was heavy and for so many ADHD demigods to sit still listening for that long, Jason knew the story must have sounded pretty wild. He ended with Hera's visit right before the meeting. So Hera was here, Annabeth said, talking to you. Jason nodded. Look, I'm not saying I trust her. That's smart, Annabeth said. But she isn't making this up about another group of demigods. That's where I came from. Romans, Clarice tossed Seymour a snossage. You expect us to believe there's another camp with demigods, but they follow the Roman forms of the gods. And we've never heard of them. Piper sat forward. The gods have kept the two groups apart, because every time they see each other, they try to kill each other. I can respect that, Clarice said. Still, why haven't we run across each other on quests? Oh, yes, Chiron said sadly. You have, many times. It's always a tragedy, and always the gods do their best to wipe clean the memories of those involved. The rivalry goes all the way back to the Trojan War, Clarice. The Greeks invaded Troy and burned it to the ground. The Trojan hero Aeneas escaped and eventually made his way to Italy where he founded the race that would someday become Rome. The Romans grew more and more powerful, worshipping the same gods but under different names, and with slightly different personalities. More warlike, Jason said, more united, more about expansion, conquest, and discipline. Yuck, Travis put in. Several of the others looked equally uncomfortable, though Clarice shrugged like it sounded okay to her. Annabeth twirled her knife on the table. And the Romans hated the Greeks. They took revenge when they conquered the Greek Isles and made them part of the Roman Empire. Not exactly hated them, Jason said. 
the Romans admired Greek culture and were a little jealous. In return, the Greeks thought the Romans were barbarians, but they respected their military power. So during Roman times, demigods started to divide, either Greek or Roman. And it's been that way ever since, Annabeth guessed. But this is crazy. Chiron, where were the Romans during the Titan War? Didn't they want to help? Chiron tugged at his beard. They did help, Annabeth. While you and Percy were leading the battle to save Manhattan, who do you think conquered Mount Othrys? The Titan's base in California. Hold on, Travis said. You said Mount Othrys just crumbled when we beat Kronos. No, Jason said. He remembered flashes of the battle. A giant in starry armor and a helm mounted with ram's horns. He remembered his army of demigods scaling Mount Tam, fighting through hordes of snake monsters. It didn't just fall. We destroyed their palace. I defeated the Titan Creos myself. Annabeth's eyes were as stormy as a ventus. Jason could almost see her thoughts moving, putting the pieces together. The Bay Area. We demigods were always told to stay away from it because Mount Othrys was there. But that wasn't the only reason, was it? The Roman camp. It's got to be somewhere near San Francisco. I bet it was put there to keep watch on the Titan's territory. Where is it? Chiron shifted in his wheelchair. I cannot say. Honestly, even I have never been trusted with that information. My counterpart, Lupa, is not exactly the sharing type. Jason's memory, too, has been burned away. The camp's heavily veiled with magic, Jason said, and heavily guarded. We could search for years and never find it. Rachel Dare laced her fingers. Of all the people in the room, only she didn't seem nervous about the conversation. But you'll try, won't you? You'll build Leo's boat, the Argo too. And before you make for Greece, you'll sail for the Roman camp. You'll need their help to confront the giants. Bad plan, Clarice warned. If those Romans see a warship coming, they'll assume we're attacking. You're probably right, Jason agreed. But we have to try. I was sent here to learn about Camp Half-Blood, to try to convince you the two camps don't have to be enemies. A peace offering. Hmm, Rachel said, because Hera is convinced we need both camps to win the war with the giants. Seven heroes of Olympus, some Greek, some Roman. Annabeth nodded. Your great prophecy. What's the last line? And foes bear arms to the doors of death. Gia has opened the doors of death, Annabeth said. She's letting out the worst villains of the underworld to fight us. Medea, Midas, there'll be more, I'm sure. Maybe the line means that the Roman and Greek demigods will unite and find the doors and close them. Or it could mean they fight each other at the doors of death. Clarice pointed out. It doesn't say we'll cooperate. There was silence as the campers let that happy thought sink in. I'm going, Annabeth said. 
Jason, when you get this ship built, let me go with you. I was hoping you'd offer, Jason said. You of all people. We'll need you. Wait, Leo frowned. I mean, that's cool with me and all, but why Annabeth of all people? Annabeth and Jason studied one another, and Jason knew she had put it together. She saw the dangerous truth. Hera said my coming here was an exchange of leaders, Jason said, a way for the two camps to learn of each other's existence. Yeah, Leo said. So? An exchange goes two ways, Jason said. When I got here, my memory was wiped. I didn't know who I was or where I belonged. Fortunately, you guys took me in and I found a new home. I know you're not my enemy. The Roman camp, they're not so friendly. You prove your worth quickly or you don't survive. They may not be so nice to him. And if they learn where he comes from, he's going to be in serious trouble. Him? Leo said. Who are you talking about? My boyfriend, Annabeth said grimly. He disappeared around the same time Jason appeared. If Jason came to Camp Half-Blood... Exactly, Jason agreed. Percy Jackson is at the other camp, and he probably doesn't even remember who he is. This is Joshua Swanson. We hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of The Heroes of Olympus, Book One, The Lost Hero, by Rick Riordan. This program was produced by Janet Stark and directed by Fred Sanders. Text copyright 2010 by Rick Riordan. Production copyright 2010, Random House, Inc. All rights reserved. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.